that we, uh, at the time, up until at least the mid-70s, really felt that we were still living under the, uh, 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 or with, in the guise of a, a single and absolute uh, created society where there were known truths and known lies and there was no kind of duplicity or pluralism about the things that we believed in. That started to break down rapidly in the 70s and the idea of a, a duality in the way that we live in, in there are always two, three, four, five sides to every question that the singularity disappeared and uh, that I believe has produced such a medium as the internet which absolutely establishes and shows us that we are living in total fragmentation. You don't think that some of the claims being made for it are, are hugely exaggerated? I mean, when the telephone was invented, people made amazing claims. I know, the president, for example. the president at the time, when it was first invented, he was outrageous. He said he foresaw the day in the future when every town in America would have a telephone. Now, that, what, how dare he claim like that? Absolute bullshit. No, you see, I don't, I don't, I don't agree. I don't agree. I think the internet. I don't think we've even seen the tip of the iceberg. I think the potential of what the internet is going to do to society, both good and bad, is unimaginable. I think we're actually on the cusp of something exhilarating and terrifying. It's just a tool, though, isn't it? No, it's not. No. Now it's an alien life form. What do you think, I mean, when you think then about it? Is there life on Mars? <laughs> yes, it's just landed here. But that's, it's a simply a different delivery system there. You're arguing about something more profound. Oh yeah, I'm talking about the, the, the actual context and the state of content is going to be so different to anything that we can really envisage at the moment. Where the interplay between the user and the provider will be so in simpatico, it's going to it's going to crush our ideas of what mediums are all about. Uh, but it's happening in every form. It's happening in visual art. The breakthroughs at the early part of the century with people like Duchamp, who were so prescient in what they were doing and putting down the idea that the piece of work is not finished until the audience come to it and add their own interpretation. And what the piece of art is about is the grey space in the middle. That grey space in the middle is what the 21st century is going to be. I come uh, from a 19th century country, Canada, and this gives me a great advantage in looking at the 20th century. The 20th century is the age of electric technology. It's the most dominant tool of our time. And reevaluate every thought and every institution you formerly took for granted. I know exactly where the boundaries of the gin, mostly they begin in the United States. So any Canadian can see what you cannot see. That is, you live in the 20th century, more or less, and it becomes therefore invisible. The electric age is changing you. It is changing your family. It is changing your neighborhood. It's changing your education. It's changing your job. What are you going to do? It's changing your government. It's changing your relationship to others. These little circuits 
are making our world go. The electric age is having a profound effect on us. We are in a period of fantastic change that's coming about at fantastic speed. Your life is changing dramatically, and you are numb to it. Well, obviously his ideas are complex. I mean, he's, yep. he's, a, he's, a little, he's, a, he's an intellectual. A special kind of intellectual. And his ideas are, are in the realm of intellect. And they're, they're, I can shut down the power grids. I can paralyze your infrastructure. I can access the personal data of everyone in America. I am the enemy with no face. And I can't be stopped. Hello everyone, this is Jose Herrera with the O3XX series, and with me, my hermano Tyler Pollock. Today we have an exceptionally distinguished guest with us, with an extensive career that spans across the military and cyber domains. He brings a wealth of knowledge and experience that we're excited to explore today. Brian Adamson is a man whose career has been marked by immense dedication and service to our nation. A former lead strategist at the Defense Information Systems Agency, he has worked tirelessly to develop strategic initiatives to bolster our national defense. His military journey is nothing short of remarkable. Enlisting in the United States Army, Brian climbed the ranks from a logician and military intelligence analyst to infantry officer. After 24 illustrious years of service, he retired in 2015 from the United States Cyber Command as a joint cyberspace planner, having earned a bronze star for his valor and commitment. Throughout his career, Brian's work has spanned across multiple facets of the military, from mechanized and light infantry to special operations, airborne infantry, and striker brigade combat team. He has served at the Joint Readiness Training Center and survived five deployments showcasing his steadfast commitment to the service. Even after retiring from active military service, Brian continues to contribute. He serves as an adjunct professor at Ann Arundel Community College, sharpening the minds of future leaders. He's also a recent graduate of DIS's Mid-Level Leadership Program and is currently enrolled in the competitive National Defense University Cyber and Information College Certificate Program. His contribution extends beyond academia and professional circles. Brian served as the president of the Buffalo Soldier Chapter of Rocks, Inc. in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, and as an active member of several esteemed organizations, including Blacks in Government, the Military Officers Association of America, the Armed Forces Communications and Electronics Association, and the Military Cyber Professionals Association. Adding to this list of accomplishment, Brian holds a vital role as the Secretary of the Cape Fear Veterans Resilience Project. This organization is dedicated to facilitating and integrating efforts of various organizations to increase community outreach and awareness and optimize veteran access to timely and impactful services. Their mission is to reduce veteran suicide in the Cape Fear region and help veterans of all eras and their caregivers in achieving and sustaining life-enhancing wellness and resilience. Off-duty, Brian is a proud father and grandfather, a testament to his role as a family man, his unwavering commitment to his country, to his fellow veterans, and to his community is nothing short of inspiring. Please join me in extending a warm welcome to Brian Adamson. But, uh, you know, and, and I am writing a book, 
not not for promotional purposes, but because I often say, oh man, I want to write the book, blah, 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 and I never, you know, people never get to it. It's like, I want to go to, I want to go to Japan, but I haven't put it on the calendar, and, and it's on the calendar. So, gotcha. all my, all my trusted agents and, and buddies out there that have, uh, that have let read it, maybe five people, that's about it, and they were all like, man, you need to write that thing. So. It's a process. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, it's it took me five years to write my memoir, and yeah. that was just me going through the process and therapy. Yeah. And then now I've been working on another book for years, and yeah, just the everything, this environment, the security operational environment, uh, geopolitics, everything is changing so fast that it's almost difficult to even yeah. solidify something. And yeah, I got some ideas um, in terms of how I want to go about it. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just a process. Um, I was going to say, man, I could never grow a mustache out. Um, my, my Mexican ness, my, my Mexican ness can only grow a goatee out. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what's up with that. Um, All right. <laughs> might be my Spanish roots. Fair enough. All right, Brian. So, you know, we, we can begin from the beginning. You served what 20 25 years 30 years 20 24 years and i did three years with uh dissa after I, I was actually working before i retired you know that thing you know i was on terminal leave uh i got hired on at dissa november 2015 and then i um, yeah i was just on terminal leave and then you know um ets i retired in uh december 2015 and i, I just you know didn't take any break, which was bad. <laughs> we'll get into that, I'm sure. Um, but but yeah, it's um, it was a long run, man. It was like five days after I graduated, uh, I was in basic training. So five, five days after you graduated high school, correct? Oh, you were yeah, you were on a you were yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah hey, on the fast they, fast. They put it, <laughs> my parents put in my head. They were like, "Hey, you're 18. You're growing. Get out of my house." And I was like, "Okay." So I also I also got off to an early start as a father because <laughs> before I graduated it was like uh, hey I'm pregnant <laughs> it was like oh and that kind of that kind of forced my hand on the whole uh, yeah you mean you need to take care of your responsibilities so yeah. did you have any uh, ambitions or any um, kind of like uh, like motivations to join even before that I did. Uh, I, <laughs> And, you know, you know, we talk about like nowadays with kids and play and all that kind of stuff. You know, of course, my dad was in the military, so I saw that firsthand. So that creates kind of that whole warrior class thing. Uh, I actually mentioned that um, to my son when I was reading him the oath of office when he was uh, getting promoted to captain. Recently, that was like last week, I think last weekend. Wow. Uh, and I, man, I, you talk about an honor, you know, and uh, I think I think you may have seen I may have posted it on LinkedIn or something like that. I had a picture of my dad swearing me in and then a picture of me swearing my son in. Yeah. yeah. So, so it was, uh, you know, my brother was actually the one that was in JRTC in high school. So, so that was a, it was a foregone conclusion that he, he was going to be in the army. So he did his, his three years in Germany, came back, got his degree, got out, went to be a federal agent, uh, and then decided to go back home to be a, a local police officer to be with his wife and child. So and then he got he got killed in motorcycle action actually, 1999. Oh man, yeah. So 
great, great guy. You know, I only had one brother. Uh, and, uh, but I can tell you that I've had a number of other brothers, especially from the military. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, you, you don't, I've, I've talked to spouses and sisters and mothers and fathers, and it's like, you know, it's different. You know, I, you know, the deployment I have with one of my good friends, his name is, um, uh, Eduardo Lorumbe. Uh, and he, he's actually Basque, which is an interesting story. He has a really interesting story. You know, came to came to South America, Venezuela, couldn't speak English, joined the army, <laughs> and goes to OCS. It's like by the time he by the time he got around to maybe E four, he could speak English. So yeah, uh, so so yeah, I, I love those stories, man. I love my comrades. Uh, I have been in the passenger seat of greatness. Um, I tell people all the time, you know, I'm sitting in a, in, you know, a restaurant or a bar or something like last night or two days ago. I was a retired guy from the CIA. And I was like, yeah, you know, uh, I was briefing that guy, briefing this general, Sony, you know, senators, politicians you see on TV, whatever. It was like, uh, you know, and they go, oh, God, come on. And then I pull out a picture of me with Mike Rogers, <laughs> the, for, the former uh, director of the NSA, and I'm getting my field grade of the quarter award, whatever. So, yeah, um, it, it's been a, it's been a good it was a good ride, man. And and I like I said, I was in a passenger seat of greatness because. If it, if it wasn't like the actual guy, it was the guy that was, you know, dealing with him. Like, you know, um, was a good example of that, man. Like, there's there's too many. Uh, like, you know, the generals that we had when we took U.S. Division Center in 2000, all of 2010, you know, those guys went off to do great stuff, except for one. We're not going to get into that. But he was also the CG, CJTFOA commander who got bitten. Uh Demoted. Anyway, we're not going to talk about him, but the other guys like General Tovo, uh, uh, Mark Hurtley. Holy crap. I mean, before he before he redeployed re again after the two, 2007, 2008, he was still in Germany. So I got to meet him and work with him and stuff like that. And I, the guy, as I told you, Eduardo, he was his uh, SGS. <laughs> so it's like, you know, and and. Uh, We'll get in. I guess we'll get into the whole IO thing, but you know, I know we're doing the beginning right now. I try not to. I try not to go on too many tangents because I'm bad about that. <laughs> but we have a uh, an agenda for a reason. So, yeah. Well, we welcome those as well. Um, I think that's part of the uh, the process as well, right? When we're trying it to is. untap the complexity, again, yeah. granularity, we have to decompose and then recombinate all this stuff. And I think what a lot of things. When it comes down to at least complexity science um, in regards to security and operations, I think we oftentimes miss quite a bit of the 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 undertones of psychology and life that individuals go through. And there's a science to that, at least a science where we can properly understand the kind of like macro uh, objective of whatever it is that we're dissecting when we understand the individual and. Yeah. I think understanding the individual and all those tangents and uh, incongruent and nonlinear moments of our lives really gives us a better understanding. And I think it helps us develop a lot more. And while, you know, again, you know, yeah, there are, there, there is an agenda today. Um, um, it's fine if we go off topic. We, um, hey, when you're when dealing with me, we're going off. <laughs> we, we're going to take a side road <laughs> at some point, man. You know, uh, 
let me let me ask you this did you want to get out yeah uh so my dad my my dad's friends uh my colleagues uh mentors uh they all said you'll know when it's time mm. and and the problem the problem that i was having um was that the the army the military uh, kind of kind of they failed to understand what it is that we were doing there's only 300 iowa iowa officers on active duty right now in the army okay 300 um subject matter experts in marketing campaign management strategy um the capabilities of electronic warfare or sema now um cyber electromagnetic activities uh cyber itself um like a lot like uh sia uh sociology anthropology um political um issues so th all those folks were sitting at my working group table okay and so when when we did something we approached it from all those angles <clears throat> and i'll back up a little bit to when i was at cybercom and and, and knowing that it was time for me to go <clears throat> Because they were they were throwing this, hey man, switch to 17, which is cyber in the army. And you know, you become an FA30, they call it a functional area designation. I'm still wearing my signal flags, but I've become something else. Um, and prior to that, infantry rifles. That so we'll get there, but I knew it was time to go because they kept changing doctrine, rewriting doctrine, rewriting doctrine. And every time I went in to meet a commander, it was like, so what do you do again? <laughs> oh shit! I've actually had dudes, you know, like my buddy Sean, uh, Sean Hydergerkin, great guy, and he he uh he came into 82nd, First Brigade 82nd, going, yeah, I'm your new IO guy. He's like, oh man, we've been waiting for you, and he just got this big grin on his face because it's like they know who I am. <laughs> and then he gets in with his commander, and he says, oh man, we got all these um investigations going on. I'm so glad you're here. He thought he was the investigating officer. They handle all these 15 sixes. I was like, <laughs> so, all right. Yeah. I don't know. Do in the Marines, y'all call it 15 six investigation? I don't, I don't know the nomenclature for that. NCIS okay. is what is typically what it's <laughs> yeah. called. What is that? What's the yeah, NCIS because it's like the Navy investigates everything, like uh, any yeah, type yeah, of misconduct. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. I've never well, heard 50, so, 50. So let's just say for infractions, like say somebody commits adultery. Right. Or... Yeah, that would be NCIS in the, in the Marine Corps. Really? Yeah. It's not an investigating officer to that, and that's it. Like soldier, like what could it be investigating officer? I mean, oh, loss of nods, loss of loss of a high-value item, um, yeah, yeah, I think those would be NCIs too. I mean, the, the thing we had PMO, which are like your MPs, which okay. would be initially involved with like you gotcha. know an adultery case or something yeah. like that. But then I think depending on how bad it was, they would turn it over to the Navy, which yeah. would you know. Got you. <clears throat> so what I was saying was, it just got old explaining who I am and what I was there to do, and and it, and like you said, like you said, Jose, it goes into a really big ball of like you know, mitigating circumstances, cascading effects and all that stuff. And you're like, hey, um, how many times have we written, rewritten IO doctrine since it was in, in, you know, since its inception, 1999 or 98 or whatever? About four or five times. Okay. 
<laughs> I mean, like not just broad brushstroke stuff, major freaking changes. And then you said, let's relegate IO and put cyber on top of that. Make it cyber is like number one. And, and then we'll, 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 we'll sprinkle some IO on it later. I, you know, and it goes back to uh, one of your guests was on and he was uh, talking cyber stuff. He was actually talking cyber tradecraft, which was very interesting to me. Um, I the guy's name. Um, it was three months ago. Uh, he had a, a gentleman, he's an infantryman, of course. Uh, and he was like, why don't we have infantrymen looking at the cyber problem, you know? And and as I told you before, I said, some of the things that I'm going to do I'll, will probably comp complement that particular interview. I look up the episode, it was a two-parter. And um, he was talking about how he, he had a lot of doom and gloom. And, and and both of you guys, even Tyler, was like, "Hey, are we getting yeah. good, some good some new good news?" Yeah, yeah it was Nate and Pat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, I, guess, I can tell you, I can tell you, there is good news. Uh, my team chief at Cyber Command, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Promotable, below the zone Lieutenant Colonel, below the zone Colonel. Right, he was a Special Forces officer who switched to be a strategist. Um, the G three ops guy that we used to bar with, I was in G five. Or J5, sorry. And um, he was a former Ranger Bat guy. So, you know, you got tech heads in the room, absolutely. But you do have some people that, that were dragging their knuckles and crawling in the mud that are looking at this problem practically. The problem is that we, we since probably after the Korean War, we've taken our fighting hand, like my strong hand, and put it right behind my back and said, ah, let's do combatives now. Let's do jujitsu. Yeah. You know? That has what we've been doing, man, and and it's hard to watch it. It's hard to to plan it. It it when you get a um my my level of warfare is different than than most people because I was actually reading the execution order, mm -hmm. and I was actually debating with the lawyer on how far we could bend this mind, you know, to make mm -hmm. it happen. Um, but yeah, they're the right people are looking at it. That team chief man, Silver Star winner, I mean. Multiple deploy. I mean, and he, and he was writing doctrine for HR McMaster. <laughs> so it's like I had these dudes around me, man, that could pass on this knowledge and expertise, trade craft, TTPs. It was, and it's just, I, you know, I'm just living it. Like, man, this is this is awesome, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, Joe Gelano was my uh, my my team chief at Cyber Command before the other guy that came in before him, tech head guy, awesome. Okay, Bill Artillery guy. Former field artillery. So, so the right people are looking at this. The problem is the the um, the bureaucracy and and policy. You know, um, and my execution order for for example, I deployed to Iraq as an as an IO guy. The the, the third time I deployed to Iraq, it was as an IO guy with First Armored Division, which changed the U.S. Division Center, and we had you know the Marines out there got rid of the Marines, and then it turned just into First of 82nd, 3rd ID, 1st Brigade, 3rd ID, and, and some others. We went that down from like eight brigades to two, okay, for all of Iraq, all right? Um, the the, the, yeah, the uh, transition to Operation New Dawn, if you remember that. Yeah, yeah. I do. That was us, okay? Every, every one of those plans that had IO or planning or anything, like, going <laughs> on. I was that guy. Me and my buddy Ed Lorumbe were that guy, you know. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. 
So we made that transition and that was hectic, man, getting all that equipment and stuff and just pulling out. It was better than Afghanistan, but still needed some work. That was, uh, that was a uh, pre 2012, correct? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Our deployment for, so we, we got there roughly, I, I was, you know, an Advon. So I got there end of December, uh, 2009 and, uh, yeah, funny, funny story about that is like my first night in Baghdad, my third deployment to Iraq, they start bombing us. Like we get an indirect fire. And the procedure at the time was like, hey, everybody go to division headquarters, which I don't understand that because I had a bunker outside my troop. Whatever. Okay. okay. <laughs> Just don't ask me, man. So they were like, get to the get to the uh, division headquarters, which was about, I don't know. I'm probably about 800 meters from there. So uh, this is my first night in, uh, well, second night in, in biop. They start rocketing. I got one pair of PTs, and they're my tightest ones. Only thing I'm thinking about <laughs> Jose, as I'm running to the freaking division <laughs> headquarters is, please, God, don't let me die in these tight-ass shorts. That's, yeah, that's nice. Um... Oh God! Because my buddy, uh, my other buddy, um, <laughs> he comes get me. He's like, "We gotta go," and I'm like, what? <laughs> "I can't, I can't find anything that fits properly." I'm like, "Ah, oh, shit!" And I'm just like, "Yeah, yeah." Had the skippies on. I was like, "Please don't let me die tonight in these fucking tight shorts." <laughs> uh, yeah. My buddy Dave Acosta, he was like, "Yeah, man, yeah, we're yeah." It's like it's like the scene from like uh uh. Oh God, Dirty Dozen. When old, old boy is uh yeah the running back guy when he's dodging the the bullets and doing his little running scene. <laughs> That's how we were. It's like I haven't seen that movie, but I know what you're talking about because my my old man used to watch those. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, man, it was a it was a trip. So yeah, just going back to the question itself was, I knew it was time to go because I I was tired of explaining stuff. It wasn't fun anymore. Um, I had just gotten back from a um, a planning event. Uh, forward, forward, uh, SOCOM, CENTCOM forward and cutter, uh, you know, and I, I was just kind of, I just came back and I was like, man, I was just thinking about the whole thing of like, you don't even understand what I do, you know, and, and you don't, you don't, you won't give me the 15 to 20 minutes, maybe five minutes that to explain it to you. Cause he, cause here's how I break it down. And I've really thought about this again, me, Dave and Ed. And my former boss, uh, uh, JP Mitch, <clears throat> on our whiteboard, uh, we had written out a a a plan for an IO command. Right now, this, this was like unheard of, right? Because nobody knows what IO is, and you know we're just a bunch of ghost dudes that sprinkle stuff on, and you know things disappear sometimes. Um, what they didn't understand. I don't think they still understand because China and Russia are kicking our ass at it. They've been, they're probably 10 years ahead of us when it comes to influence operations, right? And, and what, what, they, what they've done too is they have technocrats in charge. So they understand this shit, you know? Not, not like, you know, what I was gonna be doing at the National Defense University and the chief information, chief, the CIO program is advising these guys, our politicians and, and the decision makers on, cyber infrastructure you know there's stuff out there in some neighborhoods that's 1950s 1960s technology 
Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I don't know if people have noticed that some of these new neighborhoods don't have any power lines in them. Yeah. That that's that's new stuff. That's good, right? Um, however, as you had your your guy on the other uh, episodes ago, a lot of Bluetooth out there in what they call and when I was briefing sicker critical infrastructure key resources, um, is a lot of Bluetooth out there, a lot of antiquated systems out there, some analog systems still out there. You know, in the NSA, they got people that are still studying systems that are out of out of tolerance. Why? Because in other countries they're using them. So that makes sense, right? Um, but just to give a little history on, you know, cyber and its inception, it's like, here's SIGA, okay? And it used to be that here's much, here's this much cyber. And now it's this big thing because everybody, everything's gone digital. I think the Army with its sometimes, you know, genius ideas of SEMA, you know, cyber electromagnetic activities, mm, that about covers it. Yeah, that about covers it. But, but what you what you've done and this happens often, right? <clears throat> Please excuse me. Um, if you've ever you've ever studied marketing and like production of a of an item, like what it takes to make it and who needs to be in the room. Okay, so you got your engineer, and you got your you know your management people, you got your whatever it is, tech bubba. Here, here's what I fear has happened when Cybercom came along. It was like. You know, marketing. You want it good. You want it fast. You want it cheap. Pick two because you're not going to get all three. And oh, by the way, who's in the room when you made a decision to make that product? Mm. Was it just engineers? Was it just tech people? And I, my fear was, and and still remains that there's only tech people in the room with tech solutions because the engineer is thinking about technical solutions, right? He doesn't take into that the human domain and blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, because, you know, we've done some, you know, stay behind operations. OK, I drop a little thing over here, you know, dead drop, whatever it is. And a human has the ability to say, you know what, there's a pen over there on the ground, but I don't want to pick it up, you know, and there goes your op. You know, mm -hmm. and that's why that is why a lot of commanders had a problem with with information operations, because I can't it's too squishy. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't like fill artillery. <clears throat> I can line up a target. I could shoot that son of a bitch. I don't know if I'm doing that with Aya. You know, the, 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 uh, the uh, example I used in the schoolhouse when I was teaching this stuff was, uh, you know, you're a ship's captain and you got a problem with pirates. Hey, IO guy, what can you do for me? All right, let me, uh, let me pull out my IO book of tricks. Oh, I got octopus with grenades, uh, sharks with laser beams, dolphins with bazookas. I think we're going to go with sharks with laser beams, right? Now, when they do come to me, the question that I ask is, what's the effect you're trying to achieve? Can I achieve the same effect with cyber or something electronic, you know, spectrum-wise, EMS? Do I need these sharks with laser beams? Do, do I need to go kinetic now? So, so... What's the, the the question to the commander would be? You come and sit, you know, knock on my door. Hey, IO guy, help me. I'm like, what's the effect you're trying to achieve? You want them disrupted? You want them cor you know, corrupted? You want them, you know, confused? You want them destroyed, denied? What do you want? Usurped? And uh, the there's a there's a problem in that too. Some commanders don't know how to ask for that. Yeah. 
right? And some commanders didn't even know the resources were in, in theater. I know I'm getting into other parts of it, but it's like, let's just let's just imagine, and this is the kind of stuff that we were doing, is like we come to a brigade commander and maybe the XO or the G3 and say, hey, here's here's a list of things. Here's, a, here's, a, here's a something you might want to know about in your battle space. And that's the only people we tell. If we told them. And and what ends up happening is, as a commander, you go, man, I had some of that IO stuff last time. Hey, give me them sharks with laser beams again. Hey, sir, hold on, hold on. We don't have those in the theater. What's the effect you're trying to achieve? You know, and and most of the times, in our working group, in our section, we're we're planning ways to be ahead of the commander in every way. Now, I'm not just talking about with, uh, you know, oh man, we need a, a artillery battery over here to cover this zone, whatever. No, I'm, I'm talking about what are the what are the medics doing this weekend? What's what's the divinge doing? Oh, man, they got a humanitarian assistance thing going over at uh, Nasseria. Oh, really? Let me uh, put some things on that. Let me send a guy. And one of my guys who you used to send on stuff uh, just passed away, too. Uh, Chris Perry. Fantastic dude. Um, yeah. And it, and it goes into the whole, you know, PTSD thing and family and caregivers and isolation. And, and he was a he was a Marine, uh, switched over to Army, then went to OCS. Uh, and I got to write his recommendation. Hmm. And NCOER and OER and, and all that stuff. Good guy. So. I'll add a special note on that. Sorry to hear that. Um let me uh let me go back a little bit. The only it was after I stopped doing contract work that I came back and began to notice a different type of there was a different um feel for the way things were shaping out. Um and it was at that time too that I started actually going online and seeing uh human weather. And a lot of things were clicking. And what I mean by that is, um, I didn't know at the time, and now I do as a result of, you know, in-depth dives into the subject matter. Um, and, and what I'm trying to get at is, there's been a massive outsource of what we would call um, human functions, right? So like morality, for example. Mm. Um, each one of us acts as a neuron uh, within this artificial neural network and the neuron doesn't know what the entire system is doing. However, when the artificial neur neural network gets updated um, because echo chambers and optim uh, algorithmic optimization um, update with it, we automatically get updated as well. So we fall into this trap of, of cultural relativism or relativistic features of a massively perpetuated, cycled um, system of changes, which leads to what I call, what we call in philosophy, solipsism, right? We, we get into this one-dimensional view where we only exist. And there is this idea of democratization that anything that we put up. You talk um, about egocentric and sociocentric thinking and, and um, the book that I think I think I talked to you about this a little bit. I don't know, or with somebody else I was talking about. Where I, I basically taught from that book. It's uh, by a, a book by um, 
Chris Paul, I think it is, Dr. Chris Paul or something. It's called The Miniature Guide to Critical Thinking. It used to be about 26 pages, and now it's 21, and they took some stuff out of it, which I don't know why they did that. But uh, I used to teach basically from three pages in that book. Fallacies, sociocentric, egocentric. Because what do we do when we go into combat <clears throat> or to a conflict? You see on TV, oh, man, Putin's crazy. Uh, Xi, Xi, Xi Jinping or, you know, he's crazy. Uh, Saddam Hussein, he's crazy. You know, they're all crazy. Well, what? That, that's, that's real interesting to me. Stalin was crazy. Hitler was crazy. Hmm. How'd they get to be in power? Why were they so charismatic? You know, because somewhere along the way, they had to have a plan. Right? And, and I don't know. So we demonize the opposition and we go, yeah, they're not smart. <laughs> I, I had to tell a lot of commanders, these jokers ain't stupid, sir. They're not stupid. Yeah. You know, they're doing cyber, cyber operations, man. You know, the dudes that we're training in foreign countries do on fit missions. They're coming back. Those foreign officers and foreign uh, countries are going, hey, man, where's the cyber? Where's mm -hmm. the cybersecurity? So, you know, we can, we can teach people to put rounds down range all the time. And oh, by the way, we can teach a lot. We can train a lot of our future enemies. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a rough one right there. When you really start talking to people, I said, you know, one of the things is like Saddam Hussein was crazy. Was he really? Because he has the key to Detroit, to the city of Detroit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm with you. Oh, dude, I'm with you. The evolution of things and then the warfighter and how they're going to handle that evolution of the world and face to face. Because it's a different story than what you see on CNN and whatever, than what the warfighter, the 0311, the 11 Bravo, the 18 series, whatever it is, cab guy, you know, on the ground. And he's like, I really don't want to leave you and your family. Uh, in this hostile environment. And, and we'll get into Solder City 2004 um, eventually, but that's what happened was like my, my, my squadron commander's translator got killed because we left. And the next unit didn't give a, the next unit didn't properly secure uh, certain areas for them. So all that year that this dude was looking out for my commander, we just hung him out to dry, man. You know, that that leaves a bad taste in your mouth about what we're doing in this world. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, and I, I've heard you guys talk about it. I trained up. <laughs> I tra and yeah, it's rough. It is. Um, What I was going to say is there in 2007, in between 2007, 2008, Major um, Prosser wrote a, a, a document uh, talking mm -hmm. about um, mimetic warfare, or at least meme warfare centers, um, being outlined and distributed across Marine Corps forces. Um, of course, it was never implemented because it's very difficult to master a craft like that, especially whenever we don't have a proper understanding of the cultural, um, oh, oh, we don't have the cultural awareness piece or the cultural sense-making piece. Right. So I can't read Russian. I can't read uh, Mandarin. Yeah. Um, the amount of time it took for us to learn Arabi and, 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 and Farsi and Darwi to understand those narratives. And then, oh my goodness, the pipeline, everything was about the kinetics aspect. It, very little of it was very little influence was, was um, emphasized. And now that I know narrative centric um, 
you know, operations, everything is influence, you know, from, from us flipping off or throwing bottled waters or whatever the fuck we're doing, everything yeah. is, is influence. And we didn't, you know, maybe some of the more violent kinetic aspects of it would have been mitigated had we known that maybe not. Um, it's very difficult, especially, you know, if you come in my neighborhood and you're all tacked up, you know, yeah. I'm going to ask questions. And if I don't like what I hear, right. then, you know, well, all right, so, well. So, Jose, what you just described, okay, is the United States coming in, dropping troops on, troops and equipment on the ground, and don't go on door to door with guns saying, hey, we're here to help. When we have, when we have a history of being colonized in their in their view right in their view colonizers killers uh remote killers like you know bombs just drop from the sky the sky and my cousins get killed you know um cowboys whatever the reputation is of the united states you see it firsthand and oh by the way you're sitting there going hey trust us yeah don't don't look at my gun <laughs> don't worry about that you know and uh that is that is what an IO officer is up against, right? Mm. You know, 82nd, very good at kicking indoors and clearing stuff, blowing shit up, great at it. But now you want to take a knee and not, you know, cordon and knock? What? Okay. All right. You you're asking you're asking your your pit bull that was trained violently now to sit quietly in the corner. And be your lap dog. Doesn't work well. Doesn't work well when you try to transition out of that lifestyle. Dude, let's let's do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. I yeah. Many, many and many nights, man. You know, I was watching something the other day. A psychologist was talking about dream uh, interpretation. And he said, you know, <clears throat> he said, if you want to know the best indication of someone's like if, if something's like wrong or or off or whatever. Um, you know, like bottled up emotions, something like that. Said sometimes you can tell when somebody gets drunk and he, he, they turn into a different person. You're like, yeah, they got some things they need to deal with, right? But in your dreams, he says you will describe what emotion you wo you woke up in. Man, the other night I had a dream I was in a knife fight. Okay, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, the night before that I had a dream I was in on the side of a mountain somewhere back in the army <laughs> in some suck school, and just like ah, ooh, ah. <laughs> You know, and you wake up and you're like amped up and you're like, ah, yeah. And you're like, mm. so, you know, um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's different. There, yeah. Very different. And I do have some, I have some commentary and probable solutions of, of how we might go about that. The issue, I think in the grand scheme of things, especially as we near some of these, um, like timeline indicators like 2030 2045 especially 2027 mm. um and i say 2027 because er everything that i've read so far and all the strategists that i've come across um the ccp is going to be at its most comparable power to the united states by 2027 and xi jinping is not getting any younger mm. and you know the we so that is like the optimal time frame for them to make some massive moves across uh, the domains in right. order to instantiate attack or at least um, envelop Taiwan once again. And so I fear, I fear 
um, in part because having we you know we've experienced combat, we've seen what what fourth fourth gen fifth gen type war fighting does, and I can't imagine the the level of lethality that's going to take place if a full scale attack happens. Like it's going to be the end of the world. And correct. Say one side does win. Can you imagine the shock? Yeah, nobody wins. Right. No, nobody. So here's here's the other thing that I think about, and I and I'm and like you guys, I take some of these issues to bed with me. Sometimes I try not to. I have I have learned to limit my news intake because yeah, yeah. again, as as that former lifestyle, <clears throat> had to be on the pulse of the world, you know, wherever we or wherever we were going, and the history of and the culture of. And uh, you said something very significant and reminded me of my friend Ed, who speaks seven languages. And he goes, you know, the baggage of culture comes with language. Uh, you know, I'm like, <laughs> it was pretty heavy because, hell, I grew up in Germany. And, and like, I know German culture better than some Germans that were that they were like, yeah, my, my dad's German, but we moved. And da, da, da. I was like, dude, I've been to Germany four times for at least two years each time or two or more years each time. Right. So. Yeah, kind of, kind of understand Germans, you know, and speak a little bit, and kind of know the baggage, right? So if we went to conflict, I would be like, "Oh yeah, you need to push on that nerve right there." Hmm. Yeah, and and that's the kind of stuff that that we we study. We want to, you know, what's that magic button, man? That I can push and make this society gain traction for us, get away from that thing, support us, whatever it is, you know. So, you know. I'm not on this podcast. I will. I probably will not get into that whole uh, the food fights <clears throat> between the psych, psych, psychological operations, um, uh, <clears throat> folks, and us, because PSYOP wanted to take over, um, or now MISO, Military Information Support Operations, wanted to take over IO, Special Operations wanted to take over IO, Phil uh, Hillary wanted to take over IO. Um, what? Yes, because of the targeting cycle, right? Mm -hmm. And they those guys understand targeting. Mm -hmm. So, so if I can, if I get, it's, like, it's kind of like that whole, you know, um, what was the movie with Bruce Willis, Armageddon? Do you train the Do you train the diggers to be astronauts, or you train the astronauts to be diggers? Okay. So. Yeah, it's and that kind of everything you're saying is kind of made like i i just sit here and shake my head because i'm connecting dots on like things that have happened and, and it, to me it's like what what comes first right the mission or the intel yeah does the end state come first or are you gathering information to move the ball forward before or, or is someone just making a decision hey i want this done yeah. now we collect now we you know because afghanistan in 09 we're 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 moving inches. We're not moving yards, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, football fields. And it's like everything as us, me, Jose guys out there working yeah. in the field are like coming back debriefing. We're getting nowhere with these people. Right. All we're doing is finding bombs, digging them up. This plan yeah. is not working. Yeah. You're and telling us, you're telling us that we're the, we're on the precipice of full, full on pumping this country full of hitters or drawn back. And it's like, after seven month cycle, six month cycle, we're like, dude, we got really nowhere. We did some damage, but, and then now we're, we're just open the floodgates and let the boys do work. It's like, dude, how are you? Everything we told you 
you know, told the commanders about what's happening out here, you're not out here with us. So I know you got, you know, your guys sneaking in and out and influencing certain things, but grand scheme of things, this is, this is a, this is a, you know, not a good plan, but it, it seems like that didn't matter. Right. And, and it, it is very frustrating. It's, it's also very frustrating when you're in, in inform and influence activities and you have your strategic level communication, you know, um, was it operational and tactical, but at the strategic level, man, especially some of these, some of our politicians, they get on TV and say this shit that we got to deal with at this level. Yeah. Dude, it's a freaking hornet's nest down here because you said X, Y, and Z. Well, you're, you're, your president said we're in a shithole country. Yeah. Let's have a riot. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, geez, you know, it, and this goes before, as far back for me to my first deployment, which was to Cuba for migrants. Wow. And this was, this was, you know, 1995. And I'm like, okay. And we're, we're taking all the, um, we're taking anything, all the rocks, softball size and, and, and smaller out of the camp. So that the CBs can come in build the hooches and we can now have these migrants in here. Um, I worked in an all male migrant camp and you know, the shit that I saw in there is in the book. <laughs> But, you know, we did have a whole hooch full of um, heishis, and that was fun, right? Because then you see all these other dudes that aren't going there yeah. at 2 o'clock in the morning and then saying, hey, I'm not gay, <laughs> which is kind of interesting to me. This is 95? So you're there, and you're watching, like, Clinton <laughs> or whoever on TV, and you hear these dudes saying the shit that Clinton's saying. Yeah. I'm like... Okay, <laughs> dude, you can't you can't make this shit up. No, no. And, and I and you know, because you know as well as I do, we, it's a more it's a darker thing, like in Afghanistan, because <laughs> some of those dudes that were helping us out, you know, he's a pedophile. Yeah, oh, you freaking know. They would tell you. A lot of them <laughs> would tell you. You're like, yeah. dude, yeah. Uh, women are women are for babies. Yeah. That guy over there, yeah. he's for the fun. All right. right. That little boy with the red hair, his hair's dyed red. Yeah. We freaky freaky and stuff. Like you're like, dude. Don't tell me this because I'm I'm about to get charged. Yeah. 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 And then it's like, yeah, we'll give you fifty thousand dollars to repair your school. Or we'll uh yeah, my guys will come out and you know be covered by your guys and we'll go out. Shoot. Let me tell you about my first deployment to Iraq. And I know we're skipping right. I'm sorry. Well, let me let me let me ask you this, Brian. Um, you've seen the evolution across two two wars, and and a bunch of other smaller wars. I I wouldn't even consider Iraq or Afghanistan a war. It, it's more armed conflicts. Um, the last war we had was seventy years, eighty years ago, World War Two. Um, and there's a I think there's an undertone question that I, that I want to ask, and, and that is, what and maybe it goes back to what you said, you know, the, the level of bureaucracy and policy makers and making that until this question is, how is it that we in the battle space accomplish the mission, meaning that we kicked their asses? Yes, they got some too, but we failed in the overall strategic goal. Mm, strategic losses and tactical wins. Yeah, I mean, 
that that it's it's tough, man. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating. And to your question, what was your your actual direct question? Not again. Um, my direct my my actual question is is what what were the signs? I mean, I I can't. You know, I was only in eighth grade whenever nine eleven happened, and mm. I was I was at McDonald's when I saw the invasion take place in Iraq, mm. and I didn't even know Afghanistan had kicked off in two thousand one. So the so understanding the the human psychology of of Americans at that time was very much patriotic. There's very little um, contrary narratives being played out. You know, is it good for us to enter these wars? I think mm -hmm. in my studies now, going back and analyzing Rumsfeld's speech. There was a massive um, uh, warning sign, you know, that if we hunker down in Afghanistan, that uh, it's going to be bad for us. And I just don't get how we spent eight trillion, almost nine trillion dollars on these wars. Yeah, I've I heard I've heard you speak of that before, uh, and I I think where you're going is how do we get a better return on investment? Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I would really like to think, I think what happens, and I've seen it happen too, is that group think, man, that group think will kick your ass, right? Hey, that's a great idea, sir. And there's no one willing in that room to go, hold on, folks, hold on. Yeah. You know, one of the things when I was an intelligence analyst, I was an E5, and we were talking about, um, oh gosh, it was kind of an, kind of an offshoot of the it was pre-Black Hawk Down stuff we were we were dealing with. And it was like they were having these crowds and stuff and it's I think it was Somalia, but don't, don't quote me. It was someplace south uh, in in Africa or on the uh Horn of Africa. And uh and for crowd control, they they remember that these kids, these as kids, they're disciplined with sticks, like these long sticks. And when they had these these riots, they didn't do that. And they began to bring these sticks back out. Crowd calms down. How do I know something like that going into a country that could be the key to settling that thing? You know, and and to kind of give you a little bit more reassurance. So working with working, you know, with SOF and CIA and, and others, it's like there are people looking at this. OK, I mean, I, I was tell, I was talking to the CIA dude on the other day at the bar and you know we're just shooting shit and i'm like yeah um remember salamani and he was like yeah i was like when i was at cybercom that was my guy okay and, and you know i sat on my computer and i'm i can see all of you know all the things right yeah and uh when, when you work with those task forces and teams and dev group and you know others you get a little bit more reassurance, I think. I feel a little bit better. If I had not spoken to them, I'd feel like, you know, what are we doing? You know, but what it comes down to is policy. And uh, yeah, you're not even supposed to be in that country. Mm -hmm. um, and misunderstanding of the culture, egocentric, sociocentric. Oh, we can just install democracy in, in Iraq. Can you though? Or does do you want Iraq to look like America or or what? Because I mean, it seems like if if folks don't look like America, then they got a problem with it, and they, and it, and then the U.S. has a problem with it, and they know that. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's possible to make 
anybody who you want them to be. It's just how much are you willing to give, right? right? Yeah. yeah. How much are you willing to give them? I can make you be exactly like me if I just give it all to you. Yeah. Yeah. So if I me... strip, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. I wanted to reverse the question because I know you guys do this a lot. And you talk to people in warfare and PTSD and, you know, strategic implications and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, how, I think I lost my question, but it's, you've noticed the trends. How do we, I don't know where I was going with this. I was going with the warfighter after the war and his advice to those that will fight future wars. So I'm in this situation right now where my son's a captain, okay? And, and believe me, even if my son wasn't a captain, I'd still be like, man, my people are out there, you know, my brothers and sisters are out there. Um, what, where I've come to in, in my, with all my training and all that stuff, you know, is we're better without war, right? I mean, that's a, that's a, it's an easy one, but how do we get there? <clears throat> and I just don't think, you know, it comes down to as simple as one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. I don't think we've, I don't think we, we have examined that close enough. And, and it, again, egocentric, sociocentric, how do you, how do you view me? How I want to be seen, how I'm seen and how you actually see me. Right. And that was in a marketing book. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we have the answers. There's, there's limited limiting factors, of course, right. That's in your plan, but we've also had historical evidence on how to handle these problems, and we have not. Henry Kissinger writes a book called On China. There is the there is the algebraic formula equation on how to handle China in that book. You know, yeah, I was just I was just talking about this, you know, yesterday with my brother. You know, it's like everywhere I'm off the news, the main most of the mainstream stuff too, but it's like. I'm already feeling that they're priming everybody for, for war with China. Like you can, you can find it everywhere. Yeah. And I'm just sitting here saying, why? No, we don't need to do this. This is bad for everyone, but it's like yeah. everywhere you go, they just, and they're so in, and I'm not a fan of China, CCP, anything, you know, Jose and, and a lot of other guys was opened my eyes a little bit more on that, but it's like, this is so unnecessary, but it seems inevitable. Like yeah. that's what they want. And you're like, and I think to backpedal a little bit and, and, you know, I really think it's important to understand, you know, how you look at the people around you, right? Your your peer groups, your team groups, anything you're in, are they, are they your competition you know, you're down at the fire team level. Are the people in your fire team your team members? Do you have one common goal or are they your competition? Are right. you trying to exceed, you know, over them? Are you are you willing to step on them to elevate yourself? And and that's just, you know, you're we're talking about military groups. That's that's everything. That's civilian groups. Are you looking at your coworkers like they're your team, you know? Yeah. Or are they your competition? Because the big problem, I think, with a lot of people, and I know on this platform, you know, the reach can go as far as it can go. But it's like one thing I've thought about lately is, 
who we're taking advice from, right? And and I've kind of developed a a personal plan to no longer take advice from people I don't personally know, right? Because you you can look online, you can look on social media. There's a lot of motiv motivating figures with great track records as mm -hmm. far as they they broadcast them, and it's like. But is your advice, is your influence, is that your, is that a business to you? Is your bottom goal making money off of somebody? Because I don't think that's genuine advice. Sure, you can, it's not a problem to look up to any figure, right? Celebrities, whoever you want. But, you know, if the bottom, if, if, if their advice, if the bottom line is, is, you know, is this a profitable business for them? Is this their livelihood? Then, then how far should we take this? How far should I invest myself into in into buying into the shit you're telling me? Right. You know, um, we I think we we've all been through enough to probably realize that the real answers are in the mirror. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They're in the mirror. They're absolutely. not. They're not this, looking. Yeah. This is a large Gordian knot, right? <laughs> so, and because it's all connected, and we see the problem. But we don't want to start unraveling this thing because that's the way we've always done it, right? Right? It's it's like it comes down to me. It's to me, it's a working group, right? In my working group, I don't want to hear this is the way we've always done it. Get out of my meeting hmm. and send me somebody who wants to innovate, you know, and and improve and sees how how this machine works. That's my whole deal. As hell, as an IO guy, figure out how the system works and where yeah. to break it. As a strategist, same deal. How to improve it, or whatever, or what to eliminate. Yeah, and that's and that's why you take it to bed. That's the burden of a problem solver, a natural problem solver, not you know somebody that's trained to look at something a certain way. You're doing it yourself, and that's what you need more of. Like at the top, the decision makers are they should they should be required to be problem solvers, right? And have a track record of oh, yeah. making calculated decisions that hopefully end up favorable right like yeah. uh, conflict resolution i mean um you know all, all I, I hate to make it seem like io dudes were this end all you know grand wizard jedi master whatever but i'm saying you had to have your eye on almost everything was an opportunity okay everything was an opportunity and uh to make you look good you know, to make you look bad, whatever it is, make the bad guys look bad. Um, yeah. And we're not even going to get into the whole, you know, I covered it, but I'm going to start it. I'm trying to stay focused here, Jose. I really am. <laughs> but um, uh, <laughs> it's just, there's so many things that are connected. And while you were talking, Tyler, I was saying, um, when I advise people and I go out in the world and I say, hey, I heard this, I watched this, I use three sources of, of, of three sources is my rule. I use the rule of three because nowadays, man, you know, I can turn on my TV and, and just be shown stuff that only I want to see. Yeah. All, all I want to hear, all you're going to show me, your algorithm on Facebook is feeding me stuff that only I'm tuned in for. And I guarantee that algorithm has problems with me. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm I looking like at, look, I'm looking at Jordan Peterson. I'm looking at, sure. uh, um, what's that young yeah, not not the young Turks? There's Charlie Charlie Turk or Charlie Kirk, whatever his name is. I look at all them dudes because I want to know what they're saying. Yeah, you know, 
just like I used to used to read and watch the videos. Um, and hey, you know, I had to put myself in that that space of a terrorist that's chopping up a dude on a freaking YouTube video with a machete. I, I need to watch it. Yes. I'm sorry. I I need to take that in. I need to understand that mentality. Yep. Um, something else you said is the way that I view myself now, and I, and I view myself as a citizen of the world, man. And 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 it's just like your fire team. If the fire team is comprised of like, you know, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, whatever it is, Africans, if you're viewing yourself as a citizen of the world, then we have much to learn from each other mm -hmm. and much more in common than we have different. Um, and, and when you start <laughs> as a strategist, and I hate to call myself a strategist, but I was in strategy spaces, jobs. And when you look at around the world at some of these things and some of the things we've done, some, some of the things that people have done to themselves, you know, we could go as far back as the Catholic church, but we're not going, I don't know if we want to do that on this podcast, but I'm just saying there's a lot of problems that, that, that has caused throughout the world. A lot of good things happen from it. You know, we talk about the Roman roads, you know, Rome built a bunch of roads, Christianity spread better, quicker. Mm -hmm. So, Cascading effects. I heard I heard people say all the time second and third order effects. Man, I've had a I had a whole 30-minute discussion on that shit in school. Okay, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm just gonna say same, same. First and first and second order effects, cascading effects. All right. And I've argued it down in writing plans too. And you know who had the most problems with when I was writing my plans, my my campaign plan in Cybercom? Mar4 Cyber. Marine forces, huh? Marine they, forces, cyber. What? What did have? Why did they have problems? Because it was again good and bad. But man, y'all are known to be tactical, tac tactically sound, and it showed, or I should say, doctrinally sound, uh, with tactics attached to that. Does that make sense? Kind of like that, you know, strategic operational tactical level, and yet doctrinally very sound. So when I would write something, and this is how I got to be a humble man, okay? <laughs> I got humbled. Because imagine, let's just say I wrote I wrote a report on, I don't know, Iran. That report goes out to the whole intelligence community, the whole DOD, and they have to <laughs> respond to it. This is for real. It's called a comments response matrix, a CRM. This is my life as a staff officer now. I send my product out basically my baby and then y'all gonna tell me how ugly my baby is or not basically and we we collect all those responses from cia from fbi from oh, man i mean like the follow the money people uh you know and then the other side of the, the other side of the building the nsa bubbas are writing stuff against me and whatever you know and um and we have to put that all together send it to my boss so my boss can read it and be like hey are you are you stupid or not uh, so yeah, man, and it has, and it com it's comprised of the the minor, uh, major, and critical um, issues, right? Hey, you need to change this to plural. You need to do what? Hey, okay, but major and critical comments came mainly from the Marines. <laughs> Which I'm gonna tell you this. I'm gonna tell you this. It made me a better staff officer, okay? And it made me a better man because, man, as I said. I put my product out there and y'all it's your job to hack it up in front of the whole IC and DOD. 
and, and other agencies. Yeah. So I got humbled real quick. And oh, by the way, I had to be intimately familiar with the 350 uh, page campaign plan. It's top secret SCI with Alphabet City after it. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. That's too much. Can't take that home. Can't take that home. Yeah. <laughs> late, late nights. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you this. And I know, again, I'm jumping around, but it's kind of relevant. And I try to all connect it all, <laughs> make it spaghetti. But um, 350 page document I can't take home. I need to be intimately familiar with. Okay. Which, you know, I had that capacity at one point, but here comes PTSD. You know, uh, here comes, you know, the, the, the ramifications of using, um, what is that? Ambien? Mm-hmm. It's 2004. Now it's uh, 2013. I'm sitting in Cybercom and I'm starting to get stupid. Yeah. Ser- seriously. I mean, and and I I didn't know how to handle that. I was one of those dudes that was like, yeah, PTSD. That's what I'm doing. I can't hack it. I ain't soft like that. Uh, and and yeah, I was losing my capacities, man. One of my strongest assets, you know, is my mind. And, yeah. you know, while I was physically fit before, I mean, but my mind was is my asset, man. I, you know, I've always been in you know, a top 20% of whatever. Distinguished military graduate, North Carolina scholar, honor society, president of my class, eighth, eighth grade. You know, a nat- just natural leading shit. You know, seven of the eight weeks in basic training. I was a platoon guy, you know. So everything to me, and that's why that's why I wanted to write a book. It was like everything came together in the right way, not how I wanted it, but over time it was like, okay, so your personality, you're an INFJ. INFJ, according to Myers-Briggs, men, 1% of the population, the rarest Myers-Briggs. I didn't know, I didn't know that information until I started teaching it in, in uh, the schoolhouse, which we do apply the Myers-Briggs test. Not not to see who's suited for the job, but to see about all the personalities that are out mm-hmm. there and what their touch points are. That's why we do that. But it's good to, good to know yourself, absolutely. And and what I began to figure out is, man, you know what? I'm more of the guy that needs to sit in the back and watch this whole thing unfold. And then I can go, yeah, that's fucked up. And here's why. Yeah. And not, not a complainer, right? And and I, if you look at my life, all the things that I that I that I bitched about in the past, I do something about, you know, just like being on the board of directors for the Cape Fear Veterans Resilience Project, and you know, passion and purpose is helping soldiers. I do, and and military folks, not just soldiers. I'm sorry, um, and and not having them go through what I went through. Don't do this. Do you know the difference between a smart and a wise man? I start my conversations off like that with a lot of PTSD people. And and they go, I don't know. Well, smart person learns from their mistakes. A wise person learns from the mistakes of others. So you don't have to waste your time and effort and resources. I was a very smart man for a long time. And I don't think until I, I retired and then I resigned from DISA, from government service of the GS-13, step 10, uh, that I became a wise man. And 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 each one of those statements, man, especially that resigning from DISA, oh, there's a story behind that one. There's a chapter in the book mm. because I retired out of there uh, from a hostile work environment. So, which having PTSD didn't help. That was 
and and oh, so I'm an insomniac. That's what most of my PTSD is. Take medication for that, and then I, you know, the Lexapro out there for the SSRI. You probably better off with that acronym. You know, they start to lose me after a while and go, "Hey, SSRI does this, 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 and this." I describe it as this. When I'm reading this 350-page uh, top secret plan, that I have to be familiar with. While I'm trying to sleep, be intimate. Get up in the morning, do PT while I'm running, while I'm riding my bike. Is I hear about 25 violins being played poorly, noise, all the time. Anxiety, depression. And when I was given an SSRI for the first time, that I said, you know what? I've been avoiding drugs for years. Let me try. I did that. It took about 30 to 60 days to really kick in the way it's supposed to, because I don't know if you've either experienced this or heard people talk about how, like, <laughs> you take this and you're more likely to commit suicide. You're a little more likely to gain weight, da 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 that stuff. Yeah. So I went through that. I had a, a friend of mine, we did a men's trip, all military dudes, all army dudes, but they're, you know, close, close group of friends go out, take a men's trip. Uh, during that trip, um, my best friend, he goes, man, you hit me too hard. You were doing this. I don't remember that. On the drive back, which was six hours, he said for three of that, those six hours, you were kicking my seat. Mm. Just being an asshole. And I was like, I have no recollection of this. I have no recollection. And I know there were spots in my, in, in my memory and in my performance while I was at DISA. And it began, well, before DISA, it began somewhere around my last deployment, 2011, 2012. At my first panic attack, and I didn't know what was going on. And you talking about like machismo, you know, put my chest, put you know, in a hundred push-ups, you know, run my, you know, two miles under twelve minutes, and all this kind of stuff is like, what is going on? Am I having a heart attack? Yeah. My my girlfriend that was stationed in Germany with me had just broken up with me. She was getting stationed in Italy. That's why she was. We weren't stationed together or whatever. And some dude starts calling me. And I mean, my life was just, you know, I just got back from a deployment, starting a new job. I didn't feel like myself. I'm having these weird, you know, things going on. I had a friend of mine stay the night one time, came to wake me up. I got up, got my weapon and cleared my house. Didn't even think about it. And they were like, uh, never like, again. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is real shit. You know, and I, I think I, I think it was either your podcast or another one I was listening to. It's like, man, th there's some Black Hawk Down shit going on. Did I just live through that? <laughs> you, you know, it's just it's just it's just weird. You know, and you don't know what to do with that. Some of that's the stuff you see. I mean, uh, you know, I, I'll get into my worst day in in Iraq uh, if if you want. When we go there, that's fine. But I can tell you. It, it wasn't it wasn't enemy fire uh it wasn't an, an ied uh it was when we were uh, my first deployment we got extended after the whole Saudi city blow up and the other stuff that was going on Karbala and all that um and and we so we we moved from from Saudi city we spent like maybe three or four days there after all the shit started and we moved down to al Qut to the CPA building, which was being manned by special ops guys. And they were getting like 
pending over being overrun. All right. On the on the ride down, hey, anybody with a black suit and a yellow sash, shoot them. That's Mahdi Army. Okay. So inevitably, as a convoy starts to go and you're moving a whole squadron, <laughs> they're going to start to say, hey, trucks are coming through. And they keep coming through. Oh, shit, let's start shooting at them. So there was that. Uh, yeah, but so all that happened. We get to Alcut, things quiet down. Now it's time to go home. And there's a myriad of other stories in there. I mean, and you know the deal. So we're rolling from Alcut to Kuwaiti border, you know, getting down to, what is it, Doha? And uh, like, unlike nowadays, you can just step on an, an aircraft, you know, put your shit on. You know, we got all these bases all over. But anyway, back then, had, had to drive your shit back down to the port. We did on the drive. I'm, of course, TC, uh, my driver. Uh, we're, we're behind a, a five ton, deuce and a half, five ton, uh, towing a howitzer. All right. <clears throat> And you know, <laughs> you know how this works, where it's like shit goes down, and you're like, everything slows down. I, I heard the 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 truck screech brakes, the howitzer spins around, hits the truck. Three soldiers were in the back of that truck. Two of them fly off the highway. One of them gets caught between the howitzer and the truck. Instead of having to go home, going home, you know, nice little time. Hey, we're going home in Doha, you know. In Kuwait, we're having a freaking funeral service, you know. And I'm, oh, and on the road, I'm, I, of course, I'm the Sigo, so I got the freaking Thraya and so all the shit, sat phone, you know. And of course, when I get nervous, I talk really fast. Hey, slow down. <laughs> My school is like, he's like, he's like, Captain, slow down. I'm like, this is what happens. Yeah. So worst day. Uh. I think top three would be, again, not enemy fire. Two months in, I'm the new Sigo because the other Sigo got wounded. I guess it was time to go, or and he got wounded. I don't know. Something happened where he was cringing and he ported John. Okay, so guess what happens when a new Sigo comes in? I get his stink on me just by wearing the freaking, you know, just by being the Sigo. <laughs> So, you know, people are like, hey, you're going to you're going to do like the previous thing, you know, just joking. You know how dudes do. Yeah. My section people were doing that. It was like, you OK, sir? You you good? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm getting shot in high school. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, so two months in, we're training the ICDC at the time. You remember that term, that that description of the Iraqi police and and army ICDC? Mm-mm. No, okay. I just we know IA and IPs. <laughs> Fair enough. That same thing. Okay, so at the time, our base, you know, our fobs right here, their fobs in the back. Uh, they're out on a mission, going out to the range or something. Coming back from the range, um, two trucks on the side of the road. Again, you know, personnel carrying. One truck in back of the other. I do that. <laughs> okay, soldiers sitting in the back of this truck. This truck right here with the hood up, my soldier is in there trying to figure out what the problem is with this truck that has broken down. What do you know about uh, weapons discipline among the IA and IP? Yeah. <laughs> Non-existent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I laugh at the time, but it's not really, I mean, it's not, but it, okay. Uh, negligent discharge, two shots. Yeah. 
from an AK-47, one right in the sappy plate right here, one through the ribs, and it came out through his neck. Oh, so, so two months in, I got a soldier that's in the hospital. I'm already undermanned. Uh, and now I, I got to figure out who I'm going to send now to go train with the Iraqi ICDC. That maybe I could lose. And, and I can tell I can't afford to lose anybody. First of all, what I did have was a level of tactical and technical proficiency that I had to choose from. Tough decisions, man. You know, and I, I talk to people all the time about that are in corporate. It's like, what kind of decisions are you making? You know what I'm saying? All right. And you get paid $100,000 a year. All right, that's great. But, you know, it, which, which leads me into the whole thing of, you don't know what you're getting when you get a veteran, right? And, and I think people have taken that into a negative connotation, like taking time bomb type shit. No, I'm talking about you don't understand the diversity and 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 like just yeah that, dude that was it's your full-time job that was my additional duty and i had three other ones yeah you know they don't understand they don't really get that and then it's hard when you so for me making the transition 2015 you guys don't even understand what i do anymore i'm good i'm out retire go over to dissa huh let me ask you this how long does like a a military dude stay in command. Two, three years. Two years yeah. The same thing with three and four star commands, like a NSA or a DISA or or some of the other ones. And his vice or that civilian SES that's there, he's probably been there for 20, 30 years. I have seen firsthand. SES doesn't like the new commander or director. We're we're slow rolling his shit. Right. He won't even know it. Smile on your face. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I watched it happen. Okay. I watched, I watched people work harder on trying to get out of work because I'm a GS 12 and I've been doing this for 20 years and they can't fire me. So blah, blah, blah. Now you can fire a GS employee. It's very difficult. I tried. It's very difficult. Okay. Cause here's the thing. And we kind of do it in the, in the military, but not as much. But it's like, hey, you're a piece of shit. You don't mm -hmm. know your job. Da, 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 da. Now I got to put you as, you as your supervisor. I got to put you on a performance improvement plan for 90 days. How did you do in that plan? Well, you did okay. And now you're messing up again. So now I got to put you on another performance improvement plan and maybe move you somewhere else. And then you start messing up there and see how this cycle continues. Yeah. Okay. And I've seen it firsthand. And, and I was like, I'm not down with this. And I was in a hostile work environment. And I saw favoritism. And my OIC was sleeping with one of the free, the other GS-13s, who was a Marine, by the way. I'm sorry. I had to tell that Marine, I said, when I was in that uniform, and I wore a uniform, I said, my behavior was above reproach most of the time. <laughs> but something like that, when the director and the senior SES and the vice are saying stuff like, yeah, we know about them. Don't worry about it. And her and her husband is the commander of the the, the MI unit down the street. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, man, full bird colonel. So yeah. you know, it is what it. Hey, man, and, and you know from that experience, because I won that lawsuit. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they could they could they could. 
I got paperwork that says I won't, but whatever. Um, it made me better. Uh, it was it was soul crushing, but it made me better in terms of appreciating the things that really count. And uh, I'm just doing my my art from retiring to working in some you know DISA to um, to resigning because again, all all you have to do as a civilian employee to quit. I resigned, emailed to HR, emailed to my boss. Mm. And I walked up out of that place. <laughs> and I was, you know, here, I'm gonna rewind. No, no, I, I don't know if I want to do that yet. But I but here it culminated in me being escorted out of the building at one point. Which which is relevant to the whole PTSD thing. I don't know if I've ever seen red as much as that moment. Because now, after all these things that have happened to me, because they let her, give me a counsel, letter of counseling, letter of reprimand, and then now you're suspending me, all based on some shit. I mean, like, okay, I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to, I know I'm all over, I'm sorry, Jose, I'm really... No, 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 this, this is good, um, because again, I can break it up, um, okay. and after this, we can, we can go, I, I want to tap into Iraq. Fair enough. And but so it's fine, don't worry about it, don't worry I'll about it. I'll do it real quick. Basically... Got into an altercation with that one GS-13 I told you about that was sleeping with the OIC. Yeah. Hey, what happened between you and her? What do you mean? I'm like, because this was five to ten seconds of interaction, okay? Whatever happened, I went for a walk because I was like, yeah, I just need to cool off because this is bullshit, but whatever. And, uh, hey, come to the office. Boss wants to talk to you. It's my GS-14 supervisor. And the lieutenant colonel, and they're saying things like, "Big guy, little girl, you know, have you ever been told you're intimidating?" Da 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 da. They ever, they said everything but big black angry guy. Okay, was she white? She was. Hmm. All right, you know, I mean, hey, <laughs> and I can't, I was like, I can't believe I'm like on an episode of freaking, uh, I don't know, <laughs> I'm in a cartoon or something. So anyway. That that comes that yeah that developed into me being the guy that got isolated oh what did he do what did he do oh write that shit up write it up okay and eventually yeah uh hey give us your your badge and your, and your laptop and we're gonna escort you out i was pissed i have never been that guy okay i've been to jail once but whatever <laughs> it was just one night okay uh um and I, I was pissed. I lost my shit. Dude, three o'clock in the morning, I was sitting outside his house with my gun and my and my katana. Okay. Because katana, when you're using a sword, that's just personal. I was I was raised a little different. I, uh, I was raised a little different. I was I was raised a martial artist. So I was like, I lean back and something like mm -hmm. on my Facebook it says never give a sword to a man who can't dance. So anyway, that has everything to do with the Ways of Bushido, the ways of a, the warrior being one that is cultured and appreciating the humanities and poetry and nature and things. So that's what that's why I have that on there. But yeah, that night, three o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting there. I got my I got my gun and I got my sword, and I'm thinking I'm gonna shoot the dog and take this sword to his ass. That's that was that's all I was thinking about. I opened up the door on my car, on my my Land Rover at the time. But that's a whole different chapter. Anyway, I, I opened the door 
and this vision of my granddaughter hits my forehead. Okay. Like, do you want your granddaughter to tell this story about how you went crazy and killed some damn Marine and fuck with you at work? Hmm. I went home uh, and um, trying to think, what was it? Oh, yeah. And I got, I had another job. I was a contractor for the NSA. I was a station chief. And then they, they had pushed me to the front of the line to get um, my polygraph elevated. Because I already had, you know, a CI poly. I needed a lifestyle poly. And we'll get, maybe we'll get into some of that too. And I, I know we got running, running short on time. I'm long-winded. We might. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm there. They pushed me to the front of the line. And basically, um, they asked you six questions for a lifestyle poly, or maybe five now. And one of those questions was like, you know, have you ever done anything, you know, criminal against the law, blah, blah, blah. I had a full-blown episode at the polygraph. Oh, and, shit. Yeah. I mean, like, told him exactly what I told you. I had cops show up at my house and say, are you okay? Which I'm kind of glad that they did. But, dude, dude, when I walked up, I was so fucked up when I walked out of there. I shook his hand. I was like, hey, thanks. Thanks for all this. I'm good to go. I just cleared my I just cleared my conscience and had a fucking PTSD meltdown in a a, a freaking polygraph section. Thanks. And I'll be keeping my job. Not. So lost my clearance um, based on that. Uh, And it it it, dude, there was already issues with my clearance that DISA had done, right? Which I found out after the fact. I was like, I might not have gotten a clearance anyway. Because they still had uh, a red mark on my clearance form. I didn't. I mean, it's not like you can just call up and say, "Hey, how's my clearance?" You know, you got to go yeah. through a guy and go through a guy. And when you get out as a GS, they, if you go contractor, they have to move your packet over to the contractor side. He never did that. So anyway, um, yeah. So my my arc of 2018 was getting out of Maryland. Fort Meade area, moving somewhere, but it was a farewell tour. 2018 was a farewell tour, right? I was going to see my kids, my grandkids, my mom, while she was still alive. Uh, my, you know, my niece, all the people. And then I was, yeah, I was going to off myself at some point. And I had, I had a plan. So. 2018 was a rough year, man. I was uh, I was transitioning out of that mentality, that ops mentality, thinking, I don't know, it just, it, not that I ever, you know, abstractly didn't want to carry a gun anymore. Mm. It was just so difficult to acknowledge, hey, um, you can't do this fucking forever. Right. And... It, Thank you know, I thank God every day now. Um, I'm in a better place. Yeah. Um to to be here, to be part of my family. Sometimes it gets dull. You know, I still get the the itch. Um one of the reasons why I don't watch as many war movies or um, Oh yeah. Dude. <laughs> oh I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but oh my god, I was watching um smoking aces. Oh, that's a good movie. And that scene snuck up on me, dude. Where they're in the elevator, and he's like, he's like, 
And I'm like, oh shit. And I just, I just went there with it. And I was like, oh fuck. I had a moment and I was like, whoa, that had to happen a long time. Cause I've been pretty good, you know, the therapy and everything. Um, when I got back into therapy after my mom died last two years ago. And, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a lot better, man. I mean, finding a therapist, that's a, that is an intimate search, man. It's almost like finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's like, you got to match up. I can't have a, a, an attractive, um, busty female as my therapist. I just can't, <laughs> that's not gonna work for me. You know, I do better with dude therapists that's probably been in the army or been in combat. Yeah, you know? that an that animal brain takes over. You know, yeah, it, ha it happens. It happens. It happens. It happened to me. I was in I was in uh, Fort yeah, Fort Meade, and I went to the behavioral health, and they were like, "Yeah, go see you know Cindy so and so." And I sit down, and I'm like, I quickly figured out she's a single mom. Oh lord, blonde. You know, she's right up my alley. Put that put that way. And I don't have a type, right? I like I said, I grew up in Germany. I was two years old. You know, in Germany. I'm used to seeing, yeah, you know, I'm used to the majority, put it that way, as sure. a minority. And uh, yeah, it just don't work. <laughs> it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. <laughs> so I had to try a few out. And of course, inevitably, you're moving. So that's another thing that happens with military people that people don't understand. It's like, why do you stop going to the therapy? Because I had a good freaking counselor back in Texas, and now I live in, you know, right. California. So I got to start over. Ugh. Brian, let me ask if you don't mind sharing. I mean, I know it's 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 sometimes hard to to dig deep, I'm but open book, you know, man. you're 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 I'm talking about you you're talking about your farewell tour, and obviously, you know, we're we're through that, you know, that season. So, what what was there a, well, did anything happen that like made you change course or like you know, yeah. it, push it was, through it? Yeah, man, it was it was you guys. Not not you particularly specifically you guys, but it was my brothers and sisters that I was you know that, that I missed the camaraderie, um, and I also have a spirit of service. So it's like I don't want you guys to go through this shit. But I also realized too that I need to fix myself first, and I did a lot of work on me, man. I did a lot of work on me. It was like it's spiritually, physically, you know, I'm still not back physically where I want to be. COVID kicked my ass. Okay. So far as the isolation, yeah. and the, I was up to about 230, two, 230 Damn. pounds, yeah. and I'm back. Well, I actually hit one of my goals. I'm at 210 right now, and and this is the most I've ever weighed in my life, man. I walked around at 185. You know, I did a I did a combatives tournament, found out two days before it, and was like stepped on the scale, 183, no issue. You know, yeah. and it'll ask me to do that now, but uh, yeah. So what was it? It was it was. Um, it was a couple different things in different phases, but mostly the the therapy and and here's a biggie that I tell dudes with PTSD or whatever is like, you can't lie to your therapist, man. Don't lie to your therapist. That's that's just it's probably worse than lying to yourself because now you've built a foundation on lies with this person who's gonna give you feedback based on those lies. That's just toxic, man. So, so my buddy Jeremy, it's, we were in, we were in, you know, Fort Meade together. He was with, you know, one group, you know, and we'd meet up sometimes, you know, cause we were working on some of the same stuff. Hey man, you going to therapy? Yeah. He says, don't lie to your therapist. I was like, what? He's like, yeah. 
because I would leave shit out. I would leave the yeah. shame out. You know, I would I would be cautious about vulnerable stuff. And then I just decided, man, when I was here, I said, I'm letting everything out. I'm letting everything out. And and there's a psychologist out there that says you need to feel the feelings. And as men, I think as men particularly, I think we run from that shit. Mm. And it will catch up to you. And that's why I say I could do a lot of stuff on my own power on on some coffee and anger, mud water or whatever, <laughs> you know, for years actually. But at some point, I'm on it. 2013 was my year that I crashed. I was like, I can't, I can't do this on my own, under my own power anymore. I started studying things like Brene Brown, vulnerability and shame. Um, not yet Jordan Peterson, but I had a lot of authors of self-improvement, self-awareness, you know, how to do better relationships. Um, yeah. And that that helped. I started going to church again, Life Point Church here. Man, they have no idea that you know we used to meet on Wednesday. I hate to get up. I hate getting up early because you know, I don't know if I'm when I'm going to get up sometimes. So it's great to be retired. But anyway, they wanted to meet for coffee before they went to work. I was like, cool. So eight o'clock, we're at coffee shop. Now some of those discussions saved my life. Okay, because because here's the thing is. It's getting to the coffee, right? Mm -hmm. When you're with by yourself, it's like, Shit, I know I should go and hang out, but I don't feel like it. Depression, it has you. <laughs> it's like you don't need to do nothing. Uh, so I would, I would force myself to go and hang out, knowing that I just crawled out of a bottle last night, knowing that you know, sitting next to that bottle is my weapon, you know, and and thoughts of that, whatever. So all. All the thoughts of any type of suicide subsided, for, uh, probably for sure. And this is pretty recent, July of last year. Um, wow. And and we we we'll get into that. But basically, I was in the bounce house for a while. Yeah. Uh, it was too much. I was missing my mother. I had just seen on TV. I woke up because I don't sleep with the news on no more. But I woke up at about two o'clock in the morning watching a clip of some, I think it was a Republican or a Democrat, it doesn't even matter. Some senator or congressman was going, yeah, we're not going to approve that whole burn pit thing. And I was like, really? They eventually did, right? But I, all I could think about was my son. And like he goes off to a conflict, gets fucked up, and now your country's not going to take care of you? You know, that's how I felt. At the time. I mean, it felt worse for him, but I also felt like, shit, I'm just I'm just a freaking ball bearing in the big cog machine, man. I got it. But still, he, and, and it was I had just taken a trip and got rejected by this chick that I knew who she was a different person. And she's accused me of being a narcissist. And I'm like, wait a minute. Narcissistic tendencies and narcissism are not the same thing. Because, <laughs> I mean, anybody can pick and choose on labels. But anyway, um. Yeah. It wasn't a good visit. Missing mom, you know, missing my brother, missing my dad, you know, all these things come in, them demons, man, they'll hit you hard. And of course I was drinking, you know, and, and I had an edible and all that kind of stuff. But it's not the, it's not the, it's not the drinking and the edibles. It's the, it's the ability to be able to focus and say, okay, what are my coping mechanisms? I know I have anxiety, depression. I'm doing myself a disservice if I don't go out and take a walk. Yeah. Okay. 
the tools and techniques is really what you need in those times of darkness. I look when I was in the in the bounce house, man. I made a list of all the things that bring me joy, and it was a long ass list. But we're we're, we're fighting we're fighting uphill, man. This this battle of the mind is is an uphill one because you know in studying things and you know it's like hell a day a person has three thousand to six thousand thoughts, seventy percent of which are negative. There's a dude named Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm-hmm. You've heard of him, Gary V. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gary V. He's, yeah. he's like a he's like a violent positivist. <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah, how to describe a... it. It's like it's like it's like everything is about hey, you're fucking you're fucking awesome, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. And when we should be thinking about that, we should be using our social media like that. You know, we should be interacting with each other with each other like that. How can I make you better? How can we win with love? motherfucker <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah yeah i often um in, in writing um the the current manuscript i i always bring up i'm a philosophy guy religion oh. uh, philosophy and religion are are my background mm-hmm. but but i view those as the foundations of of military structure or what they call ontology right which is the existence uh, or the the study of what is and mm-hmm. The Marine Corps adopted, I have it in my notes, I can't remember the specific um, doctrine, but the Marine Corps adopted the Army's uh, manual, um, which were the 14 leadership traits and principles. All the doctrine that the Army created eventually got adopted by the Marine Corps, and then the Marine Corps um, evolved it a little bit. Right. And then when you begin to dissect it and, and read um, like Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, you end up realizing that a lot of it is is parallel to what they're to what they're saying, especially uh, Aristotle's uh, ethics system or virtue ethics system. And so I, I think back to that and some of the more uh, contemporary uh, philosophers that were talking about the end or what they call like neo-Aristotelianism, stuff like that, and how, you know, the mediated era um, has essentially pulverized uh, these these foundational systems and what it means for people. And there's a term that they call like emotivism, um, which standards are essentially becoming uh, incommensurable. There's no reference to a specific space point in time as a result of eliminating all these eras, all these foundations. And so what do people have to stand upon? And I have a, I have a big issue with, so like, for example, um, like the podcast and stuff like that. I don't want guys coming on expecting massive amounts of you know, uh, of content from us, because that's not, that's not experiencing life. It is experiencing life, but life is outside getting your vitamin D, being in the woods, spending time with your family. And and this is why I enjoy long format conversations. This is why I don't monetize this platform. And this is why um, I try to coordinate as much with Polly to not take up his time. It's because this is the same thing this outsourcing of morality and, and life to to others i know others are seeking you know um some type of information some type of of source of, of substance i want them to recognize that this isn't the end all and it shouldn't be the end all it should be a reference point to going back to those earlier foundations and you can't get to those foundations if you're not having uh, a dialectic which is what we're having right now and, and that's experiencing uh, through multiple lenses, uh, what makes the best of us, what makes the worst of us, what gives life to this human existence. And it's different for everybody, but it goes back down to some pretty simple fundamentals. 
And I always go back to um, the 14 leadership traits and principles. I go back to JJ Ditai Buckle. Uh, and more importantly, I go back to um, something that has always been foundational for me. And, and that's not letting down my community, which is the two-way community. Um, right. It's not in my constitution to check out, even though I've been there uh, neurochemically. And 2019 was my breaking point. Mm. Um, but but I recognize that if if I can uphold the, that simple thing, those simple points, those philosophical points, that I'll be okay. And um, and I know it's a it's a it's a it's a big impact because I, I know it's hard to find good sources of information that are not biased and prejudiced, even though uh, ontologically um, it's difficult because everything is of our own experience. Right. So um, my goodness, um, I'm meeting with a philosopher tomorrow to talk about Aristotle and what it has to deal with uh, a term that we call precognition or what we call decision-making. And one of the central tenets of what it is that I'm attempting to do is uh, come up with more, and you might, it might resonate with you a little bit more, but what we call high fidelity, high veracity information that can compete or overwhelm pathogenic information. And why is that important? Well, it's important because like I see on LinkedIn, like I see within certain NatSec community spaces, um, there's this kind of push to utilize softwares in order to eradicate narratives and or platforms as a result of contrarian dialectics, meaning that anything that goes against the mainstream narrative, it's not good uh, for whatever it is that, you know, the the supposed good guys are trying to do. So, for example, I watched... That sounds like a Byzantine emperor's, a Byzantine commander's dilemma. Have you ever heard of that? No. That sounds like what you're saying, what you're talking about. Like, you know the right answers, but implementation is the problem. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so to my, my point is, is that what the hell was I going to say? I'm sorry, Brian, I lost my chain of thought, man. You had, so you were talking about pathogenic thoughts. Uh, I believe that's what the, the term you use. That's right. Um, I was going, I was, yeah. So w- one of the, one of the solutions was, is we want to eradicate everything that's contrary to the supposed narrative and you can't do that. You can't censor people. You're just going to create more fucking terrorists. You're just going to create more insurgencies mm-hmm. as a result of that. So what can you do? And it goes back to what I was saying about philosophy and religion. You read Martin Heidegger is very controversial figure. Uh, he was a Nazi sympathizer. Am I a Nazi sympathizer? Cause I read him. No, I'm simply going back to his kind of self-awakening when he right. began to write about, um, his essays concerning technology. And, and this is what this philosopher that I'm meeting with tomorrow, uh, he made a claim, which is something what, that I found very useful. And I'll get to my point. It said, he said that, um, so one of the claims that I make is that the United States or any Western society or society in general has really never asked, what does a secure mental health look like? And we keep harping about, you know, AI, this adversarial AI, that technology, this technology, that, but here's the thing. Humankind has never been without technological tools. Humankind has always been with tools and no, it wasn't, 
you know, obviously a, a freaking hammer, a rock hammer is not the same as a, you know, laptop and, you know, VPN, but to some degree it is, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and what I'm getting at is we've never asked a question, hey, what is this going to do to others? And that's, that's the point is that we've never asked what does a real biocognitive infrastructure look like? And how can we use what is already in existence, what is already there to compete with these bad things that are overwhelming us? And how do you accomplish that? Well, that takes an entire reassessment of the way we do business, the way we do mental health, the way we communicate. Education. Yeah, education. And this is and this is part of the part of the, the, the conversation that I, that I try to have with others is saying, look, we're no longer fucking consumers, man. You and I, me and all the 330 million Americans are human critical infrastructure. Mm. It, it could take any, it could take some kid from fucking Macedonia to hijack my feed or my phone to start pumping shit to me, or it's going to trigger some component of my inner narrative identity where all of a sudden I just start modifying my behaviors according to what's mm. being pumped through or mm. It can be a combination of multi-tiered impacts resulting of, I, I have a toxic job. I live in a toxic area. I don't have enough money. I have all these things that are, you know, impacting me where all of a sudden where I'm reading, you know, the sword verses and some fucking ISIS guy is, is uh, preaching out some shit where I'm enjoying the crusade, right? And all of a sudden I am an American fighting in these fucking wars and you know, so what's so what's my point is that we're we're reaching a point where we're attempting to eliminate this complexity that has benefited humankind since the beginning as a result of not I don't know if it's fear-based, I don't know if it's because we don't understand great power competition. I don't know if it's because you have a a group of individuals, maybe it's all of it, right? You have a group of individuals that are completely detached from the operational spectrum. So what if you sit in, sit in a congressional hearing or an intelligence committee or an armed services meeting, just because you provide me with a, a data set that's trained to a particular interval of time doesn't give you the full fucking story of what is actually fucking happening on the ground. I don't care if you got a fucking PhD or a master's. You're not seeing the fucking picture. So... So in moving forward, right, and, and attempting to reassess the current situation that we're in, um, I know it's going to be a lifelong journey, but I, I don't want at the end of the day for guys to come on here expecting them to have the full answers to life as a result of, of being subjected to a screen because that's not real life. You need to go out and experience life. Those are the wellness skills. Those are the skill sets that are going to set you apart and if we can be a part of that journey where we say something where it impacts you as you're out there living your life then that's where it should be and i always you know again you know i try to i try to um you know whatever someone sends me i'll put it up on the insta page whatever fundraiser you want me to support i'll I'll try to do my best to support it i just don't want guys being completely subjected to the the screen expecting you know, life altering moments. And for some guys, you know, it has been impactful and I'm thankful for that. It's just, it's not good. 
So, uh, so let me let me bring that back down uh, to our traditions, our our roots are deeply tied to a Western philosophy. Yeah, and I think if we can dissect that a little bit, not here, but just in general, or go back to those roots to try to understand it without all the controversy, I think we might be in a better spot. Because we, and I try to do it too. I'm, I'm only cognizant of the past 20 years, you know, and that's limited because I'm only, I'm 35. Um, and again, you know, as I told you, I was in eighth grade watching, you know, um, 9-11 take place. And I have a very basic understanding of the macroscopic overview of how our, all the domains were impacted and how everyone was impacted. Yeah. Like for me, 9-11 didn't do much other than the fact that it provided an opportunity to me for me to sign up and go to war. Um, I wanted to fuck shit up. That's what I, that's what I wanted to do. Right. And you no, know, not to take away what happened in 9-11 or anything like that. It's just, that wasn't what made me sign or join. Um, it was just the way I grew up. Yeah. So, so I knew. Yeah. <clears throat> I was a neighborhood daredevil, man. I needed some adrenaline, <laughs> you know, that's, that's where, you know, like my dad, my dad grew up riding motorcycles, go-karts, all that kind of stuff, still riding a motorcycle, you know, um, and, and it, look, like you, Jose, when, when you start talking about fixing either the world, the United States or your community or whatever, you know, I, <laughs> there's a chance in the book, I go, if I could sit on a committee to fix the United States or change trajectory, please sign me up because I got a lot of ideas, right? And 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 practical, pragmatic, whatever you want to say. But there's a lot of stuff we could stop doing tomorrow that would be great for our humanity. For example, yeah. all those those stand up desks that they start using at your, you know, at in the agency we had, you know, they could rise up so you could stand and you're more healthy for you. Why aren't we doing that for our kids in school? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, why don't they have standing desks? Because you know the hardest shit to do as a little boy? Hey, sit down and shut up for six hours. Yeah. But you know what it does pre precondition you to do? To sit at a job for six or seven to six to eight yeah. hours, you know, being told to sit up in color and consume and da 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 da. And and man, I it just it 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 always it makes it's kind of like when you guys are thinking about war warfare and it's like, why aren't we doing this? Well, I look at, of course, I look at everything like that, but there's just so, just dumb shit we're doing, you know? And, and the opposition to it is really not a good reason. I mean, let, let's look at, let's look at the PGA and what, what was it live or live or whatever the Saudis? Yeah. Oh man. Live the hypocrisy. Golf. You, you know, you, you, I think you brought up earlier about monetary value attached to over human, over, over humanity. Whoa, we're in a really rough zone, bro. You say 2027, I say in the next six or six to eight months, six to nine months, some shit's going to go down. They're setting the stage for something. Mm. And, and it's not, I don't, I couldn't necessarily tell you what specifically, but like, yeah, war, yeah, stock market. Yeah, elections. It's gonna there's gonna be some, as they say, <clears throat> fuckery. <laughs> and there's prime opportunity coming up for 
all, any of our, our, you know, we, we used to call them in my planning sessions, my buddy Tim Gant coined the term Rick, Russia, Iran, China, North Korea, the end is silent. That's what we used to say. <laughs> so said Rick's watching, man. And Rick's is, is gonna, gonna seek opportunities. And we're in a, we're in a really bad spot right now, man. And a lot of people don't understand that. What's that whole, what's that whole thing that went on in Africa with devaluing the dollar? What are they doing? And that wasn't just Iran, um, China or Russia. It was China and Russia. That's a problem. There, what so, about? yeah. Um... To me, it's just like it's just like letting that dude. You watch. You're across the street watching somebody go into your break into your house, and you're not doing a damn thing about it. I, I will say this because this is so that lab one that we did with Nate and and Pat, I talked with Nate, like we have a great relationship. Um, he's a, an individual that we met and um, we have similar ideas and I've learned so much from them, um, specifically from from learning from from Pat's um, percepts and, and research. There is a way out of it. The problem that we faced is how do we get to it mm. before the global IO influences everyone to say, you know what, the United States can no longer perform or provide as such. And and that's the same thing with China. China can't do it. China has an aging population, so does Russia. Right. Um right. Russia, the only thing that benefits them is that they barely tap their resources and they don't have a high rate population. Um, they have a war to fund, but that war is a, a long-term war. They haven't yeah. they're you know, they're using C and D teams to conduct something. Um, I think it's all yeah. a ruse pre primitive. Add in, add in real quick on Russia, because Russia has a problem that Iran has now too, is they Learn. They've they've decided to piss off the women of their country, okay? Yeah. Uh, and and you don't piss the women of your country off, man. You just don't. Yeah. Iran has it probably worse because that's going to go on for a long time, okay? My rights as a woman, and burn the hijab, very similar to the whole burn and bra thing. Just saying. So can we exploit that? We absolutely could. Are we gonna? I don't know. I, I don't know. I think we have already. Um, Correct. Yeah. Twitter. I, I before. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh no, no. I was just to say we have. Um, <laughs> there's a. <laughs> I know it's Pride Month and that. Take it for what you will. I observe the analytics. I observe. I observe the memetic compositions that propagate and evolve. And one of the things that I noticed was the propagation of the rainbow hijab on the Muslim community. Now that could be a good and a bad thing. Um, a lot of people died for less as a result of Charlie Hebdo. Um, this could be the meme that disrupts the entire West. But mm -hmm. at the same time, like you said, you have a significant change in human weather amongst the, the female population of some of these authoritarian states. It could also be mm -hmm. the deciding factor of how it impacts, you know, these countries operationally. Yeah. So Sending, um, our son, sending our sons off to unjust wars, sons and daughters to unjust wars. Yeah. yeah. Unwillingly to unjust wars. Yeah. Let that let that let that marinate in your system so far as like culturally, the United States has already been through that. What does that look like culturally in Iran, Russia, or China? They don't want it. 
They don't want it. No, I'm, 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 that's a, that's, that's rhetoric. Okay. But, but yeah, for you, you know the answer. But for most people watching this shit, they're like, I don't know, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Are they? Are they? Are we thinking that through? What that's gonna look like if we, you know, turn up the the heat on? Like, yeah, man, you guys should fight for your rights. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> what does that look like? You know? <laughs> what does it look like to get some motivated Iranian, you know, women going and like, yeah, man, throw that freaking riot? And and we absolutely could. You know, it, it, I was gonna go back to execution orders and saying, in an execution order, it says I cannot. I cannot. I can only conduct cyberspace operations on the continent on on the in the country of Iraq. You know how stupid that is. Yeah. Who the fuck wrote that? Well, okay, that's what that's what I want to know. Number one. Number two is like, well, shit. You already know the answer to this because the server's not in freaking Baghdad, bro. Not in Baghdad. <laughs> well here's the other thing too um and we're we're nearing the the two hour mark and yes, we sir. can do part two i want to do part two part three whatever it takes and and those parts we can we can start with iraq um and i know it i know it, take, it takes a, a build up to to get to this and i know this is like the first time we've talked intimately and vulnerable um amongst one another brian um but i, I want to make this quick point stanford out of all the fucking Ivy League colleges, Stanford published a, a document called Unheard Voices. And they basically blew the cover of what the United States was doing in terms of I.O. Um, and I'm just like, how do you... Really, Stanford is going to take the moral high ground and say, Dude, we're going to publish this, and this is what's been propagating. I, in our I don't want to go back to your last lab, but I, I did watch that whole deal. And he absolutely correct. Academia, whew, medical, banking, and then some corporate. And 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 like my buddy, he was a sigo for the like the I think it was the state of Arkansas, like their C their IO I IT guy. Because people confuse IO and IT a lot, and I hate that. But anyway. Um and he goes, Yeah, it's just me against the terrorists. It's me against the nation states what yeah man our you know we got this this is just it's just us yeah there's no there's no you know the nsa didn't show up and say hey you want to you want us to help you out no does that help does it happen in certain instances yes it does glowing but, symphony huh glowing symphony yeah um, yeah that but was I mean, about... just what the oh no i was just say that's like the only public and coordinated effort that that was ever reported at least but i take um, those disclosures man those disclosures you know high-ranking people dude i have a facebook post i know shit have a facebook post outlining this whole trump security clearance thing now look i don't have uh, it, biden trump i don't have i don't do that i don't really have opinions i think they're both full of shit i think all of most politicians are i'm sorry um i wish more weren't yeah um, I wish it didn't involve so much money to get you in a position to express your ideas. You know, you're a good person, mm -hmm. and then they can right. they can character assassinate you, just like that. Because that's why that's why I told the the dude of the the foundation we were we were I was when we were in the, in the room and we were like, hey, who wants to be the president of the CFVRP just for to stand it up? And I was like, man, I can't be gripping and gripping on TV. Somebody's gonna eventually go. Let me look at that dude. What did he used to do? 
yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Every, everybody. Um, yeah. I, and I tell most people now too, look, I'm not a saint. Don't, don't, I'm a, what, what do you call it? Bali rock eaters. Yeah. That's what I call myself. But, I mean, but I feel yeah, like I around like, you guys, but I'm, no, I'm not a, I'm not a saint and I don't pretend to be a saint. Um, I'm looking at I'm looking at an issue that I'm passionate about now because it's and really what is this about right saving lives and if you use all your resources resources and logistics to counter or create a counter narrative to a reality that hits us mm-hmm. then fuck you you're a fucking traitor as fuck um, and I don't have any spaces for that or room for that so if you want to go to war then. Fuck it. That's what they trained me to do since I was fucking a teenager. Pretty much. So I mean, that, that's why I was like the state of North Carolina when I was getting my certification uh, for what I do with my LLC. I'm already trained for it, right? Like private protective services and private investigations. They made me write out, you know, the you know how an intelligence analyst is also kind of an investigator. They kind of deal with evidence. And they kind of conduct investigations and they kind of disseminate it and they kind of look into some things, you know, and, and, and they, they were like, well, you're going to have to write an affidavit and do blah, 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 blah. It's like, dude, I worked at the Pentagon. I had tr- I had numerous trips to the Pentagon, like if not once a week, then twice a week. I know bureaucracy. OK, you know how much shorter my briefing got every time I went to the Pentagon? General officer, he ain't got time. You have 10 slides, you need to go to six. Uh, three star. He ain't got time. Your five slides need to go to three. The fuck? So he's not really getting my, I, well, so the whole point of that was like, yeah, I, you know, just like you said, do you want to go to war? Okay. You go to war with paperwork, but at the same time, it relates to your other point of like, you're not getting all the information, bro. You don't fully understand this problem. You know, you want to drive by for you to do strategic planning? Are you serious? All right. I'll drive up to the Pentagon, but I ain't going back to work that day. <laughs> so that's how I used to do it, man. Cause it 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 was like, you're not gonna make it, you know, to a to a 10 o'clock meeting in the Pentagon. I need to leave at six o'clock. And I'm not going back to work after that meeting because I ain't getting home to private eight anyway. So I used to just call one of my buddies in the National Capital Region. Hey, maybe we'll have lunch or dinner. <laughs> it's like it's gonna be a long day. So yeah, yeah, we were. I know we were. We were on some high, high level stuff, man. And, and it's just that it, it's all about. And as I, I watch previous episodes too and other podcasts, it's like if just enough people had situational awareness, what a basic, what a what a what a dirt infantryman has. Yeah, and look, look, listen, and smell. <laughs> you know, <laughs> jeez. And I'm gonna go ahead and stop recording. Dude, I was, I was constantly. <laughs> what is that, man? Oh, what is that? Ask me about blackmail inflation. I will. I will. I will. I will. <laughs> I will. Um, black, black. Yeah. Now we gotta. You know. 
So where where do you guys want to go with this? Because I know we did. We kind of started like. <laughs> Dude, I was trying to print out like the whole agenda so I could kind of knock items off as we as we went. And of course, my printer's not working. So yeah. no, I liked I liked the chat we had the other day. I mean, I think it was good. It was organic and it was good. But I mean, I think you guys we there's too much uh there's too much intelligence going on in this in this video screen to not kind of. Yeah, uh, cover some ground. I think. Yeah, and, and I, I, I was gonna apologize for last time because I was all over the map, man. But Jose, no, it was good. I thought yeah, they did. Yeah. They he wanted me to set up uh, Solar City. So, yeah, let, let's let's go into the uh, the operational, strategic, the tactical. Uh, you're talking about Solar City. This was like during the surge, or this was like pre-surge. This was this was so <clears throat> April two thousand four. Uh, we're doing left seat, right seat ride with 1st Cavalry Division, two different squads, I think it was 212 and 35 from 1st Cavalry Division, anyway. Um, so we had two squadrons replacing our one in Sauter City. Like that first week, no issues, you know, cause we're left seat riding, they know us, um, you know, doing our thing. We had, there was a, there was a, a, a law, if I remember correctly, there was like this law or fatwa or whatever, Hey, you can have one, you know, weapon per household, whatever it is, protect your household, that kind of thing. To my understanding, because <clears throat> I was not on patrol, because at that time, I, we were supposed to be going home. So I'm, I'm doing my workout, you know, me and, me and the S2, it's best six in the S2, we're in a, we're in a gym working out. It's week two, where they're, uh, we're right seat riding, and they're taking the lead. So somehow, uh, and I believe it was eight. 8 April, I think it was 8 April. If I haven't looked it up in a while, but the specific dates, either 4 April or 8 April. Uh, afternoon, it was like two o'clock. Um, you know, I had one of the dudes come in and say, hey, they need you to talk. And they were really talking to the S2 because an S6 really doesn't have a job, okay? <laughs> don't let me, don't get me started. Um, so the S2 goes in there and I was always like an assistant ops guy. Cause I knew if my, once my shits, once we're talking, I don't really have a job. Okay, and, and I was a pay agent. Uh, I did the food funds thing. Uh, I was going from fob to fob and doing things like that. You know, I didn't have to, but my 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 certain first class would not leave the fob. And he mm -hmm. told me flat out. He said, "Sir, I'm not going anywhere." I was like, "Okay." Number one, don't tell me what you're not going to do. But number two, um, you're going to go to all the meetings while I'm on the road. Then, okay. And, 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 and also prepare for those. Cause I'm not going to do, I'm not going to, you know, give you notes or whatever. You're going to the meetings, you take the notes. I'll, you know, synthesize that stuff and tell you whatever. Cool. Um, and that's how my rotation went. So here we are in the gym, spot one, two o'clock. We're working out me and me and my, my buddy uh, at the time, uh, Shannon Procassie, he's retired now. He was a Mustang, former 82nd sniper of Ranger and uh, win intelligence. <laughs> So there we are working out, <clears throat> get the word, go to the talk. Hey, what's going on, man? It's like almost all hell broke loose in Sauter City. Um, apparently the cause of it, like again, to my understanding was First Cavalry Division got a little bit too aggressive and they started confiscating weapons. This pissed off the neighbors, the, the residents of Sauter City and gave momentum, momentum to Muqtada al-Sadr and the plight of Americans and Iraqis and all that shit and hornet's nest. Um, there's other factors. Uh, I know there was a movie about it. 
um, I think it was on Discovery Channel or History Channel about, and it covered 1st Cavalry Division and it, and it barely mentioned 2nd Cavalry, 2nd Cavalry Regiment, who I was with at the time. Um, and uh, they called they called 1st Cavalry Division the horse that wouldn't shoot, okay? I don't know if you've ever seen their patch, but it's a, like got a horse head that slashed through it. It's a big patch, yellow and black. <clears throat> anyway, that's what the Iraqis called. I didn't make that up. Uh, and, the horse they never rode and the line they never crossed. Ah. Uh, <laughs> why do yeah. why do people why do people hate cavalry or hate on cavalry? So I don't know, man. So second cavalry regiment because they're very demanding, I guess. Okay. And, and the thing the thing too is like, once you're in the cab, like I I didn't wear my signal flags because I was a signal officer. I wore cab stripes. I wore cab cross cross sabers. Everybody does because yeah. everybody's cab. So you see where I'm going with that? Right. It's kind of like, kind of like a, you know, kind of like you guys do in the Marines. You know, you're a Marine, first and foremost, right? So, yeah. Um, it's just uh, like the infighting, the bullshit. Like, I know, like, I, I, I have buddy, I have a buddy that was, like, light army or light infantry in the army, and they, like, shit on their mech guys. Because yes. I guess it's, like, different, but it's, like. It is. It not is. really. I mean, We're all, yeah. you know. We all, we all, we all talk smack on each other. So, yeah. so. Um, that first couple of days, um, I'm probably get the numbers wrong, but I believe it was 51 wounded in action, eight KIA. And, uh, yeah. one of those medevacs, um, took about 45 minutes to get there. Okay. So, so one of the, one of the saving graces of that afternoon and evening and couple of days after was that we had three squadrons worth of medical personnel. All right. I remember seeing the vehicle that came back in because at first the QRF couldn't act, couldn't get activated because they didn't have the ability to talk. So here come my guys loading freaking Bradleys in the middle of a firefight so they can leave the, leave the gate. So that first two days, you really didn't have Bradley fighting vehicles going in again as a QRF. You had LMTV. Is LMTV, y'all got the same stuff? It's like a troop carrier? Tracks? Is it track? It's not tracks. Tired. Okay. Yeah, so, so this, an LMTV is like a, the replacement for the deuce and a half and you got you know it's troop carrying you know it's not an armored vehicle it's it's like the can no. there's a canvas over the back and we're sending the qrf in a canvas vehicle okay like, yeah okay like and then i saw the vehicle when it got back um you know that was a that was at a this long point time. what 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 when was this what year was this 2004. 2004. So you guys were still dealing with armor issues anyway. You were, you were. Yeah, we didn't have, so we didn't have up armor vehicles. Yeah. Um, once we got extended, we got up armor vehicles. First Cavalry Division, they had up armor vehicles, okay. which is kind of, kind of the reason why they, they, they didn't mesh with the Iraqis because they tended to be cuddled, you know, hold up in their vehicles, riding by. They're not necessarily waving. You can't see them waving. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the gunner is, I don't know. But that makes a difference, man. When you're doing presence patrols and stuff like that, and you you have a relationship, you know. But then you start being standoffish, uh, and they feel that, man. They they know they know the environment, you know, way better than you do. But so, right. well, so there was, was I mean, you know, and I'm I'm walking by the aid station, man, and it was just, you know, it's the kind of thing where that's the shit you want to forget, you know. People crying for their mama and missing limbs and bleeding and stuff like that. So. As a result of that flare-up, you know, as, as you may know, the Karbala Car- and all over Iraq started flaring up, Mahdi Army and all kind of stuff. So 
we we were told, yeah, hey, you guys are getting extended. Stuff was taken off of boats. You know, one of our squadron got away <laughs> easy. So two two, uh, second second squadron, second cavalry regiment. They got the ability to to leave. They loaded up their stuff, and they were in the old cigarette factory over there, um, in Sauter City. My buddy um, uh, Steve Walters, man. If, if it wasn't for him, I would have failed as a Sigo, <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, I appreciate him. I'm still friends with him now, man. We follow each other around. And we, uh, it's like, so that deployment in 2004, we ended up deploying together unwittingly in, in First Army Division in 2010, you know, switch jobs, new jobs, all that kind of stuff. We were doing something different, but anyway, <clears throat> so Solder City happens, we get extended. We're driving to Alcut to, you know, we talked about the CP, CPA uh, guys, the special forces guys that were holed up in the CPA building in Alcut. And, and it's funny because when I think back, I was like, oh, you know, we had Ukrainians there. Huh. But you know what the Ukrainians were doing? Peacekeeping. So they weren't going to break the gate to go engage in anybody with anybody. So, yeah, what is that? That's a that's a cop outline, isn't it? Like, what the fuck is peacekeeping, right? It's the same thing they did in Somalia. Yeah, it's just we're not going to do anything, right? Right. We're just here. We're here. We're just here. Yeah. And yeah, and and of course, so so when we got to Alcut, this was the other funny thing about it. It's like we get there, and and we had so I would never like my my soft brothers, Rangers, as well as the like. Marine infantry, they kind of all do this, as well as like the, the light forces, where it's like you guys are constantly like, hey, we just had another uh, terrorist, you know, ping. Hey, you guys got to go again. We just got off the road. Eh, ain't nobody else got to go. So I hadn't really been in those kind of ops before, other than like in the field and playing and stuff and PLDC and whatever and BNOC. And uh, so we're good. We get on the road just to, to Alcut, which is about 200 kilometer movement southeast, okay, in Iraq. We get there, you know, and like, like I said last time, you know, convoys get shot at and everything. And this was an example of my ability to be empathetic at the time. Uh, so we get there, we set up the rear of uh, the uh, 1AD, uh, like, like a hasty kind of talk or whatever division uh, rear head, you know, set up. And uh, it's like pitch black. People are coming in. I'm standing in the talk and one of the dudes that's a, a battle captain for, who I who I flew over with, he's like, hey man, they were shooting at us. And I just didn't know that. He, so he was clearly in, in um, distress. But at the time, my ability to be empathetic went something like this. Now you'd be all right. <laughs> and I left. <laughs> I was like, it's just another day, motherfucker. But anyway, but uh, so so there that was. And then, uh, of course, we're about to go to sleep. It's probably two o'clock in the morning. And they go, hey, we got to send a patrol into this city. It's probably 25 kilometers from here. Where do you want the retrans set up? Oh, OK. Hey, do I get gun trucks? Yes. With what? 50s great so one gun truck and two of my guys wait for this is for for comms comms yes yeah i got you yeah so so two of my guys have set up retrans unprotected except for one truck around them in between so so there's the city the retrans 
and the you know patrol base or yeah. you know <clears throat> and and uh, so they go out do their thing and whatever but the 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 the, the calculus that has to go into uh i'm already shorthanded because remember one of my soldiers got shot and um i'm short and and now i'm having to and i had to give one of my soldiers up to augment some other folks so i'm down the <clears throat> from the six i had i'm down to four um and i have to make decisions like shit if they get killed what's my what's my uh technical knowledge loss right what am I able to actually accomplish if some stuff goes wrong? So, yeah, those decisions on the hood of a vehicle at two o'clock in the morning and uh, nothing happened, but it's probably <laughs> good that it didn't, you know? And so we're, we're living in blown out um, hangars in pitch black. Um, that, that was like my, my, I think my scariest memory of going to bed down because it's probably four o'clock in the morning now. I left my I left my rack in a uh, in a hangar, a blown out hangar, with a on a cot, just my just my sleeping bag and my pillow, and I'm walking back into that. And as I look back at the talk, because that's the only light around, I can see all these massive spiders on it at night and in my path as I'm going to go sleep. So I got to think about. Did one of those crawl on my on my cotton? <laughs> and they're huge, man. He's, you know, you know, camel spiders are like huge. And I got my gun, and I'm thinking, man, if some if these one of these, these motherfucking spiders, tired as I am, cross on me, I'm shooting it. I don't care what the story is. I don't care. <laughs> I'm doing it. So yeah, it was that was a it kind of it freaked me out. I don't like spiders, and it was pitch black. And they were all on the path. I just kept, I just, I said, rage walk. <laughs> getting, getting, the, you know, so long night. You yeah. know what's, I just want to make a point to that because, you know, <clears throat> it just popped in my head when I was thinking about that. And it's like, you know, a lot of people relate their, like, like trauma or somebody who went through some shit to like serious, you know, terrible events. But it's like, man, I have several personal memories that are like just like you explained like shit could have went really bad but it didn't and like the fact that you were in that situation and like that almost fucks with you more because yes. you're like yes because luckily like nothing happened but if something did like it would be catastrophic right because you don't have support you don't have enough people right. URF's fucking nowhere like nowhere near and, well, and I had that conversation a bit last time towards the end and maybe offline after we finished talking, but um, I can't tell you how many of my soft brothers at, you know, uh, and Ranger Battalion dudes, and they tell these stories and it's like, you are so freaking lucky. I mean, I mean, and it's overwhelmingly like, yeah. you know, that it just so happened that this car pulls up and provides this and y'all got in it and drove somewhere. And it's like, we weren't even supposed to be in that country. It's, it's crazy. The yeah. stories you hear, man, it's like, so, so, uh, and as an offshoot to that 27 June, uh, locally here, I'm, I'm, I'm implementing an idea that some, some folks from the Cape Fear Veterans Resilience Project thought of where it's a veterans night, but it's not kind of what you think. It's kind of a tell your story and take some questions. And it's that leap further than 
we know you want to know about veterans and their stories. And there are veterans that want to tell their stories. So let's have a night where it's like, you know, set up a microphone and let's have a couple of military people come tell their story from various campaigns. And then you can kind of say, well, where were you? What did you do? What was your experience with this? And, you know, not everybody's a trigger puller. So what did you do? Blah, blah, blah. So, and I think one of people want to do that. I don't know. They, they used to do it here uh, when I first got here and it had a pretty good response. So we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, that was... Uh... Here in Wilmington, man, the uh, VFW used to be popping, and yeah. then um, just the lack of younger guys mm. trying to maintain it, and then Wilmington yeah. is just a shit. It's a hotbed for natural disasters, so it's like oh, the upkeep to that location got just it was just garbage. And now I don't even know where dudes hang out. I mean, besides virtually, yeah. and so. I do have one uh, technical question. Yeah. At that time in 04, who, who was the, uh, so Sauter said that was Republican Guard or was that like a mixture of like freedom fighters pouring in? I, all I remember is Muktano, Sauter, Mahdi Army. Yep, Mahdi Militia. Yeah. Those were the guys in like black jumpsuits and shit? Yes. Remember, so last time I told you when we, when we were leaving Sauter City after the flare up, the instructions were Anybody in a black suit and yellow sash, shoot them on site. So, yep. that where it's on site came from, you think? Hmm? <laughs> I, don't I, mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> it get, you know, they borrow a lot of stuff from the military, too. So. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I, I found out the other day, I was like watching a show with the, and I think it was, um, Oh gosh, what was the other podcast dude said? Jose, we were talking about the other podcast guy and the uh, uh, Sean Ryan, Tyler yeah. Grace. And he had a dude that that consults for um Navy SEALs, the show. Yeah, Tyler yeah. Gray, the Delta he said, he said it was he said it was weird. He said that the Navy SEALs show has a Delta operator and the the trip like triple canopy, and I think he said uh three echo had SEALs and they were army dudes. So yeah, it's weird. But Dude, that's, something, that's something that always, you know, that on-site thing, I say it as a joke, but like, I know that's how the fucking ROEs were back then. Yeah. Like, but, but like, we didn't, so like going into, going into Iraq, you, I mean, you guys got fucking dope ass ROEs going into fucking Afghanistan. We're like, what the fuck are you talking about? We can't shoot these motherfuckers. Like, well, you, you know, I told you, but I told you what the, what the ex order said though, that was horseshit, but that was of course, in 2009, 2010, when I deployed. Right. So, but wrapping yeah. up Solder City and, and going to Al Kut, and I told you on our way back from Al Kut to Kuwait, that was probably the worst day uh, in Iraq. I told you about that. Um, yeah. And I came back, and dude, man, you know, you know, as we talk about the scars and whatnot, that was the first time, you know, going to combat, in combat shit's blowing up around me cracking you know near my head overhead whatever you know and I didn't really think much of it I really didn't I was just kind of like you know I felt like eh, I'll be fine you know there were many times you know of course as as the s6 sigo I had a, a sat phone of course I did I'm calling home like hey mom hey dad whatever he's like oh I gotta go <laughs> whatever and um that's it was it wasn't really surreal to me but then i redeployed upon so 
upon redeploying or being notified of redeployment, they said, Second Cavalry Regiment is going to become Second Striker Regiment, uh, Second Second Brigade Combat Team Striker or some shit. But at the first, it was Second Cavalry Regiment Striker. On the plane going back, they go, "You're going to be the Signal Troop Commander." I was like, "Okay." Said, "Oh, by the way, we're not going back to Louisiana. We're going back. We're going to Louisiana. Reconsolidate." pick up our shit and we're going to Fort Le uh, Lewis, Washington, Joint Blake's Lewis McCord. I don't know what it's renamed now, but Washington. And um, I was like, cool. He said, oh, by the way, your, your, your troops are in uh, training right now in, in Fort Gordon in Georgia. And I was like, okay. So I had to, I had to get off the plane, you know, re, you know, re <laughs> get myself together, right. From a deployment. Cause <laughs> Here was the weird thing. Like the first night I got back off the plane, I'm sitting in a room that I hadn't had, I didn't get a house. I didn't get an apartment. I'm staying in a hotel or whatever. And I'm watching this stupid corny movie. And I mean, like, it's like a, it's like a chick flick. And dude, man, I just start bawling. And I'm like, I don't know what is going on right now. And uh, yeah, I tried to, I just kind of, that incident, I really didn't pay enough attention to it. I was just kind of like, well, that was weird. You know, and uh, and I moved out to Georgia. You know, did company command, um, finished that up. Went to Ranger School <laughs> after company command. No one should ever do that. <laughs> okay, and I'll tell you why. <clears throat> because it makes you lazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? I'm just saying. You know, I was in phenomenal shape. You know, uh, you know, and I think mentally, I think I was okay you know, to handle the stuff and the tactics and all those things. But I get there and it's like, I'm not going to sleep. And uh, I remember in IOBC, infantry basic course, you know, I was okay. That was, you know, 2000. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and I could deal with that. But after that deployment, you know, uh, I just couldn't sleep no more. And I will tell you what, you can try to do uh, you know, lead a, you know, movement to contact and all that kind of stuff in Ranger School and with three days, you know, without three days of sleep or four days of sleep or whatever, but I was crashing, man. And, you know, dudes were like, hey, are you okay? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm hallucinating and shit like that. And yeah, so it wasn't, you know, and, and it was a big, that was a big thing for me. It was a big thing with my career because I had never failed out of school. I mean, I spent 90 days in that bitch. And I was like, I'm not leaving here. But then again, I was like, shit, I got a torn meniscus, lost about 10 pounds, I got nine cavities, I can't sleep here, you know? So uh, I just, that was a that was a tough one for me. Because I, I have not, I mean, I don't think, I've, up to that point, I don't think I had failed at anything in the, that the army had thrown at me or outside of the army. And, and it really re, re, made me redefine who I was and all that stuff. And then I, I got out of Ranger School. I went to a cush job. I was a secretary to general staff for, uh, you ever heard of General Bolger or General Barbero? Yeah, those guys. They've been on TV before. Barbero used to be the Jido commander. Remember, do you remember that? Y'all involved in that at all? I remember the name. I don't remember who the guy was. I was. Ido was like the joint IED um, task force or some shit. Yeah, they were the guys that uh, were 
collecting all the information on the different types of ideas that were being made. Yeah. They, that eventually got fed into, uh, the group that was, uh, publishing all the little handouts when you came into theater. Yeah. Um, um, I think that was actually still based out of Fort Leavenworth. If I'm not, mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of those, those, uh, those, those, um, I think it was uh, called Center for Army Lessons. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Center for Army. Yeah, I was going to say call. Is that right? Call. Yeah, but yeah. So I knew some folks that worked there. Um, I actually talked to a lot of folks that worked there because at one point I had to advise on. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> TTPs, baby. Um, at one point I had I was advising on electronic warfare and signal people. They had asked me as a as a person that had been de- deployed as a signal officer, and then I, and I had two guys trained in EW, which is also why you Marines were out there at Anbar, by the way. Electromagnetic spectrum, because y'all had some shit. That chameleon, I think it was. Yes. Yeah, uh, was was messing with other people's stuff. So huh. they, you know, you're talking about the jammers that were on the yes. gun <laughs> yeah. trucks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We had what, crew crew systems. So I had two guys trained in that in the two, 07 08 deployment i had two guys trained in crew all right and and while i was deployed i was given feedback to the signal center um fort Huachuca and fort blood or uh shoot, wherever the phil artillery dudes are and they were like who should we assign to be an electronic warfare mm. specialist should it be an additional duty with your 25s like my signal guys my comms guys or should it be a new MOS? And I was like, my 25 uniforms and 25, you know, whatever, they got enough to do. So I recommend this be a totally different job. And that's what it was for my dude. Cause he was all day, every day doing crew stuff on before the patrols went out. So, yeah. Uh, I don't what know. Do you, what do you think about those jammers uh, cooking, <clears throat> dude, cooking dudes brains? <laughs> I mean, we're never going to really know. Yeah, you won't, man. And I think, I don't, know if I, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, please excuse <laughs> me if I did, but as, as a person, I was in the National Defense University doing this training and they're, and they're coming up to you saying, hey, yeah, you remember microwaves when they were cooking people and stuff and Faraday cages and all that stuff? Yeah, well, we were talking about that a little bit. Yeah, we don't know what these things are going to do to your brain down the line. You know what I mean? And you were talking about dudes that keep it in their pants and it's like frying yeah. their, their <laughs> it's like, yeah. what? You know? Yeah. And cooking the beans but no i mean we knew guys because in afghanistan we had the man pack ones right yeah. they were called oh, hunters yeah. or yes. what were they called? hunt uh warlocks or warlocks. what were they called but anyway like dudes some dudes would be getting like bald spots and shit on the back of their that i did not know yeah wow. i know the yeah. system i know the systems but i did not know that but yeah, yeah so. it wasn't. I don't want to say that it wasn't any of the guys right, in, my, right, right. in our group. I mean, but it's just like, like I, when I was a signal platoon leader, I had a microwave. Uh, I had a um, oh gosh, it's a it's a van that shoots a microwave shot. Okay, mm-hmm. and you could cook popcorn on that van. It was like directed energy, directed correct. Focus. Yeah. yeah, it's like, like right, when, you see, that, when, right you see, when you see one of those uh, like a signal tower, and you see those things that look like a bass drum. Mm-hmm. So that, that's microwave. Damn. But y'all had what what year was that? That I had my signal signal my platoon? Yeah, no, the the microwave. The yeah, so so I was a node center platoon leader. So I had various assemblages. I had tropo scatter 
it's called triple scatter, whatever. It sits a, it shoots a microwave shot for comms. All right. So that was platoon leader 2001. I was in Fort Drum. I was on staff duty when the Star Major came back from uh, whatever is Operation Anaconda. Yeah. Oh, Kandahar, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was the the the, the green lieutenant. Sergeant Major came in. He's like, "Who are you?" Uh, I was like, "I wanted to go to Afghanistan. Actually, I was on. I was on the the. Uh, I was I was number three on the list. They they sent a uh, force entry switch called a Fess Fess eight five. Actually, went instead of my note center. And then before me, it would have been Fess eight five, note center eight one, and note center eight two. I was note center eight two. So basically, what we, what I did as a platoon leader was. It's install, op, operate, maintain, and manage a, a telecommunications network. That that's that's it. Okay, that's important. I mean, yeah, you got to communicate. Or you're, you're kind of yeah. you're kind of screwed. Kind of a big yeah. deal. <laughs> kind of. I was telling you that, that the story of my transition from like infantry to signal was like that was not that was not smooth at all, and you can probably imagine. You know, it's like I went to, as as we might say, and I don't call people this, but it's like, as you say, pogue land. It's like, it was leg land, man. You know, yeah. it's like. I mean, isn't that a common, like a common pathway yes. for like SF yeah. dudes, especially and yeah. like, or like snipers, all these guys end up going like Intel or comms or like, mm -hmm. that's what they get into. I told after you they're done. Yeah. My, my, my team chief in, in cybercom, Joe. He was a he was an SF guy. I mean, like highly favored SF guy. I told yeah. you, below the zone, lieutenant colonel, below the zone colonel. I mean, on glide path for general officer, and he was like, "I'm good." And he's 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 uh he's uh, transitioning right now. And you know, everybody has their reasons or whatever. But well, I mean, there's there's a there's a there's a cap to all that mileage you're putting on on the frame. You yeah, know? man. I, I people said, don't like to people don't like to fucking buy that one, but it's. Right. Yeah, as I was doing, as I promote, was promoting in the promotion ceremony for my son, I was like, you know, I was not able to, to do all this. I was not able to be a good dad, a good soldier, a good person. I was just a good soldier, okay? And, and everything else kind of, everybody was hanging on for dear life to kind of hang on to the, because the train was going, man, and I wasn't stopping. I was just like, I got shit to do, you know? And I, it's just, and unfortunately, that's just how I did it. I didn't have I didn't have mentors and people around me that would be like, "Hey, man, you need some balance and you know to recharge your batteries and disconnect from this stuff." And um, you know, yeah, I, I was seeking mentors, but you know, when you're when you're and we can, I mean, it's not any any fault of anybody's or anything or whatever. But it's like when I was a lieutenant, I mean, in the military it's only 9% of all officers that are black. Okay. Now don't get me wrong. And I know we know this as infantrymen, you know, this it's like, you're going to see everybody. Okay. And you're going to deal with everybody and whether or not, and like your platoon sergeant, he probably hates all y'all anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't give a fuck what color you are. I hate all of you. You're all equally disgusting. All right. So uh, I get that, but it's like, but but here's the thing, it's like, again, if you go back to sociocentric, egocentric, all those dudes that see me as, you know, and I'm a lieutenant, I'm in the room, all those, all those cultural norms 
tend to shift to the majority. Okay. Now I'm, I'm cool with that, but some people aren't. And it turns some of the minority officers off. As Jose, it's kind of like you were saying, you show up to a guest speaking event and they like, Hey, are you to hear this trim the shrubs or some shit? It's like, no, I'm a fucker. Yeah. I'm running this. <laughs> I'm here to coach you. <laughs> you oh, know the keeper. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, that's fucking terrible. That's so terrible. Yeah, Welcome but I mean, North this, shit, this shit happens, man. Okay. The Yusasak <laughs> deputy commander. Okay. Um, God, what was his name? He was one of my mentors because he used to do this, this uh, Black History Month thing. Um, Remo, Remo Butler. Yeah, what a name, right? But yeah, man, he, used to, he had a full mustache, special forces dude, used to sock deputy commander, and people would notoriously not salute him because mm-hmm. you're thinking Sergeant Major when you see him. And the cognitive dissonance was too much for you. So mm-hmm. he had several conversations with people like, hey, uh, is something wrong with your hand? You know? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how about a colonel or a general telling me that it's like uh sorry yeah. sir yeah but that it's cognitive dissonance man and and uh and I, I didn't i didn't make the system but i damn sure lived in it and i felt those micro microaggressions and uh i was like what are you doing here you know <laughs> it was like we t- like we were talking about it was a you know like hey but i'm here and and oh by the way I can thrive in the majority's world, you know, it's one, one of the things I try to tell my kids where it's like, you've only seen this small portion, like in, in Fort, in Fayetteville, Fort Bragg land, they went to a majority black high school, you know? So when they, when my son joined the military, it's kind of like, he's in culture shock, man. You ain't never experienced nothing like this. And you want to be an officer. Okay. Well, how do you feel about being the, the lone person on the, you know, the lone black guy in the room? Are you comfortable with that? Takes some getting used to. Oh, yeah, man. I used to, I was like raised like, like Puerto, Puerto Ricanos and like all these other South American motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. They, they, were, <laughs> they were like the backstabbers. So when I came to North Carolina, man, I was like, Man. I don't know if I can trust you, bro. Everything yeah. that I've heard about you is not yeah. good. So trying to understand that whole Spanish and Latino <laughs> and Hispanic, man, that's confusing. And then Black Latinos and it's like, what the fuck are you? I mean, Mexicans don't like these guys. The Puerto Ricans don't like those guys. The South America, it's like the Spanish people don't like these. So my best friend, one of my best friends, he's Basque. And uh, huh. yeah, yep. so... I mean, like his grandmother on her deathbed was like, death to the Germans. Because, you know, the Luftwaffe practiced bombing raids on Basque people in, in those mountains. Is it the, I don't know, I'll, I'll probably, I'll probably, yeah, the, the, the mountains between like right there between Spain and uh, France. Yeah, in that area. And uh, she was like, death to the Germans. Well, Eduardo marries a German later. Yeah, didn't go over well with the family. Yeah. He's in the right place now. He's got his, yeah. He's with, he's back with his childhood sweetheart. So yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, um, yeah. Hopefully. There's a difference between Tejanos and Nuevo Mexicanos and mm-hmm. Mexicanos and mm-hmm. Californios. Cholos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it though, man. I love, I love like learning that shit. Like people think it's like you, you want to be like you're invasive or something, but it's like I really want to learn that shit. It's like 
you know, I speak a little bit of Spanish and I try to, you know, reach out with that, you know what I mean? Because it means a lot more because I knew growing up in Germany, when I reached out with German, man, they were like, we love you. Come in here. I'll cook you dinner. Yeah. Man, I was at Walmart the other day, man. And uh, there's this like uh, two young Hispanic males. They're talking in Spanish really loud, but they're they're showing themselves like they're showing their asses. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a psychopath, man. I wear all black and I wear sunglasses inside Walmart because I don't want to make eye contact with anybody. I don't want anybody getting around me. <clears throat> so I'm passing by. I'm like, orale, que tal? And they're just like, oh, shit. Like, there's others in here. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, you got to calm down, dude. Yeah, make yeah. look bad. Right. And we talked about this offline, Jose, where it's like when I go out, I don't, I don't want people to see me as, you know, like, like some bummy black dude or some shit. And that, that, that it carries this, the, the, the stereotype on. I don't want to do that. You know, when you see me, you know, it's, it's, it's decent. I mean, I'm not going to do it just because, but when you speak to me, I might even throw a, a, a jab or two in there on, on like, I probably see more of the world than you, you know? Yeah, yeah. And for you to be looking like these microaggressions that you got going on, you know, you know, I, I don't know. It, may, it, it gives you kind of a chip on your shoulder, but at the same time, you, you probably need to, need to kind of chill sometimes. Yeah, that Wilmington is a specific, I don't, I've never, so <clears throat> typically people stay away from me because I have that, that I just right. don't, you, you know, yeah. just stay the fuck away from me. Yeah. Um, Wilmington is, is weird because you can fall into the trap of the narrative, depending on what part of town you're at, yes. and depending on what, you know, yeah. where you grew up, right. and then you get immersed in it, and then it's like everything that's being compounded within like the mediated state, um, it starts feeding into it. And so before you know it, you fall into this whole entire new narrative that you were never exposed or your inner narrative identity changes and you just become more susceptible to what's in your proximity. And it's not good in terms of trying to understand uh, where we are, at least geopolitically, uh, locally, nationally, um, and it just, I think it gets down to the point of what, um, what, what Nate and, uh, Pat talk about, uh, most of the time. And that's that kind of like grammar, right? We get down to a, a lower level of grammar where we're talking the exact same thing and any attempt to like, try to come up with something new isn't happening. And as a result of the inability or the ability for technology to essentially, uh, cut out entire data sets, words. Yeah. Um, it just leads to conflict. And but again, I don't, I mean, I have an understanding of how to not so much as combat that, but create different conditions that can compete with those types of um, mechanisms and artificial or, or forced um, narratives but the the other aspect of it is it well the other piece of it is just complex and people don't have a proper understanding of it and when you begin to break it down because Mm -hmm. it's so complex and so overwhelming that people don't want to fucking hear it so your resort like you you get you get you kind of have to resort to like lower level memes and shit to try to drive a point through Dude, now, now, nowadays anymore, I, I just don't think people are are doing 
the just the simplest listening to each other. And mm -hmm. I think you talked about like Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson and all this kind of stuff. And it's like I watched a panel, <clears throat> and it was like some of the some of the black thought leaders or whatever. Uh, I think it was Michael Clark Dyson and a couple others. And Jordan Peterson was on the panel. And Mike, Michael Clark Dyson was firing Jordan Peterson. Why are you so angry? That's not, not like, have you really listened to what he's saying? What Jordan Peterson is saying is like, it's really practical. It's it's very it's very cut and dry. It's like, why why do you have such a problem with a dude that is saying, yeah, you should be a savage, but you should under, understand and be able to control that savage. Otherwise, you're useless, right? You're a weak man. Right? Men should be trying to build themselves up and challenge themselves. That's all he's saying. And then get control of that, that monster. Right? Because without that control, you're undisciplined and you're able to go in any direction and be set off at any time. So you need to learn some control. All right, cool. Can I uh, actually, if you don't mind, I'll add something to that. Please. I ran across something the other day and it, it, re it really caught me off guard because um, I wasn't expecting it. But um, We've, we've all heard the term, if, if you've been anywhere around the church, you've heard the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and so you've got the, you know, everybody knows the meek will inherit the earth. And it's probably one of the most, you know, you look at that and you're like, well, what the heck is attractive about Christianity? You know, if, if you're being told to be meek, the actual definition of meek is the ability to subdue anger. Right. And it's. It, it, when it, the, the way I read it, it just I was like, wait, what? I've never read that that definition of it before. You know, I've always been told meek is this, you know, you're, you're passive aggressive. You know, you're, you're the one who rolls over and shows their belly uh, in, a, in a conflict yeah. situation. Yeah, nobody wants to, to be a part of that. There's nothing attractive about that. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that it's it's actually a power move. Uh, if you if you go through and you actually look at the definition of most of the uh, beatitudes, um, they're all power moves. Uh, they're they're it, it turns out the gospel is actually far more subversive than I realized, um, especially in the context that it, it came from. Um, but that one specifically stood out as uh, you know when if if you don't recognize anger as a core function um of that's that's your litmus test for what's going on yeah. uh it, when you when you start getting angry that's that's something in the back of your head saying something's not right something's out of line with what your your yeah. understanding of justice is yeah and that's where you take the time to examine it that's the whole point of being meek is taking that time yeah. to actually examine where that source of injustice is coming from. It goes in, too, as well. I used to, I used to send this verse to my, my brother all the time. It's like, bless the Lord of peacemakers, you know, as a cop. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, peacemaker, what does that mean? Are you a peacekeeper or are you a peacemaker? Because the peacekeeper is going to go, I'm going to be quiet so I don't break, you know, I don't disturb anybody. Peacemaker is going to go, hey, what's on your mind so we can get back to a peaceful nature? Because this ain't it. And you're not mm -hmm. afraid to do that, right? And it takes courage, and it takes. Yeah, it comes from the same place as holding your hand out over the waves and saying, "Be still." Yeah, yeah. So, so that whole anger thing, me and uh, Jose. I don't know if it was on while we were live or, or after the fact. I said I watched this video, and the guy was talking about how he studied dreams, and he said you can really tell what's going on with a person when they have certain types of dreams, and at the end of the, 
at the end of it, it's like, well, when they wake up, what, what, how are you feeling when you wake up? And I can tell you, like, I have dreams, man, where it's like, I'll, I'll be back on the side of a mountain in a suck school somewhere. And I'm in that, my, I'm in my feelings when I wake up, man. I've, I've had those dreams and worst, the worst dreams I have is like, usually I'm in a fight and it's like, I'm punching underwater. Like I can't, I can't get, <laughs> I can't connect. And I know I should be able to, but I just can't. And it's so frustrating to wake up like that. Um, and it's the kind of thing where I think about that and I go, man, I don't want anybody else to, to deal with this shit. I mean, and it's so unconscious, but it's like, it just sucks because I mean now I'm gonna have to do all my I'm gonna go have to go do all my therapy and training and shit and tr you know make sure I'm okay you know and not not and I'm not being that way towards someone else because I you know I've dated people woken up like that and it's like ah I'm not good I don't need you to necessarily not be around me it's just that this this my moods don't change that quick man and uh, yeah. So I don't know, Jose, did you want to go into the whole clearance deal, man? I really wanted to get into that. Yeah, let's go ahead, jump into it. All right, so um, Staff Sergeant Adamson was also the S2 NCOIC. He was also the OPSEC guy, the SAIDA guy. If you need me to do any of these acronyms, because some of them are different in the Marine Corps, I know that. But SAIDA is a subversion and espionage directed against the United States. OPSEC, Operation Security, you're probably familiar with that. Classification Authority, um, and I did, I processed security clearances uh, as the battalion S2. Later on, I was a brigade S2, all that stuff. Anyway, um, and when I saw that Air Force dude, you know, and he's spewing classified and all this stuff, and it's not, and if you want to get into the um, Manning, because Manning was in our unit, when we were in U.S. Division Center. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think he was in 1-3. First Brigade, First Brigade, 3rd ID, I believe. I'm I know he was in one of the, our subordinate units. And um, he may not have a disclosed at the time, but he was in one of our units. And I can tell you this, look, we have certain restrictions on certain classified information if it's on a portal, it's kind of like, you know, your, your permissions on folders you can access, okay? Privileges, user, you know, the user directory, active directory, you can do that through. You can do that through like on the SharePoint, shared drives, you can do that as well. It's very difficult to, to nitpick, you know, on the internet, how you're screening folks, because if they have that, those permissions, they just got them, you know what I'm saying? And you can read anything they want um, up to that level. Um, and there are certain things, yes, they seep through the cracks, seep through the cracks. And it's like you have some access to some shit that you don't need to know. But for the most part, it's need to know. And I will go into the special access programs, special technical operations. Now we're talking about, do you have a polygraph? Okay. Well, is it a full scope or is it a, a, a CI? So most military people have CI polys. Yes, there are other military members that get full scope, but usually that's, that's for the intelligence community and those that support the intelligence community. So when I, I go to bars and stuff and I hear these Trump supporters, it's like, why are they being so hard on Trump and classified, blah, 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 Hillary Clinton, da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, first of all, they should all be in jail if they got this shit that ain't a skiff and it's unapproved. Number one, jailed, remove clearance or fine. And I don't see any difference between Republican and, and Democrat. 
okay? Because I know after a few investigations that I've had of classified, classified disclosures and having to take boxes, you know, the computer box to CID to get investigated. Damn. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, don't, I don't understand what the big hubbub is. I think there should be one standard uh, and, and that we should adhere to that. And there should be no exceptions for this. All, you know, all this, all this, this, you know, even, even with Biden, if Biden's wrong, Biden's wrong. If there's stuff on that, that laptop, then, then he's wrong. In the discussion, let's not, let's not, hey, he's being targeted, blah, blah, blah. No, that motherfucker didn't, didn't adhere to the standard. He's not a standard bearer. And we know as leaders kind of need to be a standard bearer. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, it almost just kind of seems like the standard just has an on-off switch. And depending, <laughs> who, depending on who's in charge, I mean, honestly, yeah, you yeah. know, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, man. It, it, it's like, oh, 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 for you, it's different. For everybody else, like, mm, no, nah, I'm not with that. I'm not, but I mean, I'm, unfortunately, at our level, especially you, like you talked about, like that's that happens. You know, that's probably happened, especially you, Jose. You know, minorities that that get shit turned on you because not. I'm not trying to pull the conversation that way, but you know, the the standard doesn't apply to you the same way it applies to yeah, yeah. a lot of other people, and yeah. it's and and you know this too, where it's like you know when I became an officer, hey. Rank has his privileges. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I'm not, look, I've been privy to it. Like I said, before I went to Ranger School, it's like I was in command. When I got to Ranger School, they were like, waiting on you, Adamson. Wait, Ranger Adamson, waiting on you, waiting on you. They knew my weakness. They knew my weakness. Because not, not just as a spoiled officer in Ranger School, but it was like, in general, I don't want you over my shoulder watching shit. That shit will shut me down, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I honestly love hearing that because I think a lot of those schools, especially for like those those specialized like the, those training qualifications, mm -hmm. like you hear that shit. They they do not make exceptions. Doesn't matter who you are, where you came from. Doesn't matter if you got stars mm -hmm. on your shoulder. They're they're they are following this shit yeah. to a T. This standard is held, yeah. and I'm that's why you if you this. get the tab, you know, I'll, people are I'll, like, "Fuck." I'll tell you this though, um, I. The standard has changed. And uh -huh. I can speak personally about that for OCS. All right. And I was a bit upset about that because, you know, for a long time, you know, uh, there was a joke about it in, in um, oh gosh, the Tom Hanks movie. Oh man. War movie, Tom Hanks, uh, World War II. Uh, and oh, Saving Private Ryan? Oh, Saving Private Ryan. Yes. Hey man, that's how. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he goes, yeah, they made they made Captain so and so off the spare parts of the, out of OCS. <laughs> like, so yeah, um, OCS was very near and dear to me as a as a commissioning source because we don't get a lot of notoriety, man. We get a lot of respect from troops, but the dudes that get the promotions first, and 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 believe it or not, the system is set up for West Pointers to have like you've heard of year groups for officers, right? What do you what did you say? year groups for officers or like so so when you made like sergeant or e6 you had a promotion sequence number okay okay west point their sequence numbers are always very low mm -hmm. the rest of us are in the hundreds you know what i'm saying and, and and oh by the way how many people do you think west point commissions when they have a graduating class just guess i have no fucking clue 1200 1500 maybe 
I don't know. I don't know what the size is, but I can tell you this, that there's 120 people in Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, and Echo Company of OCS right now. And every 90 days, there's 120, 110 people that made it through. Hell, probably all of them now because it's a gentleman's course. Yeah. And, uh, but of course, you know, you know, it always happens where it's like, oh yeah, back in my day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey man, I'm a gray beard. I'm a gray beard now. I'm not, I'm not afraid of that, but I think we lost a lot of uh, credibility with the way the school's gone. Signs no, of the time, it, man. Signs of the times. It's not just in those areas. It's also too in like general recruitment. You're talking about waivers being made for students who have, dude, I'm, I was talking to, uh, I probably shouldn't say his name, but he's a, he's a national guard guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, they le- legit have waivers for for kids yeah. who have like 10, 5 on their ASVAB score. They have to start at like a some bullshit MOS yeah. and then they can retake the ASVAB. Laundry specialist. I get it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, it's a trip, like, man. It's hey, a trip. My son, when he went through like three, four years ago, I was like, he, I was, he's calling me. He's like, he's like, I got my phone. I was like, you know, when I got my phone and privilege to go off post, it was probably week seven. <laughs> when you got pinned first, Lieutenant. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like, are you still wearing your steel, your steel pot and shit and doing face and movements in the kitchen? Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was rough, man. That was, So you felt like I, I actually, so as opposed to any other school that I've ever grad, graduated from, OCS, I earned that shit. I earned that shit. And, and, uh, but it was like, wake you up in the morning at two o'clock in the morning. Hey, let's go for a run. They call it midnight runs. Wake you up at three o'clock in the morning. And it's like, you're in the field, roll left, roll right, get up, get down, get up, get down. All right, go back to bed. (laughs) Reindeer games, man. They play some serious reindeer games with us. And, uh, like I said, at the end of it, you, you, and, and as a distinguished military grad, it's like, that shit meant something, man. It was like, but did we get like, hey, you want, what school do you want to go to? <laughs> no. <laughs> Good luck. Thanks. Out there. Yeah. So that's the thing about OCS is like, it's all numbers, man. It's all numbers. Whatever the army needs, we need to fill our children officers. No, you don't get your choice. Whatever, whatever. You know, you can, you can write down like your top 10 or whatever the fuck. But yeah, okay. Um, why my son wanted to be a sigil? I don't know. But I don't know. Do we do enough to that clearance thing? And well, I think it was getting to a larger point, and I. Yeah. It seems to me that even even within like the DoD spectrum, um, in relation to like the sociopolitical state that we're currently in and the geopolitical state, there's like a coal taking place, like a purge taking place to eradicate, um, you know, the existing or the potentially. Uh, the potential party that could take over and with it is a whole slew of i don't know it's just like i wake up like uh i'll put it to you this way it's like uh every day i feel like i'm fucking censored i can't say what i want to fucking say right Right. and what what am i supposed to do about that um now now is that like me being an asshole wanting to say something or is that it's just like like for example like we got students um I don't know if we ever talked about this one, Nate, but like we got students that identify as uh, as animals now. Mm-hmm. They have personas. Mm-hmm. We have we have students that identify as being disabled. 
and that blows my mind that yeah. that actually exists that they have special privileges because they've decided to think this way. special yeah. special privileges for susceptibility yes yeah it, it's it you you cannot call out the how, how, would, how would i put that because th this has actually been part of part of the, the ongoing shift in narrative um nobody wants to talk about what actually contributes to to that decision making process of why somebody wants to identify as something other than what they are mm -hmm. um, and it's a susceptibility issue yeah and monkey see monkey do yep and why do, yeah i mean you look at uh tiktok's influence and the rise of uh identifying as whatever it's it's a really really bizarre way of figuring out who is the most susceptible well who does that serve obviously it's going to serve political parties if yeah. you know you know which which members of civilization are the most susceptible they're the ones that you're gonna you know they're they're your activists on, on both sides this is this is a nonpartisan issue yeah i'm glad um, you said that uh i, I didn't want to no, it absolutely it's it, and it's important to identify because I'm I'm watching both sides of this and I'm watching uh, it's a really fascinating um, you know when you step back and you actually look at what's going on both sides are being radicalized yeah um, you know and there's uh, which you know there there's some some irony you brought up uh, McChrystal what was his role in Afghanistan mm -hmm. yeah interesting. Um, you know, and, and you look at, I mean, we, we have methodologies that counter this, but, you know, we're, we're reaching for other methodologies that exacerbate it. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the narrative warfare and, you know, polarized narrative stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. but nobody wants to talk about the actual unifying underlying issue, which is susceptibility. That's one of the reasons why Pat and I first started talking about psychosecurity in the first place, right. uh, is, is trying to, because it's, you're not don't pick people out because of a quote unquote mental health issue um pick people out because of their vulnerability to themselves and to the organization that they're a part of uh, we, used to call, we used to touch on this and kind of it, 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 the term that they were coining at the time was cognitive security uh-huh yeah. and um, cognitive security cognitive warfare there's you know this is ultimately uh and jose i, I think like probably week one or week two of you and I first ever talking, um, we were talking about what's the fault, what happens after fifth generation warfare? That's sixth generation warfare. You know, mm -hmm. what does that look like? That's when, that's when you actually start destroying people's understanding of reality mm -hmm. and themselves. So, you know, you've got uh, all the talk about non-kinetic fifth generation warfare, weaponized social media, all that stuff. Uh, it's, it's aiming already and already headed that direction of, you're trying to destroy people's understanding of the fundamental of reality. Yeah. Why? Well, like, like the uh, the kill uh, themselves faster than your than than your uh, military will. Yeah. When like you destroy the entertainment you're you're in the matrix. And you don't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like realizing that that you're in this shit. Um, that leads into various conversations, but. I'm gonna try. I'm trying to stay focused tonight, okay? No, no, no. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to, to, to take but that I was, off. I, I was eventually going to one of the points that were in the agenda was the the change to political requirements 
for some of these people. I give an example. All right. I get a station. I'm in Command and General Staff College. I got, you know, months and months is whatever. I get my orders. It says uh, Paycom Planner for, for Cybercom. Okay. And I'm like, okay, cool. I get to Fort Meade, sent to an undisclosed here and there, whatever, you know, they think. I got to wait two months to take the polygraph to get in the door to do my job. Now, ultimately, I didn't do well in my first poly. Most people don't. But um, I've known people that fail a poly six, eight, ten times. All right. Yeah. They'll let you take it as many times as you want to. All right. Um, I took it. I took it once. I didn't. I, I felt one thing because they asked me, like I said, CI Poly used to be, all right, people going to probably get on and be like, it's not six questions anymore, but whatever. Four questions for a CI Poly, six questions for a full scope. I think it's five now, but um, yeah, they said something about like, hey, did you ever damage an information system? Well, shit, yeah, I was in Iraq, motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, one of the ways to, to uh, fix a, a, a computer before, you know, the, um, God, what is that little, that little uh, silver dollar not, or quarter looking um, battery on the hard drive on the, um, the motherboard. This is how old I am. I forgot more cyber shit and IT shit than like two people. But so there used to be a way to reset a computer by like going like, you know, how did I know that? I don't know, but uh, it worked. And have you voluntarily damaged an information? Well, yeah. It's like, and then they go, hold, hold on, hold on. So these four questions can easily lead to about 15 questions, okay? Because you know, you're, you're getting your baseline and all that stuff. My point with the whole poly thing in the first place is why don't my elected officials have to go through that? <laughs> when I applied to certain jobs, I had to take a psychological evaluation. I mean, not, not, not like the 50 question one, but like the 300 question one, okay? And uh, I, and hey, I, I personally, I feel that each politician should do that. Because I mean, they require, unless, unless you're in some podunk, they require law enforcement officers to go through it. And that's your question. That's early on. Yes, early on. But what about, what about six years from that? Are you, are they repolying them? Probably not. I right. mean, I mean, because just that's just like with like range certification for cops. You know how many times how many times you need to shoot a year to qualify? No, I mean, I no, I I agree with that, but I'm just saying if that's a minimum requirement to even go onto the force, right. where is any elected official required to do that? Right. My my whole point elected, they're already part of the system. Correct. My point in in that is like I'm pretty sure they don't. I'm pretty sure that they do a hand wave when they do background investigations because I know when I told them when I went to when I went to Cybercom NSA and I said hey I had a foreign girlfriend they were like oh dude you just added six weeks on your investigation wow well how did how did how did how did Trump's kids get a clearance so fast with foreign contacts and foreign bank accounts because they, they asked me about foreign bank accounts they asked me about my foreign contacts they asked me about my, my how long did I live in Germany and blah 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 have I traveled outside the United States to certain places you know, and there is a restriction list when you work at the NSA slash cybercom, right? And 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 I just don't see where my elected officials are are at the same standard. 
it's hard for when me. You, when you got stationed at Meade, did did you go through the briefing where they told you uh, when when were you at Meade? 2013 and 2015. Okay, so you were at Meade the same time that I was at Belvoir. Okay. Um, when I first got stationed at Belvoir uh, in 2012. Uh, Part of our briefing was there are over 2,000 identified foreign service agents in this area in DC currently doing operations. And I was like, well, yes, yes, I did get that brief. Yeah. And, and I'm like, wait, we know that they're there. We know that they're doing things. Mm-hmm. And don't, don't we have like some sort of procedure that takes care of that? Why are they there? Yes, and yeah. I know, right? But you start asking that question of, yeah. okay, so if you don't have to register that information, who has information or uh, who has uh, leverage over our politicians? Right. How many countries? Yeah. So, like I said on the on the previous podcast, I don't know if I went into enough uh, detail on it, but as an intelligence analyst, we had something called an order of battle. Uh, um, file where I was looking at colonels, generals, their kids, what their interests were, da 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 da, da. and especially those folks that were in those special units, Spitznass. Oh my, let's look at those guys. Mm-hmm. What is what is the what does the influence base look like? Um, sorry about that. What does the influence base look like on, uh, you know, on on some of our personnel we're looking at? You know, can I can I I mean, like, I mean, like, like, like me, if you really want to do say, well, he, you know, he was one of these dudes in the, in the military that were specialized, you know, a uh, set of job skills and positions and stuff. And it's like, well, what are his kids doing? You know, and, and we, we did that. And to think that they're not doing it to us, that's very naive. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I think when you were on last time, it's Matt, right? Me? Yeah. Nate. Nate, I'm sorry. My brain works weird. Just oh, like my brother's Matt, but I don't think he's been on. Fair enough. Not my yet. Brother's, my brother's middle name was Matt, so I'm sorry. But but in my mind, I went N-A-T-E-M-A-T-T. Yeah, it's weird. My brain works like that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, but but yeah, I mean, I, I just I've seen a few things, and it was it's just been... It just doesn't make sense to me that an elected official wouldn't have to go through that. I know there's the expediency of whatever, but don't we really want to put security before convenience? Well, that system isn't set up for longevity. I mean, their the re-election cycle takes over. What are you, you talking about? Which which thing? The, the are elected officials. Right. So okay, like a president so only actually serves what uh two years and then the next two years are spent prepping for re-election. Yeah, prepping. Yeah, exactly. So the it should absolutely be six years, man. It should be six years. And but the requirements for elected officials should be more scrutinized, I believe. You should be studying that shit. There's no way that you're gonna tell me that if I had a if I had a Joe, okay, that had the same background as uh what's his what's his, the son-in-law's name, Jared or whatever his name is. Uh, Kirshner, if you're telling me his background and I take a PFC or a, or, a, or a specialist or a Lance Corporal trying to give him a TS clearance, 
that's going to take a long time with all if they have a similar background, foreign contacts, foreign investments. Nah, man. No. Nah. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. I know people with foreign wives and stuff. You know, my buddy Tim, his wife is Russian. Okay. And he's worked in some sensitive positions. Uh, uh, matter of fact, you might know of the organization that he worked in, First IO. Familiar? Oh, yeah. So, and I've worked with those guys. I mean, I actually, in in concert with those guys, we were writing doctrine. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and and we we actually the 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 opsec dude is usually an FA thirty. Mm -hmm. Operation security. So I was I was an ops, operation security program manager for First Armored Division. And you know we were doing that all through uh, all through Iraq where we did have an incident of a collection of uniforms and people aggressing the perimeter in US uniforms. And I know that was a thing in Afghanistan. So- you know, When were you with First Armor? Uh, 2009 to 2000 and, um, uh, 2009 to 2011. And 2010 was spent all, all year deployed. Yeah, which, uh, which brigade were you? I was I was at division headquarters. Oh, gotcha. Okay, I was fourth brigade first armor. Fourth brigade first armor. Out of where though? Were you out? Of, were you in Germany or were you out of Bliss? Out of Bliss. Okay. Yeah. I think the division headquarters was the only when I was with them two thousand nine and eleven. I think that was the only the only where we did it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I I just want to have a quiet. I'm not trying to side with Nate too much here, <laughs> and go and go and go down this like the fucking doom and gloom route. But like, oh yeah, do you not feel like? I mean, we're talking about we're talking about like elected officials, right? And you're talking about like term limits and this and that. But I feel like that like the division is just so high now. I don't see. Yeah. We're it's we are just divided like well, like like Jose the majority of us right so yeah. like but but my question is like how how do we get back to a point where we can have like some like level of trustworthy governance because it just seems like no matter who's in there right now it doesn't matter if Trump ends up getting reelected or someone red does or fucking they put you know another puppet in there it. it like it just seems like especially like young people who i think like the majority of this shit if they were to listen to this it would just be so over their head right yeah, yeah. like they like they don't even want to fucking believe right any of this shit that we're we're talking about here is is reality or potential reality they just don't even want to hear it so I've like had, how I've how do we go ahead i'm sorry how do you how do you again the doom and gloom like how do you convince somebody that look there is a way out of this there is a way to bring this back together so we don't have to be at each other's throats at well, least i just i gave one suggestion and i don't know if you were still on when we were talking last time but it was that as an elected let's just say i become an elected official and i win by i win the mayor of wilmington by by 60 60 of the votes went to me whatever i win I think it could, should be incumbent upon the winner 
to an analyze those folks that did not vote for them? What does the 40% of Wilmington have to say about me who didn't vote for me? That's okay. how you get the, the solution to that problem with people that actually care about it too. But mm-hmm. care about the you, and kind of like we, we hit on a little bit, you know, like you're talking about think people you look into for, you know, insight or knowledge or inspiration, Jordan Peterson, whoever it wants to be. Like, do you not believe that, especially amongst young people, like people gravitate towards the information that they want to align with their beliefs. Right. So, so how can you, if you are elected and you can look at these people that didn't vote for you, how, how are you going to like, what is the method to, to kind of win them or bring them on to, Personally, I would use the weapons of the day. I would use the TikToks and the Instagrams and right. the Facebooks and everything else. And I'd have town halls that were over Zoom and whatever else that people could freely participate in and ask questions of me. Yeah. Specifically, okay. I think you should ha- you should have to host a a an open community forum with the forty percent of the people that didn't vote for you. Right on. You know. That's, I, I think you're absolutely right in that. And it's funny, we've got a, uh, here in Texas where I'm at, there's a younger kid uh, that ran for city council and, you know, 21 year, 20, 21 years old when he first got elected. He's in his third term now. Um, that's actually gotten him more votes is, I'm sorry, I don't represent just one side. I represent everybody in this town. Now, percentage may have elected me, but I'm still responsible for that whole group. That's right. And, and yeah. it's, it's, so I, I, I would actually say that I think that's something that the younger generation gets a lot more than the, the older generation. You guys might hear my cat in the background. I'm sorry. I can't. He's out of control. I mean, if I close the door, he's going to start whining. If I leave him in here, he's going to start whining because he wants to go outside. So, whatever. Yeah. I was going to I was, I was say, um, you, you become them. You go into the cave, yeah. As them, you you take on a persona, you become the animal, and you go talk to them in their own language. Mm-hmm. Then you give them the option. So pretend that you're a lizard, okay? You go in there and you talk that lizard, talk to them. You give them the options. You show them why that they're vulnerable as lizards, and then they get out. That's how these kids talk. And, and that's what I, the, the point that I was getting at with like the whole personas, right? So I've talked about this before, that there's kids who believe that they're these animals. Yeah. And if I talk to them the way like we talk to one another, they're not, it's not, they're not going to understand it. They're not going to get it. Right. And so there's like a level of empathy that has to go into it. And I just don't like older generations are not as empathetic. Like even me, man, it's like, I don't feel sorry. For, I mean, I do feel sorry for you, but I don't. Right. Um, but I at the same time, I can't. And so that's I why I think the, well, let me, let me say this. That's why I think the behavioral health model is important to approach it at, like to approach it. These types of situations as, as a behavioral health model, you don't know what they're going through and, and why they're that way. I mean, you can, um, what's that guy's name? The Navy SEAL that, uh, um, who underwent the whole transition and then he just transitioned back. What's his name? Beck? Yeah, Beck. Oh, really? I forget his first name. What's his first name? So, Chris, 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 Chris Beck, but Chris Kristen Beck. 
Yeah, yeah. So highly decorated Navy SEAL um, has a has an abundance of adverse childhood effects, childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Goes into you know Navy SEALs, then gets into Dev Group, goes into some R and D stuff, accumulates even more trauma, and in that process, I think he was attempting to reconcile that hey, there's something wrong with me as a result of not just you know combat trauma, uh, the TBIs, but also this other stuff, and because the conditions weren't uh, cultivated for someone to approach him that way or even ask them in, in an empathetic way what's going on, this like extreme avenue of approach was there. And, and that's what happened was that, I guess that maybe may, you might know, you might say something more about it. Maybe there's like a, a level of accessibility as a result of those traumas, or he was just so vulnerable that maybe this was the only option so that he could see, get the attention he needed in order to I guess, get like this catharsis. And then years later, he recognized that it was not healthy. And that, you know, now, now he understands like the level of manipulation, but it goes against the, the, the dominant narrative of what's being like forced upon us, which is this, you know, whatever you feel about the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on when it comes into the social media and politics and just living as a as a you know in this information environment advanced information i mean it's a lot and it, and arguably it's too much you know um i, I was going to say is uh, to finish up and round out that whole politicians and security clearances and stuff is just and 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 i think one of you guys said something about how do we get that information to regular people well <laughs> that's why the system's designed that way I can't tell you how many bars I've been in talking to people about FISA and how they were, they're convinced, oh my God, my country's doing this, blah, 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 blah. If that happens, someone's going to jail, someone's losing the clearance, someone's getting fined, whatever it is. And there's a FISA court, you know, and there are, there are tech supervisors that are supposed that are in charge of this shit. Hell, when I was going, when I was in Cybercom in order to go to an NS, certain NSA meetings, I had to take FISA training. So, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, I wanted to also like from the um, Nate's doom and gloom, because <laughs> I believe last time, you know, it was like, I'm, I'm putting it all out there and, and no solutions. But I, I, I said in the last podcast, that yes, there are folks that are looking at this. You know, just like I said, you know, my team chief of Cybercom, former SF guy, G3, assistant G3, I think he was a former battalion guy. So. So yeah, we had we had some we had some infantrymen looking at the problem set. We had some SF guys looking at the problem set. We have some some SF SF guys on the ground doing FID missions that are looking at this cyber problem, right? Because after they after the they set up their battalion headquarters and in, in FID and teach them how to fight, shoot, move, and communicate, some of these foreign armies are going, "Hey, guy, this is great, but what about cyber defense and and you know that stuff? You got a guy that's going to teach us that." Hmm. But, but the uh Nate, this is probably where you can chime in too, man. Um, I don't see it as a soul as a wholly tech and software solution. Uh, right? You can train up a guy to recognize the patterns. You can use the software, right, to eliminate or show how people are being manipulated 
or how they're susceptible, who's creating that, who's providing all that. Mm. Right. I mean, that it, it, isn't that like the bulk of what like psychosecurity is? I mean, that's one aspect of it. But then, but then how do you compare it to the conditions that say that lead up to it? And this is why I'm fascinated, or at least I'm attempting to go back to, to, to that question. You know, what does, have we ever even thought of what does a secure biocog infrastructure look like? Or have we ever asked that question? What does secure mental health look like? And have the thing is, that? no, <laughs> but no. My, my, the point that I'm making is that humankind has, has never been without tools or technology. And we're looking at a problem set of, well, I, I am, I know I'm, I, I am because I'm, I'm young, right? Um, I'm looking at the problem set uh, in the past like 15 years because I don't, I, I don't have a full grasp of like the historical reference. So I have to all of a sudden go all the way back, you know, um, to, you know, the fucking Stone Age. Yep. And then I have to read Heidegger, right, to understand this, this thing that he's getting at with, with technology right? What, what, what's it going to do to us? What actually is it? Is it going to leave us a baseless? Um, and, and how do you go through all that without becoming Ted Kaczynski? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ideas worth spreading, right? So is that a, is that a, <laughs> should, we, uh, should we say RIP to, I mean, dude, yeah. no, I mean, he opened our eyes. We can thank him for that. Yeah, that, I mean, we could get, that could be a whole episode, probably. <laughs> Cons- conspiratorial. Uh, no, it's simple. There are certain agencies that were given funding that created the funding in order to produce uh, next-gen weaponry, mm-hmm. uh, and it manifested through the institutions and interagency cooperation, fucking monsters, and those monsters got unleashed, and they wreaked havoc. They, and I've never read all of Kaczynski's shit, but from what I've noticed um, with some communications with, you know, um, IC members, uh, they quote this guy. They quote this guy all the time. Why is that? And our, I mean, as it relates to the security environment, we've given a lot of disclosures ourselves. I mean, we heard of the Manchester document, right? And, uh, where you know we we were basically giving away our ttps and it's like yeah we went for all the electronics and the you know the computers and blah 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 blah. and then we put this shit on cnn too and as an offset guy i'm i'm watching this and i'm going i mean they they got our whole you know modus operandi what what, was I'm I'm sorry. I just want to cut in there because I don't know how the army does it, but you know, Marines being amphibious by nature and tailgating around the world with the Navy, that was a question. Like I never went on a mew, and I know Jose didn't either. I don't believe, but like that was that's the objective of the mew. You know, Marine uh, Expeditionary Force and readiness. You can respond to world, you know, worldwide threat at you know mm-hmm. within 24 hours. But but those training packages were always going to other NATO countries or allies and helping train their forces. And I always wondered about that. I'm like, how is that? Like, that doesn't seem very secure to me. We're, we're, we're giving them our, our TTPs. Probably there's probably some shit being withheld, 
Well, you're right, like, though. I mean, because we've trained all of our adversaries. I mean, yeah. in, still at Winsick, the School of Americas that still exists at Fort Benning. It's what? Called, no. It's called Winsick now. <laughs> Western Hemisphere uh, Institute for Security Cooperation. Yeah. Yep. And so what that we bring we bring outsiders in and, and spin I them mean, up. Historically that's been a thing. Now I won't I don't want to say that we're still doing that now. Sure, right. I'm just gonna say historically that there's been some, you know, you could be in the uh Peruvian army and decided I think I want to go rogue. Yeah. And I was trained in Winsick or yeah, School right. of Americas. And now that name recognition is attached to some stank. So you know. Hey, that just gives us that just gives us more reason to develop weapons better, right? So now we we taught you how to fight like we fight. Now let's just uh, pump more money into developing weapons that we can clean you up with. I don't well, know, but the PMC know, still do it. I think the question ultimately goes back to why, you know, and this is this is the the answer that nobody wants to hear, but we need to fix statecraft. Mm. We we don't need to to, you know, it's we we keep building more and better weapons because our statecraft is broken. We lost the, we lost the, the ability to project American power, uh, probably somewhere between Eisenhower and Nixon. Yeah. Um, because we could not define what it was that we offered the world to counter the Soviet Union, to counter communist China. Uh, and it's, I, I can't remember who the interview was with might have been Johnson. Um, who was it that did the interview with Khrushchev? And the question, essentially, it was a six, I think it was 60 minutes or something like that, but it was a, it was a dialogue between the Soviet Union and the United States with both the leaders. They asked uh, Khrushchev, you know, what is it that the Soviet Union has to offer? And, you know, of course they went through and they, they did their propaganda piece. And then, you know, our, our president at the time went on, and couldn't even define what it was that that we offered, and I don't. I still don't think we can, and that's part of the question. You, that I can yeah, but do you do we you think that? Peace. No, no. Do you think that that's at, because at, we, at we at trans? The of the gun? I mean, do you? I mean, that's at that that far ago, do you think that we were already had this this idea in mind that we were going to be the number one nation in you know consumership, or if that's a word. We're, we're no, just going to be consumers. Well, I mean, how, how far into conspiracy theory do you want to go? We were the only country after World War II that could support uh, European regrowth and still maintain a military power. So that's why we became the, the backing for the petrodollar in terms of military force. Hmm. I, I have a problem with, um, you know, when I was in the military, I wasn't very political at all. Um, and I have a problem, but but when I get into when I would get into going into a conflict or a country, I need to study their culture in order to be able to influence them better. Uh -huh. I never understood the, the America's uh, uh, obsession with we're number one, being number one, and why that's so. Number one, what? Yeah, exactly, e exactly. But and and I, I understand your, the nature of your question. But it's, it's pretty much like we walk in and it's like we're number one in like every freaking thing. And we're very cavalier about it. And we don't really consider that into how we wage campaigns. And not enough of it. Because, again, yeah, 
we're number one in getting involved in other people's shit. Yeah. I mean, at one point, <laughs> we're the global Karen. Yeah. At one point, <laughs> we, were the, we were the world police, right? We were the world police. Right. And, and I think I think now, <laughs> I actually think we need a world police. And, and I think we should be more comfortable with going into some of these countries. Not 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 waving the you know the number one freaking foam hand and shit, but going and say we honestly want to help you guys, not of our own interests. Can we? I think that's part of the process of getting this toothpaste back in the bottle. It's like we need some. We need to look at the world as one entity, right? We got moving parts in the world, sure, but for the you know, the furtherment of humanity, I don't know, a citizen of the universe, a citizen of the, of the planet. Because, I mean, we, we found this to be easy for the last few hundred thousand years or whatever it is, that it's very easy to find ways to kill each other. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, are, are we, aren't we sick of the path of least resistance? Or, you know? Yeah, I don't know how that could never stop. Yeah. I know. I mean, kind of like we talked about last time. It's like even in your team, it's like, are we on a team or are we in competition with one another? Yeah. And I think that for long enough, you know, mm -hmm. the the blood boils and right. will turn to, you know, a lot of ugly shit. And we, I don't even think I, us as a country, we can't even look at USA as a fucking team. We're not a team. We haven't been a team for a long time. It's you know. Been the the closest that we've been was 9-11 i mean to being a fucking team and well, then world war ii if you want to you talking about last 20 30 years yeah no i just mean like the, con the country in order for us to be a team we had to enter the japanese uh american citizens and the germans kind of got a pass but they didn't but they kind of did um and then other people uh you know the italian mob out of new york helped run logistics for yeah. for the war yeah so you know fucking it, detroit saved us they made more fucking mech shit than anyone else in the world to yeah. support that no but the it goes but the, the question i think that i would ask is uh and i i don't necessarily i don't necessarily think it's that we need a police force we need people to actually go and experience other cultures not as a tourist but as somebody who's going to go and contribute something and learn something i believe that the whole teaching pipeline should include that. Yes, absolutely. How much better would it be to have that 25-year-old newly graduated college person that went to Af went to North South Africa and saw life and things or whatever, you know, and saw the struggle of humanity. Yeah. And they can kind of convey that to our kids as they come up. They have an understanding of the world, you know. And I'm going to bake that shit into your education. Yeah, that's and but but also you've got to be careful. You've got there's a, there's another aspect of of it that you've got to guard. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say this point blank, but you don't want to come back from that thinking you know developing a white savior complex of like oh this is why the American you know this is why America is so great is because we have running water and we helped install running water over here. No, we went and helped install running water because water running water is something that improves quality of life. You don't yeah. need a political reason to improve somebody else's life. Right. right. I it's, think I, I think the whole point of politics in, in my head, in terms of your, your branches of philosophy, the whole point, point of politics is to fix the stuff when it goes wrong economically. Yeah. So if we're, if we're over concentrated on politics right now, that, that tells me that the, the disease is actually 
in terms of how we understand our relationships with other people. I, I, and I, I hear less in politics of the word compromise. Because I think, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but as a politician, I think it should be my job to figure out solutions that are equitable to everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. really, that's, okay, that's, Stephen Kobe actually discussed this with the seven ha- habits of highly effective people yeah. is, you know, looking for, looking for the win-win uh, yeah. you know, and not, not being unwilling to walk away when uh, Stephen Covey, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I know as an officer, you probably had to go through seven habits. Yes. No comment. Hey, what, what's on the what's on the battalion commanders reading list? What's on the regimental commanders reading list? What's on the division commanders reading list? What's on the secretary of the army? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chief staff. Yeah. Can you all unify that reading list because I'm running out of time? <laughs> hey, good luck. I I ain't in that game no more. I, I asked my son when I was at his ceremony. I was like, "You read the books? Did you read anything before you got here?" He was like, "No." <laughs> wow. Yeah. Before I went to for, to FA thirty school, I had to read two books: uh, "Made to Stick" and um, Malcolm Gladwell's "Tipping Point." Mm-hmm. Oh, and I, you know what book I think people should bring back and make popular again is "The Ugly American." That had more impact on my understanding of the world than I think any other book I've ever read. The Ugly American. Yeah. I, it's serious. What, what's that about? It used to be required reading for, <laughs> for the soft guys. Um, it's it, it, it's about the juxtaposition between uh, somebody who goes to a foreign country to actually help improve and the U.S. State Department. And it's a, it takes place in a fictitious country that, for all intents and purposes, was Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And and the, the idea is, is you've got somebody that sold their farm in Iowa, buys some farming equipment, and goes to this uh this country to help improve their their farming methods and he ends up running into interference because what he's doing doesn't fit the state department's agenda mm-hmm. yeah and it was, it was a very very critical look at what our state department was doing in the the 50s and 60s especially in south uh south yeah southeast asia gotcha I'm going to do another crazy Ivan for you, for you, uh, Jose. Okay. All right. So U.S. U.S. Information Agency. Are you are you ready? I'm ready. Madeline Albright. I like Madeline Albright, but under her leadership, uh, the U.S. I.A. was disbanded. And remember, remember the conversation we had about like redefining the. Um, the political system under the dynamics of, of national power, you know, dime, diplomacy, information, military, economics. I, I personally think that could work, um, but I, I think we've lost too much ground on the information space in order to be effective anymore. Um, can you guys hear this? El gatito, I hear it. I hear it. Okay. Jesus. You said information space and all I heard was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> can I take one minute and get outside? No, yeah, you go go for it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> go for it. Dude, the only book I remember it's like court, having a kid. The only book I remember is Fire at the Gates. 
That's it was it. Uh, <laughs> message, message from Garcia was my I mean, Yeah, that too. Uh, message to you, Garcia, but you mean on reading list? Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. Like fire at the gates. Well, art of, art, of war, art of war was one of them. The art of war. On commander, commander's reading list. Well, I mean, like the only book that was ever like forced upon me to read was Fire at the Gates. While you were in, while we were in, yeah, dude, that's it. Really? Yeah. And dude, I remember getting lined up like a little, like a little kid. All right, you got to go to Lieutenant Posey and um, show him that you can speak out of B. And I'm like, motherfucker, I'm. All right, so I did. I, I could catch on to language really well. I could speak Spanish and Arabi, and um, I passed that shit. And he's like, well, you only have to read Fire at the Gates now. And I said, okay, roger that. And you know what I was reading, too? Um, it's not it's not a, like, a book, but it was an MCDP. It was Mao's Guerrilla Warfare. That had a mm. lot of influence on my chain of thought. As that, a, a long that is a good way to start for a lot of... Um, Hell, military planners and whatnot, because Mao believed in integrating the I.O. into your infantrymen and soldiers and whatever. So so while you're waging this hierarchy, you know, this this overarching campaign, everyone is nested down to the infantrymen. We don't do that um, because we allow our politicians to appear on TV and call shithole call countries shithole countries yeah. while we're in them. Yes. I mean, they get on TV and call sections of the United States flyover country. Yeah. I mean, dude, you know how hard it was to maintain a communication strategy in country in 2010, you know, with all the political shit going on. And then Iran, oh, yeah, you can't talk too much about Iran. Well, well they're right on the border. And, you know, I got news getting blown They might up. not be your neighbors there, but they're our neighbors here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Iranian-made bombs just went off yesterday, and we can prove it. But yet we can't talk shit about Iran. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was I was at uh, Cobb Adder when they had the Iranian fly over the, the uh, outpost. Yes, that was. So when was that? Because I had Cobb Adder found under one of our... Uh, Fall of 2009, I think. Okay. Out in that direction. And they're like, oh, hey, there's an aircraft. I don't think that's ours. Whose is that? And <laughs> I think it, if I remember correctly, it like took like 35 minutes for somebody to report it up. And it was like, a, yeah, mm -hmm. I think we had an Iranian jet flyover. Yeah. So I was in a pattern set 0708. That's where I had to investigate that freaking shooting that we were talking about last time. Ah, uh, gotcha. Shooting happened outside of Nasseria. Uh-huh. Famous Nasseria. And uh, it was probably, you know, black SUV going north. Our clip, <laughs> Combat Logistics Patrol was going south. Bunch of stuff gets shot up. Yeah. <laughs> 22 sheep got burned. And the, the young lady that was working in a restaurant got shot to the arm. The value of the sheep was more than the female. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna force gump that one right there. That's all I have to say about that. It's a <laughs> cultural differences there, and that you know that also ties back into Nate's point. You know, uh, I think that's a big thing why you know veterans us or you know anybody that's been 
to another country for any amount of time mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. a different outlook on life when they come back and you know yeah it's um, it's not the end all be all but it definitely helps when you come back to the united states after being deployed and it's like dude hell when i went to ranger school i, I mean and I, I hate to say that because i didn't make it out of it but whatever it, it's like when i came out of there with nine cavities and I still like grocery, huh it's still life-changing yeah and, and i went i went into a grocery store and i was like oh my god yeah look at all this food <laughs> <laughs> my first deployment to to cuba I came back and I was like, Walmart, motherfucker. (laughs) Walmart's awesome, you know? And I was deployed in 2004, you know? And as an IT guy, our computer started doing some strange shit. There was one road next to the college where you could go get computer parts. And, And I shit you not, it was like trying to make a hamburger by going to the tomato. They only make tomatoes over here. Okay, you got to go to the bread place if you want bread. Oh, the meat place, that's down the street. So it's like I'm piecing together, like, you sell CPUs, but you don't sell monitors. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's just in Iraq, I'm doing this with, you know, two, two, three, maybe gun trucks in the middle of Indian, you know, country, maybe, you know, trying to fix printers and shit. So, so yeah, it was... Uh, <laughs> High adventure, man. High adventure trying to fix computers that were like getting burnt out, doing weird shit. Blue screen of death just out of nowhere. You know, I mean, I saw some weird shit from computers. I was like, I don't know. Did you did you go into the freaking BIOS settings on this motherfucker? No. Like, well, how did you get? And I, I can't explain it. Can't explain it. I think a lot of it is so, so my, after I was infantry, my follow on, uh, MOS from 2011 to, uh, when I left active duty in 2017 and then stayed with the reserves for three years. Uh, I was, a uh, one of the 12 P's, the prime power guys. Um, I think a lot of that actually came from, uh, instability within the, the power systems, the generation. Oh uh, yeah. We were trying to, I mean, everything that we were running, we were trying to run 60 hertz off of 50 hertz. Yeah. Uh, detected clock speeds and, and stuff like that. Trying to, they were trying to do the, the um, I'm trying to remember what the the actual setup was, but they, they had something that acted like a buffer to step it up to 60 hertz so that our systems would operate. And it wasn't, it wasn't clean power because they didn't, it, it just, it, it wasn't. The rest of the world doesn't use electricity like the United States does. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we treat we treat all power like it's going to be run in a data center. They're like, hey, we're just glad we have the lights on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, from this time to this time. After that, no, that that uses fuel. We're going to cut that off. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, did, I, did I say enough about US, USAI, US, USIA though? Because yeah. one of the things one of the things with that was was synchronization of messaging, right, and synchronization of efforts. And, and the whole the whole basis of IO is deeds, words, and images. All right, either either for your positive argument audiences or changing the perception of your enemy audiences. Right, or doing something to you that you don't expect within your decision making. And and if you can't get congruent on strategic, operational, tactical messaging, then then we've got other work to do. I mean, we blow shit up very, very well, very well. Yeah. We, we can kick ass like no one, but 
as I said before, we've been fighting the last few conflicts since Korea, maybe, with one hand behind our back, and that's our strong hand. And yeah. and and you can't and it's hard for for my soldiers and and, and Marines and airmen and seamen and <laughs> Coast Guard people to uh to to um to operate in that environment when you know you're on the ground and you know that dude I'm handcuffed, man. My execution order in Iraq said no cyberspace operations except on the country of Iraq. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Well, I mean, and that's and that's part of what, what I mean when you talk about like a mental disconnect. When somebody sits down and they write the rules of engagement, and they're like, they completely ignore what your adversary is going to do, but they're going to they're going to they're more than happy to give you your rules. Oh yeah, handcuffs for days. You know yeah. how many arguments I've had with lawyers over the <laughs> and, and, and country of Iraq. I can imagine country of Iraq. I got in a discussion with a lawyer over the country of Iraq. <laughs> And that's a whole different, and I can't even give up, I can't even give you half that discussion because it's classified. And there's shit still going on that I put in for, <laughs> and it's still going on over there. Okay, and let me tell you something. Okay, um, I'm gonna shift, shift, the, shift the discussion real quick, but you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. So if um, if you think that I could, let's just, let's just say I just deployed to Venezuela. And I didn't bring like a server with me in order to cause some kind of chaos within the country of Venezuela that I own that I could funnel shit through. See where I'm going with this? Otherwise, yeah. Might as well just, you might as well just strike through cyberspace operations because I can't. But I can tell you this, that I wrote a lot of plans for cyberspace operations and some of them got used later on. But here's the thing. <laughs> here's here's what they told me when I went to uh, um, God. What did they call the 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 perfume palace place? Whatever. When when Odierno and and uh, um, the, the like were there, the the, the higher ups. It was those in charge. Judge in charge of, of Iraq. I would I would go in their office. I would go to the J thirty nine, the cyber guy, and I would go, Hey man, I I got legit shit here. I could be doing, and he's like. Yeah, just keep writing those con ops because they need to see a need for the for the, the capability before they'll grant you the ability to do shit. Does that make sense? I know it doesn't yeah. make sense, but that's what they were asking us to do. Yeah, so no, I'm, I'm stack of con ops that I turned into, you know, uh, fucking M MNIC, whatever the fuck they were called. Anyway, uh, where the four star was. So I'm turning this stuff in maybe maybe two of those con ops got used wow talk about frustrated is it because they can't see the um like the bda that could come from that like that's a hard metro so, so i believe and you're asking me the question i'm giving you the answer that i thought i thought they were scared Okay. Yeah. So, so for example, there was a there was a, a psyop uh, program uh, activity going on. It was a TV program, and and just just the possibility that some kid in Colorado could tune in at two o'clock in the morning, yeah. 
We're done. No more, no more of that. Think of something else. That's mm -hmm. frustrating. You know, yeah. and uh, my first my first IO brothers, they they were they were in that in that cycle of, of uh frustration as well. I'm not sure if you know that, but the first IO does most of their 95% of their support is to special operations, mm -hmm. CAG and task force and stuff. All right. So, so the problem with that, and I told you within the FA 30 IO community, there's still food fights, man. PSYOP wanted us, just the USASOC wanted us, um, Phil Chile wanted us. And it's like, you can't even, you can't even effectively define it. Yeah. We keep changing that shit every three to four years. So why would I expect any commander to understand what my job really is when I come see him? You know, it's not their fault. It's not their fault. And, yep. and I believe because of that, because a lot of IO dudes get relegated or not enough of, of them. And this was a frustration I had while on active duty because there were only 300 of us. There were only, there was one IO general officer and they put him in a cyber position. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we went the wrong direction with a, a four-star cyber command. I really do. I think I think there should be a four-star information operations command. Of course, they're going to say, of course, you're going to say that because you're an IO guy. But no, 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 no. Let's think about this. As we both have, as we all have agreed, agree, technical solutions ain't going to win you that war. Yep. All right? IO is about neurons and electrons. All right? And, and, and. I hate to use the word manipulation, <laughs> but using those capabilities to create and 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 make and do uh, and create effects. Well, and all and all actually You're doing that with cyber. The only reason it has to be manipulation is again back to when your statecraft is broken. Yeah. You know why why are we involved in the first place? We could have easily been in any of these countries doing something constructive literally yeah. um, to help them improve the situation. And uh, General Dempsey's book uh, that he wrote, um, Spider in the, uh, yeah, Spider in the Starfish, uh, yeah. where they talk about the, the most effective countermeasure against radicalization was to give people something of value. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because if you give them something of value, they actually have skin in the game. But, yeah. You know, and, and apparently, you know, when you talk, that should be the other half of the polygraph is, you know, how do you how do you plan on handling your neighbors? Are you going to see them as adversaries or are you going to see them as neighbors? Right. You know, and, and, and I think you the problem is, is the whole idea of being a global community got hijacked by people that want to use that to manipulate it for economic reasons. Yeah. They don't they can't see another way to do it. You know, one of the one of the things I ask a lot of veterans, uh, especially those that were in combat arms, mm -hmm. is, what is it you want to see from the world now? You know, after your years of service, you know, you hung up your axe, <laughs> you hung up your, your 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 gear. What is it that you would like to see from the world? You know, Dude, that's a good fucking question, man. And, um, here's, that's like, here's the here's the answer that I get. Uh, and I hang around, you know, some some like-minded people, but they but they're critical thinkers, so they're going to challenge my thoughts. And I go, well, for me as a former warfighter and contributor to you know numerous 
numerous uh, enemy um, deaths. Um, I don't want to see the world do that anymore. Mm. That's just me. I want to see the world work its way into peace somehow, to work itself through these issues, because at you know, it, it's just not worth it, man. We get so much. We would get so much more out of you know supporting one another and 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 complementary efforts and learning from each other. Holy shit, you know, we have closed the door on on reaching out to our fellow fellow human. Mm -hmm. uh, and and yeah, I think concept of dialogue. Yeah, it's it's rough, man. When you have when you have lives that are on your conscience, and you really think about that, you know the the kids they could have had, the the mom or dad, the, the you know all that shit. You don't want you don't want to do that no more. Of that and and if you do, I mean, I guess good on you. There's a place for you somewhere, but I mean, to me, that's not the way of the world. Yeah, I think the, the most sobering thing for me is when you look at the number of our casualties to the number of their casualties, that wasn't a war. Yeah, man. That, that was shit. And, and, and yeah, we can be, being there, being on the ground, having lost friends. It's a really tough thing to look at that and just be like, I'm not convinced that we did that the right way. Yeah. And I don't put it on the guys that I went with and I don't put it on you know, the, the company commanders that led their troops the way that they led their troops. That all goes back to the politicians. Why were we there in the first place? What could right. you not resolve with, with actual statesmanship, not politics, but statesmanship that could have, that we could have solved these problems decades ago if it yeah. wasn't for somebody's agenda. Yeah. I, and, and, I, you know, you feel that. I think it's mostly a feeling you get after the fact, though, because it's just like Jose, when, when we were talking, it's like, man, I just wanted to get some. I wanted to kick down doors and shoot people in the face and jump out of planes and do all that fun shit. And I didn't think about the politics behind it. I was just like, I was just like send me so I could go get some action. I can get some. That was my accessibility. Uh, no, it's uh, yes and no. Part of it's the training. It's it, it's It's conditioning. Sorry. Susceptibility, in my mind, susceptibility is what you enter with. Um, conditioning is what you leave with. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. You, and, 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 I mean, conditioning, like sports, getting getting in shape for a sport, yeah. that's conditioning. Yeah. Um, being convinced that you have to go play a sport, that's susceptibility. Right. Yeah. Right. If, you, if you don't have an answer that comes from you, to why you do something that right that right there is my biggest uh right. that, that's where my red flag goes off like so why'd you why'd you choose to do this yeah um you know and, and i'm gonna actually i want to i want to i want to exacerbate that um looking at both sides of the political conflict of course you're going to hear a lot of talk about you know the, the trans and stuff like that um and it's funny the and i'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna say any names but um the the whole concept of Christian nationalism to me is hilarious <laughs> because yeah to yeah. to even to even suggest that means that you've completely missed the point because you cannot just call something something yeah. and expect it to, to become that 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 to me is like the ultimate magical thinking 
Um, and, and it is, it, it is the theological basis of Christianity as you can possibly get. Um, and so it's, it's laughable because I do talk to a lot of people that would get labeled as, uh, you know, extreme right wing. And the, the general sentiment among them when it comes to the Christian nationalism is like, wait, what? That's what they think we are? That's hilarious. Because it's it's not just a, you can't just label something and then expect it to grow into that. It takes some conditioning. Um, you know, and so, you know, the, this idea of uh, the, I, I am more concerned about the subversion that took place. I mean, and if I, if I disappear, it's going to be because of this statement, but Operation Mockingbird <laughs> was 80% the Christian church in the United States and 20% media. Wait, wait, say that again. Cause I was laughing. <laughs> no, Operation Mockingbird was 80% church and 20% media in the United States before yeah. it got uncovered. They made a big deal out of the media stuff. Nobody wanted to talk about what was going on in the churches at that point in time. Hmm. So, so I, I often, you know, I've had small groups before, and this is often, it could, this could get on a tangent, but I'm just going to say this. That whole Christian, you know, the, the Catholics and all that shit, and, and then like all the bad shit that happened. And I'm not just talking about black slavery. I'm talking about in general and welcoming the foreigner and having all these tenets and, and, and teachings of this, this religion but yet there was still this overwhelming amount of passivity from Christians mm -hmm. against the, that, that violated the, the teachings of their religion. Mm -hmm. But yet here we are. And, and I get, I, I just, and I have a problem with when you see these politicians, oh, racism is over. Oh, we're done with that. Oh, we're moving. we had a black president. Yeah, we wrote it out of existence. Well, let me let me ask you something. And I use those people that say that. That yeah, I've talked to a couple of people, and I'm like, did you did you eat pork when you were growing up? Oh yeah, I love it. I said, well, imagine if you came to my house where we don't eat pork. And this is a, a this is this is an imaginary scenario. But it's like, how do you think we feel about those people that eat it? Especially if they're telling me that it's bad for you. You're going to do this. Matter of fact, if you eat pork, you're going to turn into this and that and the other, and you're going to have a bad attitude. Even if you legislate for people that eat pork to be treated a certain way, my feelings are going to continue that legacy of hate. Okay? I'm using a bad analogy, but you see where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. It's like you can't just say something is over because your policies don't give a fuck about my feelings. I get it, Ben Shapiro, but um, there, there's a such thing as institutionalization and, and, and like historic norms, right? Mm -hmm. We're not talking about like, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> when it comes to like racism, I don't like to get into racism because people think, you know, <laughs> this, that, and the other, and then they get hurt feelings and all that shit. But here's the thing it is it, like, no, you can't legislate feelings, but you can you can damn sure institute policy and create awareness better than we've done. And I, I can and, and the problem that with America is that they they're they're trying to solve the problem all wrong, right? If you went to therapy today and you said, "Hey, I'm fucked up," 
they're going to go, well, what was your relationship with your father, your mother? How were you brought up? Do you have any brothers and sisters? Do you, mm -hmm. Are you an angry person? Da, 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 da. What's your history? Can you carry a gun? Can you drive a truck? Yeah. So, so all I'm saying is, and I was trying to make a really, really ugly segue into mental health, but um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we we we've got some issues in this country that we need to need to solve now. Uh, and I, I want to just make a little statement about that because I, I do a lot of of uh, talking about different subjects with different people. But I often tell them, it's like, if you think I'm, if you think I'm complaining, look at where I'm doing service in my life. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that all the, all the things that I complain about, I'm doing some sort of service in my life about, especially with the things I'm most passionate about, which is, you know, uh, healthcare of veterans, PTSD awareness, and, and taking, you know, taking care of yourself afterwards and having those hard discussions. And, you know, shit, I was running a PTSD support group in my backyard, you know, because I was like, all I want to do is save one. I need one person not to go through the shit that I had to go through. Okay. And, and, and I wish that I would have done it sooner. I wish that I had mentors that were encouraging me to do it sooner. Other than, you know, the, the machismo and the, the environment of, of like, yeah, if you go there, now you're on that list. And, and now you're saying that you can't hack it. And, and, uh, yeah, man, it, it, it was it was hard because nobody, nobody in 1999, not one person, not one person after my brother got killed in a motorcycle accident, and I had to go back to work, said, hey, man, you need to go talk. You need to go to counseling. Yeah. Not one person. They were sending me songs and shit like that, whatever. Not one person said go to counseling. Come back after 2004, my first combat deployment, because I'd been deployed to Cuba in Egypt, and then it was combat. I had deployed two times other than my first combat deployment. So when I went and I came back, yeah, we had that shit. And we talked about this before, where it's like, don't beat your wife. Don't don't drink too much, blah, blah, blah. And it was like- Yeah, and oh, by the way, you get drunk for 48 hours. One fucking class. Yeah. One class from the chaplain, talking about don't beat your wife and some 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 book about being married to an idiot or some shit. There's a book out. That's the title of it. What? <laughs> Seriously. And he's, he's like, he's like talking from that book. And I'm like, dude, my wife probably cool. wrote that, but huh? My wife probably wrote that. <laughs> book, but, I mean. but I mean, you know, and then you miss people because like, you're not talking to me. Cause at the time I didn't have a spouse, you know? Yeah. Just, just, hey, just let me go to my hotel so I can watch this chick flick and start crying. <laughs> you know what's interesting about that? It's like a big, like a big, I hate using the word trigger, but I use it, I use it quite a bit. But like a big, a big trigger for me is like people that can't differentiate passion and anger, right? And yeah. it's like when oh. you're a passionate person and you're, and you're coming across about something you're, you're fucking like invested in. Yeah. And you know, people like, whoa, like calm down. It's like, dude, no. And then dude. and then they start like like projecting onto you like you got a fucking problem. And it's like, dude, now you're about to send me there because I'm just, you know, I'm trying to get my points across because I'm involved in those yeah. points. And, and I'm glad look, I'm glad you brought that up, man, because that's part of that. I'm a veteran, nobody understands. 
I'm seen as the crazy guy. I'm the, yeah. the remember, you remember Police Academy? I'm dating myself. Tackleberry. Yeah. You're, you're fucking Tackleberry. Dude, I was Tackleberry yeah. on my, on my, um, my college staff. Okay. One day we had a shit day. We had a terrible boss. Uh, I told you about my experience to Dissa and others, but whatever. She was one of the worst bosses I've ever had. Anyway, uh, she came in and just railed us. And then she left and we had work to do. And I was like, well, you know, at least nobody's throwing slobbing grenades at us. We should be good. Yeah. <laughs> Look, 85 to 90% of the staff was female. Okay. Not never been in the military. Cush jobs, whatever. Their eyes went like this. I was like, well, what? Nobody's shooting at us. We're good. Yeah, yeah. I had no understand. No, I was totally oblivious to that. Zero context. <laughs> oh my god, I was freaking Tackleberry that day. But it goes to that divide, man. And yeah. I tried. I tried to gain some ground, but after that, it was like, yeah, well, I don't think we're gonna talk to you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so yeah, my journey with mental health, man, was it was a rough one, man. It was self. It was a lot of self-study. Uh, it was embarrassing. Um, and a lot of shame, especially as an officer. You know, when you're sitting in the waiting room and everybody in there, E3, E4, E5, and you don't see no officers that are having issues. Well, I can tell you that they are. Yeah. Right? Yep. And, uh, you know, that dude that blew himself away in the parking lot uh, and there in Kansas, I think he was in the VA, in the parking lot of the VA. I work yeah. with a dude, uh, you know, and it's just, I, I, I don't, I'm glad, I, I'm happy about how they approach it now. Um, I, I just don't know, and, and you know this as well as I do, and it's kind of like that whole thing, like we were talking about racism and policies and Jim Crow and all that kind of stuff. It's like, you still have the dude, the section sergeant, that's like, you ain't on a fucking sick call. You got a job to do. Yeah. Sick call for what? Well, you know, uh, mental health, get your ass back down there in the line. You know what I'm saying? And, and you got to have the whole team on board. You know, I think one of the things that I deal with sitting on a board of directors for a 501c3 that wants to talk about mental health is, yeah, where are the other officers? Where's the general officer that's going to come forward and say, hey, guys, I had my shit too. Let's talk about it. This is a thing. You just don't see a lot of them. Colonels, general officers coming forward. You say, yeah, it's a thing, and I experienced this, but you haven't really, you don't have a lot of examples of it. Now, I do, because I've known some of these dudes, like an SF officer who used to go up to upstate New York from Fort Bragg to see a psychiatrist, so nobody would know about it. Mm. Go on, leave, go see your psychiatrist, come back to Fort Bragg. Because he was afraid of, you know, getting a bad report. And and we got to get away from that, man. But yeah, I think I, I think one of the big things like in the military is and I've just come to recently learn this on how I view like peers or, or individuals I have to interact with is like everybody has mm-hmm. a predetermined capacity for certain things. Right. But and when you when you enlist in the military or, you know, become an officer, that capacity is to the max. It doesn't matter what your actual capacity for sustaining certain things is. 
you are expected to perform at this level regardless. It doesn't matter. And I still I still look at people that way because you know I I was I felt like I was indoctrinated in that. Maybe I have a high capacity myself. So like I I have to realize that people around me don't necessarily have my capacity. And mm-hmm. and that's fucking difficult, right? It is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's difficult because it it changes the way you interact with people. You know, I always you know, I I'm involved in a family business and I luckily work, you know, with my mother and father. And yeah. I joke with my dad, you know, I give him a hard time all the time, but I'm like, you don't have the gears I have. You have low gears. I have high gears. Like we're, we're not necessarily compatible to work around because all he wants to do is slow me down. And all I want to do is get it done. So I can actually slow down. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to do for people. Um, yeah. But but when you go, when you sign up and you go in and you're in a team environment, the, the, your capacity is at this level. It doesn't matter. It's here. It doesn't matter where your actual level is at as an individual, the team's level is here. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that it's not true. So when individual soldier, you know, Lance Corporal P, private PVC, uh, PFC needs to go to sick call cause he's in the dumps, like, we're like, nah, hell nah. We got, we got to go to range or we got to, we got to field out, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, you're not, that's not right. But also is it wrong though? Because I've said it before, especially if we're looking for strong backs still. Yeah. You need need those strong backs to be dogs. It doesn't matter. Get over that. Absolutely. Hey dude, this is a profession of arms and, and, and maybe it shows poorly. Um, yeah, you know, because everybody has a compa- we can't play pain Olympics. I actually, you know, I learned oh. that from my young <laughs> my youngest well, son, right there. <laughs> dude, my youngest son, he he's uh he suffers from you know depression and anxiety and stuff. And I was in that I was in that space of like I ain't no punk. You know, you're trying to be don't be a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm all about David Goggins, by the way. Okay? Right. But that that aggressive positivity, I love that shit. Okay, that was my my inner monologue for many years. You know what's positivity? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but like, what about when you're when your your Joey comes up and he's like, you know, now you got to go through this fucking calculus, man. It's like I don't have time for this. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and unfortunately, that's a thing. Because are we gonna do this? Are we gonna do this in combat? Right. Hey, Joe, you need to, you need to see the chaplain. We're on the fucking front lines here, bro. And I need to get in, I need to get in a stack and start clearing people rooms. Right. You know, Raising I think that's up. where that's where where um, ritual and reference uh, plays a part, and that's yeah. something that we don't do in a in a meta modern world. And that's what scares me is that we create the conditions that this type of um, response and reaction thrives and grows in. Right, so. For example, um, whenever talking about mental health, right, at least in the operational spectrum, they view it as there's a stigma to it, right? That there's a level of weakness. But that's also part of the narrative space, right? How we, um, how we're able to articulate that it's not about weakness. It's rather about biology and uh, longevity, sustainability of the overall organization, the mission. 
And the only way to do that is to combat the stress hormones, or at least counter the stress hormones that eventually become toxic to you. And well, it's not like you could look like in a gunfight, right? Yeah, you could fucking have like some type of therapy if you're doing the seven fundamentals of you know marksmanship, right? If you're aiming down range and firing, but you're not going through that process, right? So what do you do afterwards? Oh, I smoke a cigarette or um, I go fucking drink a bunch of fucking caffeine. And no, that, that's not what you do. You, you do other forms of ritual, whether ritual in terms of what bets, what best suits your variability. So my individual protocols and be a little bit different from John's individual protocols, whether that be diet, nutrition, and or a series of actions, whether it's meditating, whether it's yoga, whether it's grounding, whether it's tracking, whether it's processing through story and or prayer, right? And as a result of the current conditions where we're censoring and we're cutting off massive amounts of uh, what could potentially lead to radicalization or extremism, we no longer have those reference points. And so like, take, for example, the whole Christian nationalism, right? So how is someone who's a young buck coming up into the military or even just, a, you know, in general, is supposed to acknowledge that, like, oh, my goodness, I have to have a certain level of respectability and have to be limited to the amount of faith that I can portray before it's viewed as something as pathogenic. So the, the, the conditions and the reference and the rituals that allotted us the ability to overcome a lot of this shock trauma or this human dimension I get sidewinded as a result of the current adversarial and the current domestic uh, um, capabilities of, again, you know, using tech and software to almost eradicate all of it all. So it's like a, it's a vicious circle, but how do you accomplish that mission? And I think looking at it from the procedural, the, mechan the mechanical uh, percept of, of how we've been looking at it through a lens of only 20 years um, is, is not good. So what do we have to do? Well, that's where complexity science comes in, right? You have to decompose and recombinate so that you can gain granularity. And doing so requires massive amounts of introspection and education into um, what this question is, right? Like, what are we? Who are we? This ontological sense of self, right? The, the study of who we are. And what that means, especially in today's sense, like what is a man or what is it to be this biological creature that has, you know, dick and balls. Um, and, and we're not doing that. We're actually just cutting off, literally and figuratively speaking, we're cutting off all these components that make us who we are and give us the options to not unbecome. And so... This is why I think a lot of people get thrown off whenever I speak about mental health is because they don't want to look at it in its complexity. And that complexity is only compounded as a result of the conditions that we're creating, not just politically, but um, within our own communities. We're attempting to use um, temporal limited, like temporal limited, like percepts to and not, you know, this is not a general, I can't blanket at all, but we're, we're using a very short interval uh, solutions-based approach rather than looking at it through its entire historical sense. Mm. And, and you can't do that moving forward. I mean, 
And we haven't even touched on the epigenetic and the genetic component of, of what's driving us right now and how much of that is actually artificial or created through this monopoly of manipulation, right? So yeah. if our tradecraft is shit, right? Uh, and we have to use manipulation, what, what impact is that manipulation happening um, where it's now intergenerational? And so we get in this other vicious cycle where it's like, not only is our food horrible, not only is our thought process horrible, not only is our institutional viability horrible, but now we have this package in us that's horrible. And what do you do with that? Um, and, you know, to like top that off and like get back to it, it's like, I think there's a sense of evolution taking place right now. I think we're seeing evolution take place where the systems are, are cannibalizing themselves as a result of homeostasis. I think that in some sense, like the cyclical entities, right, this egregore type thing that like permeates within institutions um, is, is, is rooting out all these uh, bad actors or these vectors that are not creating good outcomes or, or positive outcomes. And I think some way, somehow that this, this whole entire systems of the United States is, is, is leading toward a kind of like cleansing on its own. And I think, yeah, you know, I think we, me and Nate, we talk about this a lot. Um, there's, there's global implications as a result of people, as, as a result of the United States not being pliable to uh, a, a new way of, of, of global thinking. And so there's forced measures that are taking place. Um, and what is that? It's digitization. That's these autonomous things that have now permeated um, and become gamified in order to leverage entire populations to thinking in a differently radical way. Uh, that means the destruction or the, 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 the revolution of certain political uh, parties and or their uh, clergy that, you know, uh, that give them the, the, the fire. And maybe it's a good thing that that evolution is happening. It seems scary to us, but it only seems scary to us because I think that there's this kind of undertone or not undertone, maybe this idea that we're all looking for rest and peace, having seen the fucking chaos that comes with what we did. Yeah. And, and that, that, that goes full circle into what I was talking about, about what you want as that, that warrior who was hung it up. You know, how, what do you want to see of this world? Do you want to see it go to heuristic? Uh, I would sum up what you're saying as heuristics and critical thinking, you know, or do, or do you want to, you want to see the, the, uh, the conditions remain for more conflict. And I, I would say overwhelmingly that former veterans would go with heuristics and critical thinking and understanding of our fellow person in order not to have to um, uh, do more of this warfare. It's kind of like the Medal of Honor winner, the dude that said, hey, you know, you guys have great countries and everything, but if you want to mess with the United States, your kids are going to be raised by somebody else. All right. If we, if we fought with the strong hand, is really what he was talking about, but we're not doing that. Yeah. What we're doing is what you were talking about, man. And, and it goes back to how are we going to, how do we get out of this 
Well, I think it's, I think, so not just like evolution in terms of like the system itself, it's cleaning itself out. I think there's another type of evolution taking place where I think humans who have somewhat actualized um, are noticing these mm-hmm. patterns subconsciously. And so they're attempting to find out who's out there, what's viable, um, where's my survivability most likely. And and I think out of that, out of like this cleansing or, or this purge, even if it's forced, that those groups are what's going to be uh, the, I don't even want to say it's a utopia, but that's going to be the template to move forward into this this new age. And, and what is, and I don't mean like new age in terms of like this like flowery thinking, I'm talking about this way of seeing this planet and our place in it and our relationship with these kind of like older gods or God itself, whatever it may be, because we're going to need that in this new paradigm. So Tyler, Tyler, do we, do we need to throw him a line? Is he going too far? We, do we need boundaries for him? (laughs) There's no boundaries with Jose, man. There's no boundaries with him. Right. All right. All right. No, no, no. no. So you just got to dip it. You just got to dip in where you want to dip in. No, that's why we love him, dude, because he brings up, I mean, and I just want to make, you know, I hate, I hate war now, right? I hate war now. And that kind of, you made me think a little bit, because it's like, what do you want? What do you want? I don't want war. But I also don't want, I, I guess I don't think it's, people are deserving to walk this planet that treat others a certain way either. And I'm talking about the real heinous shit that all of us yeah. know and probably have experienced uh, close up enough to know that no matter how this situation we're involved in plays out politically, I do not feel bad about the deeds that I've done. No, that's not that's not my question. No, no, no. I, and I knew it, I knew it wasn't. Do, yeah, yeah. But I. I I mean, because regret's one thing, right? And you know, living your life and doing your job is another. I mean, that's just kind. Of, that's kind of like when you know, dudes just get all a bit out of shape about I'm a Christian, but uh, I pretty yeah. much plan and do premeditated murder, right, for my job. Yeah. Um, and I would tell you that I I'm not sure. I mean, it, when we, for example, when you use as your patron saint Michael and David as your mascots as a paratrooper. Look at their lives. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying. Those were, yeah, I know. I know what you're talking were, about. Dudes were, were steeped in warfare. You know what I mean? Well, and, uh, part of it is, uh, here, here's the thing. That's, that, there's, there's an attack on the, instead of attacking war, they're attacking the warrior. Um, yes. Because why, why do we have war in the first place? It's a conflict of values. It's that is that is the final result of value resolution between two conflicting parties. Yeah. Um, and this is part of the reason why I say we're not going to fix it with politics. We're going to fix it with statecraft because statecraft searches for a resolution between two conflicting values. And it's either in, in real statecraft says we are either going to find a win-win solution or we're going to find a no win solution but you understand that if it comes to conflict and having to choose one over the other 
we like you said, we've had we've had the strong hand tied behind our back because we're not playing it like it's a value resolution. That's what we've told the world for the last sixty some years is that we don't. All of this is meaningless. This is they're, they're, we're not actually searching out any value in warfare. We've spent warfare like it's a commodity when it should be. Warfare is sacred. Warfare is when you say this has reached the point where what you are doing is so in conflict with my values yeah. that if I don't stop you from doing this, yeah. you're going to destroy that which I value. And I, that's and I, what think, I, think, I think, Jose, that's probably why you've had a problem with describing what we've been doing the last 20 years as wars. Yeah. Um, and and that's, it's spot on where it's like, it, it hasn't been, man. I mean, it's like, when it's like it's like me doing jujitsu on a guy that doesn't know shit about fighting. It's like I'm gonna win, but but at at, at that at that, it's like fighting a midget. Yeah, it's and then you go, then you go. Okay, I'm gonna because you're a midget, I'm or a little person. I'm sorry, I don't know what the, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the same I don't know what the same we, words are. We love them. We love them all. All shapes and sizes. We love them <laughs> because you are a little person. I'm gonna now take a knee. And try to fight you and it's like yeah why I, I actually i actually heard this from a little person so the way that i'm saying it was literally <laughs> you know if you fight a midget and you lose you're gonna look like an absolute he goes yeah. but if you fight yeah. a midget and win i'm still going home with her yeah because yeah. now you look like a real asshole <laughs> Well, and look, and, and hey, if, that, if, that, if that little person wasn't talking shit, you know, let me stop. The reason why I say it that way is we, we picked the last 20 years of fights, the last 40 years of fights, the last 60 years of fights with countries that we should have militarily dominated, but we didn't have the will to dominate. Because if we had the will to dominate, that would make us really reflect on why we were there. No, we, we were... We were there casually. We we thought that was just a, you know, we were shocked at the numbers of what that we lost in Vietnam, because we weren't expecting it to be a conflict. We didn't right. go in there Yeah, and and that's not that's not on the warriors that went there. We didn't go into Iraq and Afghanistan. We 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 went into roll through like a drive by shooting and ended up there for twenty years. Mm-hmm. That was we we went there for vengeance. Yeah, let's be honest about it. Yeah. And it's, it's sad that the the unification over 9-11 got played out in a in a in vengeance theater. Yeah. Dude, I you know, and I don't want to get into how we pulled out of both Iraq and Afghanistan, but I can tell you that I think we dishonored ourselves, we dishonored them, we we let them down. Um, I know of several people that died as a result of us just as a yep. just as a turnover of authority and relinquishing you know the the area of responsibility to first cavalry regiment who did not want to cover down on our previous interpreters and protect their families and they died as a result of it you know the other thing we were doing in Kuwait when we were having our funeral service was we were raising a um basically a goFundMe for the 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 squadron commander's former interpreter and his family mm. Because he'd been killed and his wife and kids are now fatherless. And oh, by the way, some are still being hunted by, yeah. you know, because are we going to protect them? No. Did you, did you do a present patrol beside their house or some shit like we used to do? No. Because you, you don't care, right? 
because that's not your that's not your person. You brought your own intern. Which we, we treated them as much as a commodity as we as we do our members. Do that. Do actually that. understand the value of warfare. Not that's that. Not that it's something to be sought out. Yeah. But it's. I mean, it, that's that's that challenge coin that you understand that when you spend this, there's no coming back from this. Yeah. That's that. That's that's a blood debt. Yeah, man. So we don't, yeah. but we don't talk about those things. We, we no, don't and, talk and, about and even and even the dudes that do know about that, I mean, it's hard to talk about. Because yeah. I mean, just just psychologically, just knowing that, where it's like, you know, a dude died because he translated for us, and we pulled out, and then yeah. and then you know the next unit didn't feel like protecting him. Yeah. How many? How many? How much of that shit happened? Oh, I don't even want to fucking imagine. I don't even want to imagine that because it's fucking. You know, a guy has nothing. You're like his his hopes and dreams rest on our shoulders, and then yeah. it's just like, oh, you know what? Change of plans. Peace yeah. out, dude. Good luck. And then it's like motherfuckers in your community don't remember, and half of them will probably rat you out if if bad guy shows up to the door saying who's fucking helping the Americans like and yeah while we're on while we're on this whole thing and I know it goes a bit negative but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it anyway uh when I'm thinking about those that have passed and been killed and 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 um you know the the interpreters and the and the local nationals that were genuinely trying to help us and like we pull out of there and and like leave that shit in shambles it's kind of like man that's the shit to me that's the shit that keeps me up at night. Mm. It's it's not necessarily a soldier who was doing his job who gets killed. That is a tragedy. Don't get me wrong. But he was doing his job. You know, this dude decided to work with the military and help us do our thing in a place that he recognized he wanted his 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 community to be better. Leaned on us and we abandoned him. That is some serious shit. Because I look, I'm 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 a very loyal friend. And I have a very small circle. Um, if I meet you and you tell me you're going to do something, and you don't do it. I'm probably done with you. All right. I mean, how many countries around the world are done with us? Just on, just, you know, yeah. because, because they're wiser than the other ones. It's like, I'm not asking the United States to do anything. Did you see what they did to those guys? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we look at the last 60 years and you, you have to laugh at people that are like, well, I don't understand how bricks happen. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, man, I don't, I don't really know where we go from here. I have a list of, of like things I write in my book about on solutions, how we can fix education, how we could fix, you know, politics, you know, um, but, well, but it, we, we can always, we can always do a part three. Um, <laughs> my, my, well, I mean, well, you know what? That's a, that, I, I think that's actually a damn good challenge because that's really something that's been pretty heavy on my heart since when I when I did the podcast uh, with Pat and just and we're begging you for fucking we're begging you for light at the end of the tunnel, man. No, but I, I my entire life has been spent troubleshooting things. Yeah. If I don't come to the table with a solution, I am not doing my job. Right. Right. So, and, and this is, you know, this is something I've been, I've been challenged with locally and challenged with personally. So why not spend two hours talking about solutions? 
you know, and, and you know, and to the point where you can even invite more people in and be like, hey, mm-hmm. this, is a, this is a task force. Let's actually come up with solutions. How exactly do we solve these problems? You know, yeah. and and part of part of the reason why I bring that up is I actually want to leave this conversation with with something because it's not just the question of national identity. Everything under attack right now has to do with identity. So when you know when you talk about uh, you know veterans and stuff like that, what it, what is their identity in their head? That when you start yeah. asking yeah. that question, you start picking apart like how do you how do you view yourself? Yeah, and and there are there are a lot of people that have uh, recoiled from this idea, but most people don't realize that Alexander the Great happened because of his mother whispering his identity in his ear his entire childhood. I love that's, that. That's a that's the influence our mothers have over us. I love that. Yeah, and the power that a mother has. Um, but that also talks that a person's capacity and a person's capability is direct reflection of what they're told they are. So if you tell somebody that they're incapable, if you tell somebody that they're injured, if you tell somebody that they're wounded, are you, are you telling them that as a, you know, is that something temporary or is that all you leave them with? And that's all they, you know, that's all they're left to believe. You know, we, and this is, you know, and this bleeds over into our national politics and this bleeds over into our international politics. What do we tell the rest of the world that they are? We can't even define what we are. So why are, what are we offering? Look, identity and confidence is going to keep your daughters off the stripper pole. Okay. Just let me say. Maybe, <laughs> hey, maybe, that, maybe that's why, listen, maybe that's why we just run around the world saying we're number one. Cause if we're number one, everybody else is losers. Right. Even if we're not really that right there, dude, that is probably the most American shit you've said this whole podcast. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, because that's, I mean, that's how we've done it, bro. That's how we've done it. So and, if we're number one, everybody too. else is losers, dude. Ricky, Bob, that's Ricky Bobby shit. But I just yeah. don't, I don't understand why we have to adapt that mentality because it, it's like if you invited me, if I invite you to my house and you walk in here saying, you know, Brian, I'm number one. I'll still eat, <laughs> I'll still eat dinner here. But well, I'm number one. I, I think that was a a, a kind of like linguistic technology, right? It drives a machine of innovation, right? If I tell two thirds of the world that they're third world countries, then it's up to you know the mm. millions of savior complexes. To like the cream and, rises, the cream yeah. rises, and be like, I'm gonna show yeah. you. You you are what I say you are. That, That's but like the same but, as winning, bro. <laughs> But it, but but it goes like all right i'll give you an example like being in academia like being at the college they're the the same it's like the same trope that i see the world is a horrible place and i want to make it better this everything's just so horrible and i just i just want to make it better how are you going to make it better mm-hmm. have you experienced the world you're you're 19 ah. you're 20 how yeah. do you not know that oh, the, the Afghan farmer is not happy? Yeah, I, I just it, so I mean. Here's, well, here's here's what I used to notice as a as a dependent growing up in in Europe. That each time I came back to the states from Germany, I would do a comparison in my head, and now these are comparisons of a six, an eight year old, eleven year old, whatever it is that's been in another country, and I would go. 
man, that highway system was sure a lot better in Germany. <laughs> you know, that education yeah. system was sure a lot better in Germany. So it's possible for our allies and people around the world to do things better than we have, you know, <laughs> and I'm, I'm okay with that. And I'm not sure how the rest of America feels about that in order for us to have our identity and, 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 and defining ourselves to the world. Yeah. It's yeah, like, we, are you okay with not being like, you know, number we, one in this area? Because you're not. I mean, we're not number one. Far from it, actually. And, and something needs to change. But not enough, not enough people are, are willing to go beyond the way we've always done it and political black backlash in order to make positive change, which of course is gonna be uncomfortable at first. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have to stop treating the world as a contract cycle and actually go and solve problems permanently. Or, or better yet, ask for advice on how to solve problems. Oh shit, whoa, hey, huh. that's crazy talk, bro. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I have <laughs> crazy talk. America asked for help, oh my God. Yeah. No, but like, you know, let's, and, and, man, I will harp on this all day long, but when we talk about like, you know, if, if you want to make an impact in the world, how are you meeting, how are you meeting people's needs? at the local level, at the, you know, mm, state mm, level, uh, yeah. you know, whatever. But when, when you talk about solving problems, what are you doing, not just to alleviate pain, yeah. but to remove the existence of something that prevents somebody from reaching their highest potential? We don't, I, I don't know a whole lot of people that, that even view the world from those terms. And this is some, this is the only reason I do is because I had to go through a transition of, I had to stop looking at things the way I did because everything stopped making sense. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because I totally understand where you're coming from. Dude, I limit myself to one hour of news for every yep. two days. Oh, wow, every two days. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nate's no, soaking in it. <laughs> yeah, 24-hour news cycle, you only, you know. You're gonna get yeah. the same thing. You gotta, you gotta, like that. You gotta, I only really do local news. You okay. gotta find the you gotta find the different avenues uh, of information. I don't. I feel, I mean, if you guys were at we're like pushing three hours. If you guys want to do, <laughs> you guys want to do a part three, and maybe Jose can wrangle some uh, some hitters up. If you want to, if we want to do like a solution session. You know, oh, man. I'd like to see yeah. Nate. I, I would uh, love to. Talk I'd like to see Nate. Tyler, Jose, what? Nate. I want to thank you for this, but I also want to say, it it is in my book right now. I have a statement in there that says, if there was a committee or a panel to make changes in the United States, I would want to be on it. All right, I have a okay. list of shit. Okay, <laughs> so if we want to get into that, man, I, I I got ideas, and they're not. It's not off the wall shit either. No. Fix fix the, the local problems that are actually in danger of people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I I fix, I, fix the water system in Flint, Michigan. Yeah. And and down in Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, but but exactly. Like you go after go after the problems that attack the, the basic needs, Maslow's hierarchy. You start okay. with food, shelter, water. Yep. Solve those problems. Then work on the next tier. 
Is then right. we're next year. Yeah. But you know, it's and and fix them permanently. Don't make it a contract cycle so that you can hang around as the you know. Don't don't go installing stuff so you can be a plumber. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you just. Uh, I mean, if we were getting us to solutions. Uh, the trades in high school needs to come back. Yep, yep. It not only needs to come back, but it also needs to be modernized. Yeah. yeah. I would I would go as far as this, and I'll give a I'll give you an example. When I say, you know, when we when we start talking about like a document like the Constitution was which is supposed to be malleable, and but yet we don't look at current conditions and and practically apply it. Like you can't practically apply certain things in the constitution to society right now. How am I expected to get a free, if I murdered somebody right now, do you think I'm going to get a free and impartial, uh, uh, impartial jury um, two weeks from now after it's been on a news cycle, 24 seven, whatever. Okay. So that amendment that covers a free and impartial jury or speedy trial and all that shit, that is irrelevant now. Okay. How am I going to get an impartial jury in the state of North Carolina if you decide to try me here, which is usually how that works? So how, how much money do you have? Well, um, see, the, <laughs> <laughs> see, there's that, right? But and that shouldn't even be a question. Yeah, it shouldn't even be part of the issue. It should be you did a crime. Our Constitution says you're entitled to a free and impartial, uh, a, impartial jury. Hey, well, well, is that possible? Because everybody has one of these jokers and they probably know what your name is. You know, face re- face recognition on, I mean, like in the courtroom. That's how they tracked you down in the first place. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. We, 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 we went and checked your social media account. Apparently you have a manifesto, so. <laughs> no, but seriously. But we didn't find that out till after the fact, though. Right, right, right. You know, with all, 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 I'm saying, all I'm saying is we need to take a practical look at the things that were written and was designed to be changed and then let ourselves make that change. And well, I, we spent most of our, we've spent most of our time trying to reinterpret what the words, what, what the words literally mean, not what, not what they, not how they were interpreted, but you know, all men are created equal. And we had to, you know, they had to argue for how many years over who a man was. And then they had to extend that, you know, okay, well, yeah, gosh, that might include women too. You know, and then, you know, and now now we're at the point where, you know, now we're going to go back to arguing over what is a man or a woman. Oh, my but, God. I can't. I'm no, not. no, no. But like, why? Why can't the stuff that the stuff that doesn't need to be changed? That's actually where I take my biggest uh, beef with people is no. Why? Why are we even arguing over who rights apply to? If it applies, you know, it's. It, yeah, I'm. I'm going to get worked up on that one. Okay. Yeah, so we can wrap it up here, but I feel like I don't know if this was a joke, but if it wasn't a joke, we should probably get into it if we do another one. Um, we need to do uh, another one. About blackmail inflation because this T-shirt <laughs> idea we never talked about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, like... I'll, I'll send you a link to the lecture on it. Yeah, <laughs> 
as hey, long as no, send me those lectures. <laughs> no, I want to hear it from you. But I'm like, <laughs> he's like, let me go put this shirt on so we and then it's like, ask me about this. And no one asked him. <laughs> and we did three, we did three fucking hours. Nobody asked him, dude. Like, oh shit. <laughs> no, I mean Jose did technically. He's like, oh wait, hang on, you gotta tell me about this. Yeah. No, blackmail inflation. I'll make it real simple, and then Jose is gonna share the link, and everybody's gonna become a okay. uh, epistemic terrorist. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No. So what? What? So going back to like people that have leverage on politicians, and we know about Epstein, we know all this other stuff, right? So uh, that's that's all blackmail. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? That is the commodity for how shit gets done behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So if you want to fix things. You go after their commodity only it's not just about like you know oh we're gonna we're gonna stop people from doing this no you got to make it toxic so if you've got something that holds value and is traded freely then you go and make counterfeits of it only if you really want to be subversive about it you start an insurance agency that makes those counterfeits for people as insurance against when they get blackmailed mm. so that they can come back and say, Oh man, you know, what the yeah, fuck? that looks like I did a really heinous thing, but I got a hundred thousand other copies of me doing similarly heinous things that are, yeah, you know, that's all computer generated. It's all yeah. deep fake. So, oh so man. What I have just done is I Genesis six, Genesis six, dude. I, <laughs> so I have introduced the idea that somebody that's blackmailed, can go and deep fake their innocence. And what is that? What, what happens? Hmm. Now their handlers have to figure out whether they're going to hold that asset or swap that asset until that asset gets smart enough hmm. to do something about it. Because once that happens, the blackmail that they have, that they keep that person on a leash with, isn't worth anything anymore. Yeah. Hmm. So all those sociopaths and all those psychopaths now have a reason to fight each other and leave us the hell alone. Dude, I I just said something about along these lines the other day to my family. I'm just like, man, it seems like every day like this heinous shit is being outdone by another fucking act of heinous fucking shit that outdoes this. And then you forget about that and then you forget about the shit the next day. And it's just like how much shit can, can, and that's just, if you're not digging the stuff that's being presented to you, like how much shit can just be consumed and fucking shit out. And then next day, next week, more bullshit, more bullshit. And not like nothing really, I'm not, this is no call to arms. I I would never, you know, support something like that, but it's well, like, I mean, we're gonna, you know, you get hemmed up if you try vigilante justice, yeah, right. I, I, so, what do you do, right? Take it, pit, pit your titans against your titans, you just take it, you bend over like, like you were, like you're at MEPS, you bend over like you're at MEPS and you spread, you know. You know You've heard the old, the old, <laughs> the old expression, the old army or military expression of Bohica, yeah. You've heard that before, right? Oh yeah. Okay. I don't. I don't know this. Yeah, Marines I, don't know this term. Bend so, over. I know. I know. Come. I know. Bend, bend, bend over. I love over. Here it comes. Let, let, let oh me, yes, let me, I have. Let me give you context on, on my thinking process. I left the army at 15 years 
because I had a sergeant major that retired that came in and said, Hey, can I talk to you for a minute? He's like, I know you're frustrated. You're never going to solve the problems from inside. The mm. organization. Mm. Get out and figure out how to force the change from the outside. Mm. So that was probably one of the most influential conversations with senior leadership I ever had. Um, but it'd been a little bit better if he said, finish your five years so you get your 20 year retirement and then figure out problems. Okay, anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, look at what they're doing to the economy. How long is that going to stick around? Dude. No, I would rather, at that point, I was frustrated enough with solutions. See, that's the other part of it. That goes back to the identity. We, we don't tell people that they can fix things. Mm. We, don't tell, we don't tell people to come up with solutions to actually solve problems. Yeah. We tell them, well, this is the way it's always been done. If you don't like it, get out. You, you know, if you don't like the way this is done, go move to another country. Yeah. Now, how about we try actually coming up with solutions? And, and this, I, I say this because of the whole contract cycle thing, because this is like, this is really the military industrial complex that Eisenhower warned about mm. is where you treat the, the world as something that you can just continue to <laughs> For real. Yeah. yeah, we talked in our last in our last chat, we talked about, you know, how how we're priming ourselves for war with China. And I'm like, I joke with my brother. I was like, yeah, they fucking do that. They're going to fucking reinstate the draft and it's going to be bumped up to 45 because yeah. who do you got? You know, and I'm not, again, trying to sound like some fucking generational. Oh, the kids don't know yeah, shit, yeah, yeah. but it's like, hey. But it's, no, no, no. The numbers speak for it, bro. I told I told Jose last time I said um, I heard heard recently and, and I have more research to do on this, but 15 percent of the people over 30 will sprint in their lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. What the fuck? It's bad. Joe Rogan would shake his head. <laughs> and then he asked, have you tried elk meat? On it? Have you tried on it yet? Alpha brain? Yeah. yeah. We're All making right. the bed, dude. If we keep making the bed, we got to get fucked in it, right? I mean. You, you're right. This you're is right. our bed. This is... keep moving towards it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look. So, hey, Jose, man, where you want to go with this, man? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, let's well, let's let's do part three. My brain is cooked. I've been up since two a.m. Uh, um, thinking about <laughs> shit and uh, PT. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can do a part three. I actually part got some today, Jose. You would be proud of me, Jose, man. I actually got up today and I got some. I put my heavy bag on and I went ruck marching. Fuck yeah, that's what's so, up. Uh, yeah, I got some today. Um. Part three for solutions, Nate. Uh, part three for solutions, and we should also talk about aliens, just because. Um, I do want to talk about that. I want. I love this guy already. I'm sorry I mispronounced your name, Nate, because I didn't have the, the names didn't appear on my shit the way I had it arranged. I'm sorry, uh, but yeah, I'm down. You know, you know who? If you're if you're allowing it, I'm down, dude. Nate, I told these guys last time I went to the end of the internet when COVID was going on over UAP, UFO shit. I've seen it all. I read it all. <laughs> I mean, no. like, I'm ready for this.